意得罪啦。
ancient land of China, schools and the martial arts were a way of life, but none were as lethal as the one we are about to reveal. Five deadly venoms. A secret society, each man unknown to the other, identified only by a mass representing one of nature's deadly assassins, the centipede, the snake, the scorpion, the lizard, and the toad. Five deadly venoms, five masters in the martial arts, each man pitted against the other in savage combat, and each trained in their own vicious method of killing. They practiced a special kind of kung fu, killing by instinct, with machine-like precision, lightning speed, and ruthless power, as ferocious and deadly as the venomous creatures from which it took its name, and whose stings were always fatal. Kill or be killed. Five deadly venoms. No mercy asked, none given, in a kung fu epic as brutal as nature itself. Five deadly venoms, survival of the fittest and kung fu action at its very best in the most spectacular martial arts program of the year. Five deadly venoms, five stinging ways to die. Pick your poison, you'll be stung to your seats. Don't miss Five Deadly Venoms, a Shaw Brothers presentation. Theirs was a mission of certain death. Outnumbered and unarmed, they must get to the tyrant that enslaves their people. No weapon, no matter how lethal, can match their kung fu. Alexander Fusheng stars as the young martial arts expert pitted against a murderous warlord with a deadly kung fu skill. They live to fight and fight to live in a whirlwind of kung fu action. Four men sworn to battle to the death against these lawless legions of the damned. The Four Assassins.
plan of destiny await the ultimate challenge. Death and destruction were the Manchu order. They murdered their way to victory. Nothing could stop them until they met the five masters of death. Five new men of destiny. Five new deadly ministers of Kung Fu justice. Five new Kung Fu killing techniques. The whipping triple-jointed stick, an avenging reaper of justice. The piercing pole, driving its way to victory. The deadly tiger stork, no one escapes. The crushing crossed fists, pounding up revenge on Manchu murderers. See the five kung fu masters of death defeat the Manchu warlords. See the five masters of death. When you're the best, you do things with style. J.J. McQuaid is the best. He's a lone wolf lawman in the Lone Star State. Even a wolf has his weaknesses. And a powerful enemy. The final showdown belongs to McQuaid. Lone Wolf McQuaid, starring Chuck Norris, David Carradine, Barbara Carrera, and Leon Isaac Kennedy. Or forgive them, because they killed his wife, they raped his daughter. And they deserve to die. So he's doing it again. His way. Charles Bronson. He's the best there is at getting even. Goodbye. Death Wish 2. Rated R. Now playing at the Sacramento Drive-In, Dome 24, Birdcage Walk, and the State in Woodland. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. The all-new process that puts you in the picture. Whether you want to be there or not. It will scare you. Count on it. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Rated R. Now playing in Sacramento. Check newspapers for theaters and showtime. This is the movie that Rex Reed called the most horrifying motion picture I have ever seen. This film is positively ruthless in its attempt to drive you right out of your mind. Sally, I hear something. Stop! Stop! The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. From New Line Cinema. Rated R. There are killers on the loose, dressed like cops, and they always use a magnet. There's only one cop around who can crack this case. They call him Dirty Harry. In 24 hours, Harry stops a robbery, covers a stake, and prevents a hijack. Clint Eastwood is back, and this time his world is dirtier than ever. Magnum Force, rated R.
opening Christmas Day at selected theaters around the country. theaters.
知道你还是会喜欢我的Pleasure doing business with you. I 本来想推荐你上去，但你上头唔批准。点解？呢个人你应该好熟嘅。我听日要走。后日去台湾嗰单嘢，咪带埋阿成咯，俾个机会啲后生仔啊嘛。
。一朝做贼，想做好人不容易。我已经冇咗个细佬，我唔想连你呢个朋友都冇埋。阿杰，唔再叫我做阿杰，叫阿 Sir。而家大把世界，有好多旧客要靠豪哥你拉翻嚟噶。我哥系产值唔系我啊！呢度已经唔系我同你嘅世界。你嘢喐手啊！即刻转翻转头One of the ten best films of the year, a high octane mixture of outlandishly stylized camp and outrageously sensational shootouts.
outrageously exhilarating, guaranteed to tingle the most jaded moviegoer's palate. A film concocted with nitroglycerin, the combined energy of the Road Warrior, Robocop, and the Terminator. Killer is great cinema. The Killer, a thriller comedy that will leave you breathless. a movie that will leave you breathless. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, in a Tony Scott film that critics are calling a Bonnie and Clyde for the 90s. True Romance, rated R, starts Friday, September 10th at a theater near you. Follow my instructions and we all walk away clean. Domino, you're with me on the side. Shepard, you cover the rear. Are you walking down? All we want is the money. This is an inside job. Ten million in cash. Let's go home right now. I've seen you two. We're celebrity hostages. Dogs. Before Pulp Fiction. The original Men in Black shook the world of action cinema in the original A Better Tomorrow. Proudly presents the explosive bullet ridden sequel, A Better Tomorrow 2. Hong Kong action mavericks John Woo and Troy Hark take the heroic bloodshed genre to the next level and beyond in a violent symphony of destruction that is often imitated but never better. Chow Fat, Leslie Chung, and T Long. A better tomorrow, too.
Alright, welcome to the show. I am the Hard Bastard, and now we're going to begin with uh, Donald Trump trouncing Joe Biden in the 2024 Electoral College matchup. DeSantis would also get blown out, according to this national survey that I imagine has people like Bill Mitchell dilating. A new survey has revealed that the 2024 GOP frontrunner, Donald Trump, would win over Joe Biden in the Electoral College, while DeSantis would lose in a hypothetical matchup against the incumbent. Amazing. The survey, conducted by Stacked Addicts Strategy and published by Politico, found that Trump would win the Electoral College against Biden in a hypothetical rematch, 292 to 246, respectively. In the case of DeSantis v. Biden, uh, Biden would beat the Florida governor by a landslide with 359 Electoral College votes to 179. I would, you know, it, a year ago, if you would have run that by me, I'd say, I don't see that. Now, yeah, because I wouldn't vote for DeSantis. And I imagine there's plenty of Trump supporters that would not vote for DeSantis. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, are there some that would? Sure. But at this point, given what the campaign has done, uh, there's no way I could vote for him. Uh, anyway, the poll found that Trump was on track to win back four key swing states that Biden had won in 2020, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. These were states that Trump had previously won in the 2016 election. Arizona voters were found to prefer Trump over Biden, 48.7 to 47.3. Georgia voters preferred Trump, 50.3 to 47.1. Uh, Pennsylvania, 49.6. Trump, 47.3. Biden and voters in Wisconsin preferred Trump, 48.9 to 47.9. The poll found Biden is beating Trump by only a small margin in Michigan by 0.7% and Nevada by 1.4%. The poll was conducted between October 13th and November 3rd, surveyed 15,000 registered U.S. voters. That's a solid number. This comes less than a year out from the 2024 election and two months out from the Iowa Republican Caucus, the first significant event in the presidential election cycle. The crowded Republican primary field shrunk on Sunday when Tim Scott announced he was suspending his campaign. Who cares? And then the other people are remaining. And again, who fucking cares? None of them have any chance. Um, the only chance they have is if the uh, Republican, if the RNC does a brokered convention, uh, I believe that's what it's called, where they can basically rob Trump if he gets enough votes from the people they can just rob him and give it to someone else. Uh, that would be insane. Wouldn't be the most shocking thing. These people are duplicitous and terrible. Um, but I, I would absolutely not go along with that. And I would, uh, I would write Trump in as my last, uh, you know, uh, my last act of uh, taking part in um, national uh, elections. That would be my last act to. Uh, write Trump in, and uh, then I would uh, completely work to do my small part on one person, but do everything I can uh, in, uh, to help in an effort to completely dismantle the Republican Party and replace it with something better. Probably would never happen, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, now, this is really funny when you look at how bad it's going for Biden, and, and they just, you know, the, the, the propagandists, they don't really have any new ideas, so they're going back to the Trump is Hitler thing, which is just, uh, it's hilarious. So, Joe Biden's inner, inner circle are well aware that the economic message is not resonating with voters. Well, the idea that people uh, are complaining about gas prices and, and prices at the grocery store, 
Um, the idea that you're going to reply to them, yeah, but Trump is Hitler. I mean, that's just, that's fucking hilarious. Joe Biden's inner circle was reportedly briefed in recent meetings of negative polling that shows that the White House's economic message is so-called Bidenomics is not resonating with American voters. Yeah, because it's total fucking bullshit. That's why. People can see it. The report suggests the president's economic record might not prove a successful line of attack. Well, because it's not, it's not successful. He's terrible. He's been terrible for the economy. Biden focused his re-election hopes on Bidenomics, which some Democrats believe should be heaved into a dumpster. Well, why don't you focus? I mean, this is like focusing your, your uh, campaign on chased whores, okay? Whores are not chased. There's no such thing as a chased whore. If you're a whore, you're, you're, you're taking nonstop cocks. Okay, so there's no ch chastity among whores. It's ridiculous. Progressive Change Campaign Committee, a far-left group, told Politico uh, that it briefed White House officials, Democrat congressional leaders, and top party operatives in September and October regarding negative polling about Bidenomics. The group presented the polling alongside Data for Progress, another far-left organization. The survey's findings were damning. Only 35% of Americans trust Democrats more on economics. Seven out of ten people say the Joe Biden economy is not getting better. I mean, I went to the store. This is Now, look, it's anecdotal, but there's tons of people having this problem. I try to keep to a minimum what I buy at the grocery store. I live very simply, okay? No, it just seems like no matter what, it's always $100. What used to be 40, 50, it's always 100. And I'm like looking at the total, I'm like, how the fuck is this $100? But it, it, it's just, and you see, it's like a meme. The $100 groceries is a meme. It's all over TikTok and social media. People are taking pictures and they're like, look what I got for $100. It's ridiculous. Um, it's just incredible. The, they offer a worldview into the White House, well aware that its economic message wasn't resonating, even as it's repeatedly dismissed such fears as overblown. Well, cause it, well, first of all, the problem is this, one of the problems, they fucking hate their voters. They hate their voters. So they want to force you to vote for them. Uh, and that's why I think they're gonna start getting nasty. Um, their strategy is gonna be nasty. Well, the, the Hitler stuff is nasty. They're, they are painting Trump as, a, as an evil, uh, uh, a, a, you know, uh, Frankly, I forget what lunatic it was, but they said that Trump was worse than Hitler and Mussolini. Um, and so they're going to do that, and then they're going to act like if you vote for him, you're committing a crime or you're a terrorist, and then they're probably going to fuck with the voters. I hope I'm wrong about this. But these people have no self-restraint, no self-control. They're lunatics. And this is, this is the path we're on right now. So they're not going to, like come up with some messaging to try to encourage people to vote. They're going to hurt you if you don't vote. At least they're going to try to. I hope I'm wrong about that. Anyway, they offer a window into the White House, well aware that its economic message wasn't resonating, even as, as it's repeatedly dismissed. Oh, I read the part. Democrats have fretted for months about Biden's poor economic approval ratings, with some going as far as to directly urge the White House to abandon the Bidenomics branding, which the administration has used as shorthand for the president's economic agenda. Biden's advisors remain confident their strategy will pay off over the long term, hilarious, but the private polling discussions provide clues as to how the administration might tweak their argument over the next several months. Biden officials during the uh, sessions poured over data that tested a range of new messages designed to narrow the polling deficit from more directly targeting Republicans over Trump-era tax cuts to attempting 
to retrieve um, or to revive a fight over Social Security. Tuesday's report comes after dozens of Democrats told Politico's Jonathan Martin that Biden must change his economic strategy to remain in the White House. His aides are under no illusion about their challenge, highlighting their level of despair was striking because Biden is indeed in peril. Um, recent polling reveals Biden's sagging economy is the number one issue for voters. <clears throat> 50 to 34 percent of voters trust Trump over Biden to restore the economy. 59 percent disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. 51 percent says there's no chance that they would vote for Biden. They are. Yeah, he, he's in trouble. He is in big trouble. And uh, now they're pretending that uh, uh, and, and you hear from the regime propagandists these like dog whistle threats like you're going to have to take responsibility if you vote for Trump you're going to have to well you're responsible for your decision and, you know, it seems like they're going to do something um, Nikki Haley plans $10 million ad blitz to set up showdown with Trump <laughs> who fucking cares moving on um, oh, one thing about Nikki Haley but she sucked anyway but now she's going around saying that if she's president which zero chance that's happening she will make it mandatory that you give uh, your full name if you want to post on the internet go fuck yourself whore ridiculous um, now you got this Gavin Newsom guy and this is what I'm talking about as far as like they do not give a fuck about you and they want you dead and so you just look at the way he's talking about what they did. They can clean up their cities. They can make them safe, but they choose not to because they hate you and they want you dead. Now, when it comes to Ching Chang, Ching Chong from China, the guy that looks like Winnie the Pooh, I might got I might have gotten the name wrong. I apologize. You know, it's just it is what it is. And if you don't think for a second that the Chinese aren't making fun of our names, uh, Jack Smith, oh, you know, they probably do. Then that's fine. Whatever. I know. It. Look, Chang. I know Jack Smith. And uh, David Michaels, I imagine that sounds funny to you. And that's okay, because your names sound funny to us. It's no problem. It's just a normal thing. Okay? It's not a big deal. Anyway. So, um, Winnie the Pooh's coming from China. And uh, so, they cleaned up San Francisco. And so, basically, um, Gavin Newsom was like, yeah, we cleaned it up. Because we have uh, important people coming over. <laughs> that's it. He, he, he let you know. Uh, he also let you know that you're not a person, and I'll explain. Recent comments from AIDS commie governor Gavin Newsom surfaced online, showing him defending San Francisco for clearing out areas of the city occupied by homeless camps and public drug markets before uh, China's president, Winnie the Pooh, arrives. He says, anytime you put on an event, by definition, you know you have people over your house, you're going to clean up the house. Oh, so you're having people over. Gotcha. So we're not people then. Only the elites are people. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I, I don't think so. APEC, known as the Super Bowl of homosexual, excuse me, world ec economies, is holding its 2023 leaders meeting in San Francisco between November 11th and 17th. Can you imagine the level of sodomy that's going to be happening in San Francisco this is a global homo event in San Francisco? Oh my God, it's going to be incredible. The summit includes leaders of 21 countries and regions. I imagine, oh, and, and they're bringing in the AIDS faggot of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Now, I'm not, a, look, by the way, I'm not an expert on anything, any of this shit. Um, but um, I've heard it 
I don't know a lot about Canada, but I've heard that it's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. But I just, um, that just doesn't feel right. I think it's AIDS faggot. We're going to go with AIDS faggot of Canada, Justin Trudeau. It just feels right. I don't know. Some call him Prime Minister. It just doesn't feel right. But anyway, he's going to be there too. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. San Francisco has been in the throes of a homelessness and drug crisis that's come with rampant crime for years now, while the city consistently struggles to make a dent in the humanitarian crisis unfolding daily on the streets. Homelessness has only gotten worse since before the pandemic. About 38,000 people are homeless in the Bay Area on a given night. That's up 35% since 2019. More than 7,000 people are homeless in San Francisco itself. And the city's crime rate and open-air drug use have caused businesses to flee from San Francisco's downtown, which is, of course, denied by the regime propagandists. They pretend it's not happening. Although overall crime slightly dropped this year, certain types of violent crime like murder, robberies, and car theft uh, uh, have increased. According to Gallup, nearly half of Americans view San Francisco as unsafe. Despite these figures, San Francisco became the host city for APEC 2023. The San Francisco Chronicle reported the city's efforts to clear the encampments as an attempt to avoid a repeat of 2016 when it hosted Super Bowl 50. Aside from airing the game, the outlet noted the TV broadcast had focused on the city's homeless crisis along Davidson Street, uh, or Division Street, which presented a major civic black eye for the Bay Area. Internal emails obtained by the Chronicles show city officials were concerned about historical encampments that are so that are close to priority areas and needed to format a plan to stay on top of the growing encampments. Several videos circulating on social media appear to show various sidewalks cleared of homeless encampments and individuals with some portions blocked off with barricades or covered with brand new planters where tents once stood. According to local media, a federal injunction requires the city to provide adequate shelter for homeless individuals after removing their tents from public areas, although the city did not set up new shelters specifically for individuals. Impacted by the summit, it opened a 30-spot overnight winter shelter and has been working on adding 300 beds to some existing shelters. Newsom also said last week that it's true the city officials removed homeless encampments from sidewalks. Uh, He says... I know folks are saying, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming to town. That's true because it's true. But it's been true for months and months before APEC. We've been having conversations. Right. So that's so they will clean it up for their global homo shit. But when it comes to the kids having to go to school, they will allow all of that filth to be on the streets uh, uh, for the kids to walk through. Because, again, they hate you and, you and they want you dead. Okay. Now, this is fucking crazy. This dumb bitch in New York... Hockle says New York is collecting data from a surveillance efforts uh, on social media. New York is reportedly collecting data from what AIDS commie Governor Hockle describes as surveillance efforts on social media platforms and is launching an effort to counter some of the negativity. Speaking Monday, Hockle announced that the state is very focused on the data we're collecting from surveillance efforts and what's being said on social media platforms, admitting to government surveillance. What is more, Hockle said they've launched an effort to be able to counter some of the negativity and reach out to people when they see what they deem to be hate speech being spoken about an online platform, about on, on online platforms. 
That remains a danger as individuals tend to have very different definitions of what constitutes hate speech. It's a completely made up concept based on their political ideology. For instance, many conservatives have been accused of hate speech simply for voicing concerns about biological men using women's changing rooms or restrooms. Nevertheless, the AIDS commie governor said the state social media analysis unit has ramped up its monitoring of sites to catch incitement to violence and direct threats to others. And all of this is in response to our desire and strong commitment to ensure that not only do New Yorkers uh, feel safe, uh, adding that personal security is about everything for them. Quote, uh, continuing, the dumb bitch said, as I said, no one walking down the street or in a subway can feel they have to hide uh, any indications for what their religious beliefs are. We expect to see people celebrating their lives, walking out freely. That is no longer the case because people are living in fear. They have a right to do whatever uh, they want here in the state of New York. Dumb whore. Instead of focusing on the people who are saying nigger and faggot on the internet, why don't you arrest the criminals that are attacking people? Why don't you do that? And then hold them and don't let them out. Amazing. Um... Hockle's purported concerns comes after a, a great irony as New York is ridden with crime as Democrat leaders continue to embrace soft on crime policies. A study by researchers at John Jay College found that felony suspects released without bail thanks to New York's bail reform law are more likely to be rearrested for more felonies, including violent crimes, than subjects who were given bail before the law went into effect, of course. Um, so they also said that... Um, they are going to have the, uh, people contacted. They're going to contact you, according to her. So her administration is going to contact you if you say things that she doesn't like. What a bunch of fucking bullshit. It just seems like all uh, the tea leaves. It seems like if you're reading the tea leaves, it just looks like there's going to be an unprecedented, insane time for the 2024 general election. All of this shit is going to come to a head. And I just, I, I, I think that's, they're going to take their biggest shot that they've ever taken to just take over everything. You got this uh, executive order with the internet, with Biden. Like, it, it just seems like they are going to do everything in their power to fundamentally alter elections and how all of this works and I think they're going to make their big power grab. That's when I think they're, they're going to make just an insane power grab to see if it takes. They tried it with COVID. It didn't work. Now they're going to try it with the election. What, what's going to be surrounding that? You know, what kind of gay ops or false flags? I have no idea. But it looks like this is going to be completely wild. Uh, FBI, you know, it's funny that what they also do with Trump calling him Hitler is they're accusing Trump of doing all the things that Biden has been doing. Here's a prime example. FBI targets agents over conservative political views. So this is under Biden. Uh, whistleblowers have accused senior officials at the FBI <coughs> excuse me, of retaliating against agents who express conservative or Christian beliefs by conducting unnecessary security clearance investigations and in some cases revoking their privileges. The allegations were made by at least three FBI agents in disclosures to the House Judiciary Committee earlier this month. According to the Washington Times, among the targeted were current employees who had any association with former agents who were interviewed for Dinesh D'Souza, D'Souza's and Dan Bongino's recent film. 
Police state, which attempts to prove that the Democrats worked with the FBI, CIA, and the Justice Department officials to censor and imprison their political opponents, which is completely true. Whistleblowers allege that officials in the FBI Security Division, SECD, assigned agents to specifically target agents who they suspected had in any way participated in the making of the film. It was also claimed that SECD wanted to hire one to three hundred temporary employees to investigate the security clearances of whistleblowers, conservatives, and employees with an unacceptable political affiliation or belief. Among those targeted was former agent Kyle Serafin, who had his security clearance investigated after being confronted by an out-of-jurisdiction police officer about Serafin practicing his shooting at a gun range. Whistleblowers, however, pointed out that this should have been a minor infraction, but instead blown out of proportion because Serafin has refused to receive the COVID-19 vaccine and was thus clearly conservative. Those who came forth with the allegations accused D Section Chief uh, Matthew Nagel, Deputy Assistant Director Lawrence Buckley, and Assistant Section Chief Dana Perkins of violating the Security Executive Agent Directive 4, which outlines the justifications for security clearance investigations. Whistleblowers claim the agency was intentionally misrepresenting the SEAD 4 guidelines so that they can deny, suspend, and revoke security clearances of FBI employees because of political affiliations and beliefs. The FBI, now, of course, they lie in a statement and says the FBI does not target or take adverse action against employees for exercising their First Amendment rights. Total lie. To allege otherwise is false and misleading. Uh, again, total bullshit. The FBI is required to follow established policies and procedures. Yeah, but you don't. And then a bunch of other bullshit. Uh, here is another example of the Biden. So they're calling Trump fascist. They're calling Trump supporters fascist while doing shit like this. Family shares incredible behind-the-scenes update on draconian FBI raid of a J6 attendee. The other day, the Biden regime put, out, uh, put on quite a show deploying a massive terror task force to apprehend a January 6th participant. This well-orchestrated spectacle was clearly aimed at perpetuating the false narrative that MAGA supporters are top-tier terrorists. Why else would they send in armed SWAT teams and helicopters just to arrest someone accused of using pepper spray on a police officer? Then there's Ray Epps, who's on video repeatedly orchestrating the actual siege on the Capitol, yet oddly, the feds treat him more like a victim. None of this makes any logical sense at all. It's a political hit job. We covered this disturbing FBI raid when it first broke. In the regime's relentless campaign to cast MAGA supporters as domestic terrorists, our new police state has staged quite a hellish show. They've deployed a terrorism task force, including helicopters and armed SWAT teams, to pursue a January 6th participant with the same zeal one would expect in the hunt for the head of a known terror group like Hamas, except that would be unlikely since the left actually supports Hamas. Police and SWAT team members continued their search, uh, uh, this is according to NBC, uh, of a section of sprawling New Jersey woods for a man wanted on charges related to January 6th. The search for the man, identified as Gregory Yetman, was ongoing near the Middlesex County town of Helmetta, according to the FBI. Tactical teams could be seen in the backyard of homes, as Chapter 4 showed law enforcement searching one property in a shed. Chopper 4, excuse me. The heavily armed teams set off flashbang grenades as part of the search, with loud bangs echoing throughout the neighborhood. This, this is 
terrorism. They are terrorizing people. They're not just uh, uh, terrorizing the family of this person. They're terrorizing all the people that live in these neighborhoods. This is the vote for Biden or else we're going to hurt you. It was not immediately clear what specific charges Yetman was facing or how long police had been looking for him, but they confirmed that no arrest has been made as of Wednesday evening. Law enforcement intended to stay in the area until he was caught. When FBI agents went to approach a house Wednesday morning uh, near Helmeta to try to make an arrest, Yetman apparently saw them coming and ran away. A senior law enforcement official told NBC New York, well, there's a good chance they would have executed him uh, like they did that guy in, in Utah. Yetman served as a sergeant in the New Jersey National Guard until March 2022. This over-the-top display shines a light on the left's police state aspirations, honestly, that were not that different from North Korea or China in these moments, except our propaganda game is a lot stronger. FBI and Joint Terrorism Task Force agents with armored SWAT trucks are searching for a J6 protester, it said. Officials are, okay, well, we'll go back. We, we have the basics for the story. No more need for uh, NBC. But there's much more to the story and the family who witnessed everything is now coming forward. They're sharing their account of what truly happened that day. Here's an excerpt from what investigative journalist Julie Kelly revealed on Twitter. I just spoke with Todd Yetman, brother of Gregory, the man hunted down by the FBI for J6 related offenses. The conversation was sad, infuriating, and in some instances funny. First, he said the FBI staked out their home for three months prior to the raid. This is what they did to the old guy. They, 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 they stake you out. They have plenty of opportunity to get you when you're going to the mailbox, but they don't do that because they want to kill you. Todd Gregg and another brother lived together in the home of their father, built in New Jersey. After Todd and, and his other brother left for work at 6 a.m., Gregg left the house around 7 a.m. to go to work. They all work at the same company. That's when armed FBI agents and SWAT vehicles surrounded Gregg. Gregg walked out, froze in the face of guns drawn, and ran. A woman who lives with them heard the commotion. When she opened the door, she faced armed agents who told her to get on the ground. She thought they were being robbed. About 30 armed agents stormed the house and property. They threw flashbangs inside areas of the property, including the garage. So again, this is totally unnecessary. They could have easily apprehended this guy as he went out to the mailbox or whatever, but they didn't do that because these are terrorists. These are AIDS commie terrorists uh, from an illegitimate uh, regime. And this is what they do. They terrorize people. This is the society we're in. It's very unfortunate. Um... She says they went nutty, tore up the house, stuff scattered everywhere. Agents told Todd after he returned to the house that afternoon from work to open his gun safe. When he refused, they told him if he didn't, they would break it open. Although he's not a defendant, the FBI took his guns and ammo anyway. Todd confronted, so they, are, they were being robbed. So this is an armed robbery. This is an armed robbery and they'll get away with it, of course. Todd confronted the agents, asked who killed someone. They treat my brother like a criminal, he said. Vehicles were everywhere blocking the driveway and parked around the property. FBI and local law enforcement used helicopters, drones, and search dogs to try to track down Greg. That's when Todd again confronted agents. He says, go get Hunter and go get Joe Biden. Every one of you is corrupt. You're all Joe Biden's puppets. Yeah, these, they all belong in prison. They're pedophiles. They are pedophiles. He demanded to know why they are not arresting Antifa and BLM. And then the pedophiles asked him not to be rude. What a bunch of pussy ass bitches. Um, this has become the new normal in Biden's police state. We're far from the America our grandparents knew. 
Today's America is quickly resembling a North Korea-style government, one that targets political dissidents with the full might of federal power. It's very dangerous to be a Trump supporter in this topsy-turvy nation. Yeah, and it's going to get way worse. It's going to get way worse. So while they're doing this, the regime propagandists are pretending that Trump is the fascist. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. All right, we have a white kid that was murdered by a gang of uh, black kids, and of course, it's totally ignored. And then we're noticing a pattern, and we will get into, and we've covered it before. Why does it seem like after a, a bunch of joggers murder a white person, the family suddenly starts going, oh, it's not about race, it's not a big deal. Isn't it interesting? We'll get into it. Las Vegas teen beaten to death by a mob after standing up for his smaller friend. 17-year-old Jonathan Lewis was beaten to death by a mob of, uh, I don't they're saying a 15, I mean, I think maybe a couple, it was majority black mob, uh, 15 blocks away from his high school after standing up for a smaller friend who the mob had put into a trash can. KLAS reported that Lewis was beaten on, even Breitbart does the racial shit. Isn't that incredible? You would think Breitbart would uh, be like, it's a mob of blacks. Can you just say that? Black people? You don't have to say niggers. I'm not saying you need to say niggers. Just say blacks. That's all you got to do. Anyway, KLAS reported. Whoa, I dropped my uh, bottle there. We're good. KLAS reported that Lewis was beaten November 1st, 2023 and died on November 7th. The New York Post quoted Lewis's father saying one of the smallest friends had something stolen by the group of 15 and they threw the small boy in the trash can and our son confronted them and he was attacked. Responding officers found Lewis on the ground bleeding from the head following the attack. Video of the incident is disturbing as it shows Lewis being hit and kicked over and over again during the attack. How peaceful. It's so peaceful. Have you reported that Tuesday, November 7th, the day Lewis died, his father wrote, Today my son was pronounced dead. He will always be so loved as his dad. I'll never forever hold him in. I will hold him in my heart forever, shine even brighter, love even more, and work all my life to bring peace into the world. Hmm. Some are calling for hate crime charges in Lewis's death. After all, he was white and his attackers appear to be black. Appear, they appear to be black, do they? Yeah, they appear to be. Okay. The KLS noted the investigation in, uh, into the incident is still in its early stages. So what happens when you have black people killing white people? Well, the Department of Justice sends out the Community Relations Service to make sure that you, white family, take it right in the ass. Oh, got to take it in the ass. You're an American kulak. You got to take it up the ass. A little known Department of Justice branch has been coordinating crisis responses and holding indoctrination exercises following anti-white terror incidents in order to shield the cult of diversity and multiculturalism from well-deserved reprisal. The DOJ branch, known as the Community Service, the Community Relations Service, snaps into action during an anti-white terror episode to make sure that broader questions about crime, culture, and society are never broached by the victims to keep the status quo of civilization destruction and degradation going as planned. CR, that's based, big league politics is based. CRS serves as American peacemakers, or America's peacemaker, for communities facing conflict based on actual or perceived race, color, natural, uh, national origin, all the fucking ridiculous commie bullshit. Um, 
All of the services are confidential and provided on a voluntary basis. Yeah, guys, it's voluntary. There's no threat. Oh, they're definitely not threatening. There's, there's not a gun to these families' head that, you know, if you, uh, if you don't say this, you know, you'll be considered a racist. You don't want to be considered a racist. Don't you want to be one of the good whites? Well, listen, to remain uh, designated as one of the good whites you have to act like it's totally fine that a bunch of joggers murdered your kid and you have to pretend that race has nothing to do with this at all. Amazing. Uh, a case study from Lewiston, Maine, a city besieged by Somali migrants trafficked into the country with federal dollars through the refugee resettlement program demonstrates the pernicious influence of the CRS Low-level tensions escalated in June 2018 when a fight erupted between white and immigrant residents over claims to Kennedy Park, a local gathering place. Tensions between the two groups simmered for several weeks. The situation culminated in a fight in which a white male died after being struck by a rock. State police believe race played a factor in the fight. As a result, community leaders and city officials requested a city site problem identification and resolution of Issues Together program for Lewiston and neighboring Auburn to address community tensions. And CRS formed a working group and provided the group consultation services to help plan the city spirit program. In homogenous groups, participants identified issues impacting their community, including unspoken community tension and the need for more education on Islamic culture and practices. Yeah, you need to be educated. Then participants reformed into several heterogeneous groups to develop solutions unique to their community. This is lube for the cock. That's what it is. This is lube for the cock that white people must take. That's all this is. You're going to be uh, uh, educated on how if you're white, you're a bigot, and you must take the cock. That is ultimately what this is. It's intended to reduce conflict, improve communications, and minimize the potential for future tensions. These proposed ideas included increased funding for uh, a second language training, creation of a cross-cultural community center, and cross-cultural events at schools and throughout the community to share different traditions, foods, and languages. Uh, CRS wrote their program sweeping the anti-white terror under the rug. The vicious Somali who bludgeoned the white man to death with a rock would go on to receive only nine months in prison. Oh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You're a meme all with a flag at the Capitol. You get five years. But a criminal jogger who murdered someone, well, nine months. Organizations like CRS enable the soft genocide that is ongoing in America. They want the U.S. to become like South Africa, and it's headed in that direction quickly, based. Sean Trejo, I believe his name is, the writer for, yeah, for uh, Shane, excuse me, Shane. Based article, Shane. Okay, it's fucked up. It is fucked up what they're doing. Now, this is, uh, this is good. I, I, I don't think this is going to solve the problem, but, uh, huh. Illegal aliens flee sanctuary cities for their native countries. The American dream doesn't exist anymore. Huh, really? They're self-deporting. Hey, if you can get them to self-deport, I'm all for it. Border crossers and illegal aliens are fleeing sanctuary cities in the United States and heading back to their native countries. 
In interviews with the Chicago Tribune, some of the nearly 21,000 border crossers and illegal aliens who have arrived in the sanctuary city of Chicago, Illinois, have said they wish they would have never made the journey to the United States-Mexico border. The American, By the way, I will tell you this. You do have to go back. You do have to go back. You were used as a pawn. Like, both things can be true, right? That Democrats and the George Soros types and all the the people behind these caravans are using these people as pawns. So that is true. Um, you still have to go back, though. It doesn't mean, oh, you, you were used as a pawn so you can stay. No, you have, to, you have to go back. But yeah, these people are using you as pawns. It's fucked up that they do that. I, I think they should go to jail. Maybe, you know, this is a fucked up situation. You have to go back to your country. But maybe if you get a really based... Uh, regime in office, which, you know, probably not going to happen. But maybe you start talking with the victims. Because, uh, you know, hear me out. These people are victims of the George Soros type. So they have to go back to their country. But then when they go back to their country, maybe, you know, uh, you get a base president to talk with whoever the fuck, you know, some guy. How about like... Uh, Who's the one that's really cracking down on crime? El Salvador? Is it El Salvador's guy? You know, maybe you talk with a guy like that. Or, you know, maybe you, you, you put some pressure on Mexico and you go, look, this is what we're going to do. We are going to bring forward the people who were used as pawns, as victims of trafficking, in a, uh, a, a effort to have some sort of international... Uh, um, case against the George Soroses of the world. So I, I, I would be happy to see that. I don't expect to see that. So have some sort of like international tribunal for the George Soroses. And these would be the people who are victims. They are victims of trafficking. And, uh, and so uh, I think that would be fantastic. You still got to go back. But hey, maybe that would bring some sort of uh, satisfaction. It really depends on what would make you satisfied. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vengeance person, so maybe you're not. That's okay. You don't have to be. I think it's the Italian in me. Anyway, so interviews with the Chicago Tribune, some of the nearly 21,000... Oh, I read that part. Um, the Tribune reports, the American dream doesn't exist anymore, said Cast John as he laid on a blanket on the bare floor of the station the afternoon before they left. There's nothing here for us yet. Migrants said they're realizing the city is at a breaking point. Not only is there no more space and shelters, they also acknowledge that some residents in Chicago oppose the opening of more shelters for them. Yeah, because they got to take them from their already scarce resources. Okay, so they don't want that. Cash John said that despite the dangerous trek to get here, often begging for money and sleeping in the streets to cross several borders, the journey had not been worth it. We didn't know it would be this hard. I thought the process was faster. According to the Tribune report, Catholic Charities is raking in lucrative cash from taxpayers across the U.S. in states like Illinois, Colorado, and Texas as they help relocate newly arrived border crossers and illegals to other states. In Illinois, for instance, the Catholic Charities is using taxpayer money to send more than 2,000 border crossers and illegals to other states at the same time. Catholic charities in Colorado and Texas are using taxpayer money to send more border crossers and illegal aliens to Illinois. Chicago is not the only sanctuary city to see dissatisfied border crossers and illegal aliens. In New York City, new arrivals told the New York Post that they are furious over the prospect of the city moving them into the historic Floyd Bennett Field in southeast Brooklyn. Brooklyn. 
We weren't told where we were going, a migrant told the Post. I work in the Bronx. My kids go to school in the Bronx. For us to live out here is ridiculous. I cannot stay here. This is crazy, another migrant said after arriving at uh, Floyd Bennett Field. New York City Commie Mayor Eric Adams has repeatedly warned that illegal immigration is devastating the city and will overwhelm outer borough neighborhoods. Wow. Incredible. Well, there you go. That's uh, so self-deportation. Uh, that would be great. How do you get the commies to self-deport? You know what I would love? Uh, what was the name of the bad guy in Last House on the Left? There's a scene in that movie that I would love to develop somehow into a self-deportation policy with commies. Um, anyway, there's a scene where this guy is screaming at this guy, yelling at him to kill himself, and he eventually does. I just wonder if you could turn that into a policy and, and direct it towards the commies. Not to kill themselves, but to just self-deport. To just self-deport. Could you, could you have a, a, some sort of self-deportation policy inspired from the very scene of that movie? I don't know. You know, is that crazy? That's probably crazy. But, you know, just trying to come up with ideas to fix the, the commie problem. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that would be a hell of a thing right there. Anyway, moving on here. Uh, this is sick, and the people involved in killing this child should all be put in prison. Uh, they murdered the baby. This baby was murdered. They prevented this baby from getting health in Italy. Excuse me, getting help in Italy. Italy said, you can bring the baby here. We will help you. And the UK uh, said, no, we're going to kill the baby. A baby Indy dies after UK's socialized health system removed life support and blocked the parents from seeking private care. That's the truly evil part of this. They blocked the parents from seeking care. Truly evil, a deliberate murder. Britain's socialized health care system was accused of murder after a judge ruled Monday in favor of removing life support from a critically ill baby girl. Eight-month-old Indy Gregory died in a hospice bed next to her heartbroken parents, Dean Gregory and Claire Stanforth, after a lengthy court battle ultimately came down on the side of the doctors who wished to remove the baby girl's life support. The young couple were prevented by the court from seeking help of private specialists outside of the UK's socialized health care system, preventing them from taking their child to Italy to seek life-extending care. If they were non-white, though, they would have allowed it. There are instances in the past people have pointed out on Twitter where if it's a non-white baby in the same situation, they will not kill the baby. So they, this is specifically also because the baby is white. In a statement, 37-year-old Gregory said India's life ended at 1.45 a.m. Claire and I are uh, angry, heartbroken, and ashamed. The NHS and the courts not only took away her chance to live a longer life, but they also took away Indy's dignity to pass away in the family home where they belonged. Again, truly evil. They did succeed in taking Indy's body and dignity, but they can never take her soul. They tried to get rid of Indy without anyone knowing, but we made sure she would be remembered forever. Uh, I, I knew she was special from the day she was born. Claire held her for her final, uh, for her final breaths. High Court Judge Peel, who belongs in prison, or worse, ruled in the case, after a fair trial, of course, uh, ruled in the case that the move by doctors to remove Indy's life support would be legal and it would be in the child's best interest. So it's in the best interest of the child to kill it, 
or to kill her in this instance. He went on to rule that the family's request to have their baby sent to a specialist hospital in Rome would go against the best interests of the child. AIDS commies are truly fucking evil. The Court of Appeals and Judges at the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, which the UK is still a, a part of despite Brexit, as it is technically a separate institution from the EU, sided with Justice Peel, so all of them also belong in prison. In response to the decision to block Indy from being sent to her country, Italian Prime Minister Georgia Maloney said, we did everything we could, everything possible. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough. Have a safe trip, little uh, Indy. NHS doctors argued that Indy, who was born with a... Uh, mitochondrial disease had no chance of survival and therefore extending her life would only serve to cause further pain. However, Andrea Williams, the chief executive of the Christian Legal Center, the sister organization of Christian Concern, which aided the family in their legal battle, told the Daily Telegraph, doctors cannot be compelled to treat a patient against their conscience, but neither should they be the ones to prevent parents who secure specialist medical treatment for their child elsewhere from accessing that help. Justice is done in the light and in a truly compassionate society protects its most vulnerable. Well, that's not the society we're in. Our society are run by evil pedophiles that want to kill as many people as possible. Lila Rose, the director of the anti-abortion group Live Action, said, Let me be clear, the British government murdered her. They denied the right of Indy's parents to pursue other treatment for her, keeping her captive by the court-mandated medical team that decided Indy must die. The medical team violated their sacred duty to do no harm. By the way, they're going to be doing, especially as MAID becomes more popular, they're going to be killing a lot of people. And in many instances, those people are going to be coerced and killed against their will. She said, this is murder, plain and system, excuse me, plain and simple. It's a stain on the national conscience of the UK. There must be a reckoning, there must be reform, and there must be reparations for the evil acts committed by both the medical teams and the UK courts. Yeah, I would love to see tribunals. It's unlikely, but I would love to see that. That is, there's a long list. There's a long list of people that need tribunals. Hopefully we can at least get a few. Um, this is just, again, they are doing, they're fucking with this kid because he's white. California middle school boy banned for using blackface. Civil rights group claims it was eye black. This is not blackface. This is the shit they put on their face to play football. Okay. Um, now, I think you should be able to wear blackface. You should be able to do anything legal. You should be able to make fun of whoever you want to. You should be able to wear a sombrero. And if someone doesn't like it, they can say, hey, I don't like that. But this is why you cannot have these sacred cows in society that control people. Because they're mainly used as cudgels against white people. And um, this is a prime example of why the, the idea that it should be taken seriously, that blackface should be taken seriously, no, ridiculous. This is why, because it can be used as a cudgel against people as they did with this kid. A California middle schooler was banned from school sports after school officials decided that his over-exuberant use of football eye black painting was an example of racist blackface. It's not even over-exuberant. He, he, as you can, you can tell, um, there's different styles that people wear, and some people, while you know, it's a little more than than usual, but it's like there's like um, I don't know uh, what it's called, but it's like. Uh, horns or whatever like uh, or like i don't know what it's called but it this is a style uh it might not be the most neat 
and uh, perfect application, but it's not blackface. That's ridiculous. The school acted after someone snapped a photo of the eighth grader, only identified as J.A., taken on October 13th at a high school football game. In the photo, uh, the Caucasian boy is seen with black paint covering his cheeks and chin, leaving his proper skin tone only visible for his mouth, nose, eyes, and forehead. Yeah, not blackface. But a week after the game, the boy's principal called the family and told him he was being punished for using blackface. Ridiculous. The teen and his parents say the wild paint job, it's not a wild paint job. It was a joke and was in no way a racial statement. They even claimed that a black security guard joked about the coloring and told them to add even more to the boy's face, but their claims were brushed aside. Well, yeah, because they want to uh, destroy uh, as many people as they can. <clears throat> they were told that the boy was barred from attending any sporting events at the school district. According to the official notice sent to the family, the boy painted his face black at a football game, an act that they claimed was an offensive comment with an intent to harm. Principal Jeff Luna added that the paint was offensive because Morris High School, one of the teams playing at the game the boy was attending, was largely a black school. Who fucking cares? However, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression called the punishment absurd, an absurd overreaction and demands a reversal of the school's decision. As the First Amendment protects J.A.'s non-disruptive expression of team spirit via a style commonly used by athletes and fans, notwithstanding your inaccurate description of it as blackface, fire calls on the school to remove the infraction from J.A.'s disciplinary record and lift the ban on his attendance at future athletic events. Uh, good, I hope they do. They probably won't. Fire adds that the boy's eye uh, blacking emulated the style of eye black worn by many athletes and that such use of eye black began as a way to reduce glare during games, but long ago evolved into miniature billboards for personal messages and war paint. Uh, the, this, Fire said, is very different than blackface, which they described as dark makeup worn to mimic the appearance of a black person and especially to mock or ridicule black people. It has its origins in racist minstrel shows that featured white actors caricaturing black people and generally entails covering the entire face in dark makeup and exaggerating certain facial features. The boy's paint, though, was nothing like racist blackface. I don't like, like, don't even, again, this is why you can't have any of this shit. People have to deal with the emotions of being offended. Okay, so if someone does wear blackface or someone says the word nigger, people are going to have to deal with it like adults. So you can say that you don't like it, you can, uh, you can, you can. If it was done at, at you know, at, at some place where you want to protest it, you can do all of that. But the idea that there has to be sanctions on people, you can't have that because it's mainly sanctions against white people. And then in some instances, th there have been sanctions against black kids in school who also say it, which is also ridiculous. Anyway, this is why you can have none of this shit, none of it. Um. Fire said there's no evidence J.A.'s face paint caused a disruption, let alone a material and substantial one, at the football game or at the school afterward. The complete lack of disruption is unsurprising, as the sight of fans and face paint is familiar to and expected by anyone who's ever attended a football game or other sporting events. So we'll see what happens, uh, but hopefully they get it uh, reversed. Now, this was surprising, although the way it was covered was not surprising. The, the ice jogger that murdered this hockey player has actually been arrested which I'm surprised. 
Um, now, he's probably going to get a slap on the wrist, but the way the media and the Daily Wire reported this, they just call him a man. They call, a man. Now, if it was a white murderer, they would have said white man, white guy, white, 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 white. But in this instance, it's a man. Oh, a man? Huh. English police have arrested a man on suspicion of manslaughter and the death of Minnesota native Adam Johnson, who died after his throat was slashed by the skate of Sheffield hockey jogger uh, Matt Petgrave on October 28th. Johnson was playing for the Nottingham Panthers against the Sheffield Steelers in the Elite Ice Hockey League at the time of the incident. Police did not identify the individual they had taken into custody, of course. Our investigation launched immediately following the tragedy. We've been carrying out extensive inquiries ever since to, pie to piece together the events which led to the loss of Adam in the, these unprecedented circumstances. We've been speaking to highly specialized experts in the field to assist our inquiries and continue to work closely with the Health and Safety Department at Sheffield City Council, which is supporting our ongoing investigation. Adam's death sent shockwaves through many in the community from our local residents here in Sheffield to fans across the world. And what was sick is there was a standing, or was it a standing ovation? There was an ovation amongst the mostly white audience when the murderer was put on the screen at the hockey game yesterday. It's just fucking crazy, crazy. Um, so anyway, yeah, I thought it was on purpose. It's at least manslaughter uh, and it's just incredible. But surprisingly, there was an arrest, so you know, we'll see. Um, this is this doesn't really matter. I mean, I think it's good, but like the media is going to lie anyway, so it kind of doesn't matter. New data shares uh, shatters that the legacy media narrative that Rumble is uh, a right-wing echo chamber. For years, legacy media outlets have taken aim at free speech platforms such as Rumble by suggesting that they are echo chambers that amplify right-wing views. The dismissive framing ignores that these free speech platforms allow a wider range of viewpoints uh, than their pro-censorship big tech counterparts and is likely to dissuade left-leaning, independent, or non-political users from checking them out. But new data from Comscore has shattered this media narrative and revealed that Democrats are the leading political audience on Rumble among 18-plus-year-olds in the U.S., the video-sharing platform also has more unique visitors from independents than Republicans among Americans age 18 and over. Overall, Americans 18 plus, 35.5% um, of Rumble's unique visitors are Democrats, 28.9% are independents, and 21.8% are Republicans, and 126 have no affiliation. Those who haven't fallen for this leg uh, legacy media echo chamber narrative will know that Rumble, Rumble offers far more than right-wing content, high-profile left-wing political candidates, Sports channels, finance channels, and more post their content to Rumble. Despite big tech platforms rarely facing media criticism for it, their policies, which artificially boost certain viewpoints by as much as 20 times and ban a much wider range of views than Rumble, do far more to facilitate echo chambers. Yeah, it's, it's, they just project. It's Solinsky tactics. The truth is that these big tech echo chambers fueled the demand for alternative platforms such as Rumble, which allow users to speak freely. The media's claims that Rumble is a right-wing echo chamber are nothing more than an attempt to dismiss and to diminish Rumble for allowing users to speak freely, complete, 
or compete with the media for views and express viewpoints that challenge the legacy media's preferred narratives. The freedom to speak on Rumble and other free speech platforms has, despite what the legacy media claims, created the opposite of echo chambers, as these come score stats show. So they'll ignore it, but uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, a Newcastle United fan has his membership suspended after tweets about trannies. So you're not allowed to go to sports games in the UK if you don't suck the tranny cock. A Newcastle United enthusiast who is critical of trannies alleged her club membership is on hold since the police launched a probe into her tweet stating, trans women are men. Amazing. The woman who prefers to remain anonymous is a lifelong supporter of the English football club. The Telegraph reported that she had been called in for a police interview following a complaint regarding her tweets wherein she voiced her criticism against lunatic trannies and uh, butchers that harm children. Currently, law enforcement has ceased their investigation. Northumbria police were looking into her social media activity, and during this time, the club informed her of their decision to uh, temporarily freeze her account. It's been surreal, she said. It's taken me completely by surprise. I've had to miss out on a few key matches as well. This has been a rough ride. When asked to comment, Newcastle United chose not to respond. The club notified the woman that suspending any member undergoing police investigation is par for the course and that a purported violation was in conflict with our ground norms. So the norms of this soccer team is to suck the tranny cock. This woman does not suck the tranny cock, so she's in trouble. She's also in trouble with the police because mandatory cock is closer to reality in the UK than it is in America. But make no mistake, mandatory cock is coming. Literal mandatory cock is coming. That's what I believe. We'll see if I'm right. We're almost there. The lesbians have been getting some mandatory cock, so it's not like completely unheard of. But uh, yeah, hell of a thing. Hell of a thing. All right, let's uh, let's get to some videos here. Uh, this is it's just wild. The media narrative is so unhinged, pretending that Donald Trump is Hitler while Joe Biden is literally rounding up and jailing his political opponents. Locations and will not be able to get the care they need. And guess what? There are men that love them, children that need them. This is a real deal, and the Republicans are losing on this in a huge way, thanks again to Donald Trump. Here are, by the way, some more words the Biden campaign can use against Donald Trump in the campaign speech Trump gave in New Hampshire on Saturday. He again praised authoritarian heads of state, claimed Barack Obama is still president of the United States, mocked Possible. the savage beating of Nancy Pelosi's husband. Oh, you know what's interesting? So, I mean, this is, it, it's so obvious what they're doing. So they had the AIDS commie leftist that did hammer time with Paul Pelosi, and he actually testified, and he specifically named James Lindsay and Tim Pool. So it looks like, because uh, I said they're probably going to come after commentators, it looks like Tim Pool and James L Lindsay might be the first two that they do stuff to. Um, but it's crazy. So they're going to blame Tim Pool and James Lindsay for this AIDS commie leftist that lived in a bus that with left-wing propaganda. They're, they're claiming, you know, you had LGBT stuff and Black Lives Matter. They're claiming he's a Trump supporter influenced by Tim Pool and James Lindsay. And to echo the very dangerous rhetoric of some of the world's 
worst fascist leaders. The head of Hungary, a very tough, strong guy, Viktor Orban. Did anybody ever hear of him? Probably, you know, considered very powerful, very uh, powerful. They uh, were interviewing him two weeks ago, and they said, uh, what would you advise President Obama? The whole world seems to be exploding and imploding. And he said, it's very simple. He should immediately resign, and they should replace him with President Trump. You know, we had no terror during my administration. The only terror we had was Nancy Pelosi, who's a crazed lunatic. She's a lunatic. She is a crazed lunatic. What the hell was going on with her husband? Let's not ask. Let's not ask. I'll withdraw that statement. By the way, she's got a wall around her house. Obviously, in that case, it didn't work very well. In honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. All right, let's bring in right now the Rogers chair. The oh, American. how dare you criticize us? He's Hitler. Presidency at Vanderbilt University, historian John Meacham. Uh, John, um, I, 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 I think uh, he should probably uh, give some, pay some royalties uh, to Mussolini's family trust because when he starts talking about rooting out communist, Marxist, radical left, vermin, uh, destroying the country, it is, it How dare you not give nonstop blowjobs to communists? It is, he, he's, he's lifting it from Mussolini and other fascists from the past. Yeah. And from the Third Reich. And uh, the Third Reich, of course, Hitler. Using the 1930s as an example of anything is a fraught. Uh, enterprise. But you are going to do it anyway because you guys have no self-control and you have no new narratives, so you're just recycling the same ones over and over. Oh, he's like Hitler. It is hilarious. So this is... Used to be. It, it certainly, very... John, it, 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 John, it used to be. It used to be. I, I think we can, at this Fair. point, Fair. With, what, what, with what he has shown us, it's not so fraud anymore uh, when you have a guy that, again... Praising violence. I mean, yeah. let me add to that what uh, you just again totally made up. That's completely a lie. Turd. Praising violence against Paul Pelosi. Praise he didn't praise violence against Paul Pelosi. Uh, he didn't do that at all. You're just completely making that up. Praising dictators. She, uh, 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 Kim Jong. Uh, Orban is not a dictator. You're making that up completely. In this case, he praises a guy who. Who, who despises Western democracy, Orban. Um, I, I, I think we can talk about the 1930s now, can't we? Okay. Well, here we go. Because to call your opponents vermin. You call us maggots, asshole. Mm -hmm. To dehumanize them. That's what you do to us, so go fuck yourself. Is to not only open the door, but to walk through the door toward the most ghastly kind. Well, you walked through it first, so this is what you get. ...of crimes. And gives me 
no pleasure to start off a, a Monday morning talking about this, but I, I have a small plea to all of my Republican friends, and I live in Tennessee, so that's redundant, right? I got Republican friends. For all of those folks, think again. Think anew about this. Yeah, guys, could you please finally obey our made-up media narrative? Come on, could you just one time please just let us win? This is not about the age of the incumbent president. This is not about your opinion of the incumbent vice president. No, uh, bitch, this is about the economy. And most people are not going to buy this narrative and be like, what do you mean? He's like, Hitler? What are you talking about? Who's he rounding up? No one. So I'm supposed to vote for a guy that the Washington, D.C. masturbatory elite say is Hitler, and then and then just keep paying these ridiculous prices at the pump in the grocery store? Yeah, no thank you. ...of the United States. This is about your candidate's front-runner, your party's front-runner, who is, in fact, now, as clearly as you can do it, yeah. is putting American democracy, human rights, the rule of law, below his own ambition and the that, again totally made up the other thing is it looked to me as if he were reading that off the prompter right yeah right hey, let, so let me, it wasn't yeah, just let me, let me, good that's probably stephen miller let me show off. you this really quickly. No, he wasn't popping up. Let me show you that Carlos Lozada uh, had some uh, had a, a, an op-ed in, in the Sunday Times with a headline that I'm sure jarred a lot of people. A Trump-Biden rematch is the election we need. He makes a very persuasive argument on that front. Let me read this to you, John. Uh, and... Um, and, and it really does bring into sharp relief how the soul of America is on the ballot in 2024. Trump is running as an overtly authoritarian candidate, writes Carlos. And, uh, the illusion of pivots of adults in the room of a man molded by the office is long gone. He is dismissive of the law, except when he can harness it for his own benefit. Total projection. That's exactly what Biden is doing of open expression, except when it fawns all over him, and of free elections, except when they produce the victories he likes. He has called for the termination of the Constitution. Totally made up. That's completely made up. They're taking a post out of context. That's completely made up. Based on persistent claims of 2020 electoral fraud, and according to the Washington Post, in a new term, he would use the Justice Department as an instrument of vengeance against political opponents. So exactly what Joe Biden is doing. We know who Trump is and what he offers, and John Meacham, to to echo what you have have written, what you have said, uh, this is about the soul of America. I really. Don't think it's an overstatement. Let's go back from the 1930s to 1864. I would, I would be hard-pressed uh, to find an election that matters more in, in 2024 than the election of 1864, where an Abraham Lincoln loss would have preserved slavery in America. Absolutely. If the 17th president of the United States had been George McClellan, uh, there would have probably been a, a peace with the Confederacy that would have revoked uh, emancipation. And slavery, I think, at that point, would have endured into the 20th century.
So that was a vital existential election. I believe this is too. I agree with you. I think that, and I don't think there's any, nobody's fooling us here. Nobody's sneaking up on us. The front runner for the Republican nomination, you should, just, you should play it again, just told us, right? He's not, this is, this is very clear. And because there are certain partisan, you know, partisan brains and partisan instincts and people, you know, can talk them. We all know this. We could all talk ourselves into damn near anything we really wanted to, right? We're all really good at reframing reality in a palatable way. That's a human impulse uh, that is evolutionary, I guess. Uh, we have to resist it. And it's really, really hard. And I'm not pretending it's easy, but it, I think it's a matter of patriotism. I use that word advisedly. I think it's a matter of constitutionalism that you keep this man out of the presidency of the United States. And the fact that I have to, we have to have this conversation yet again is not a great sign, right? And it, it's not hyperbolic. Just listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. And what you have there is the language of hate, the language that leads to cataclysm. And I use that word very advisedly. John, when, when we talk about the soul of America, and, and you referred to the 1864 election uh, that had Lincoln not won, emancipation would have been uh, not fulfilled or, or, or really suspended, and we would have had slavery to the 20th century. Talk about how right now, for those that think it's an overstatement, we have lost a lot of what came out of the social justice movements of the 60s and 70s. We've seen affirmative action overturned by three judges uh, in the Supreme Court appointed by Donald Trump. We've seen Roe versus uh, Wade overturned. I mean, we are literally seeing yeah, a lot of where the it. American people had moved and had, had rallied and had movements toward actually being changed now that would be finished off if Trump was to be reelected. So this is not some scholarly musing. It has already happened. We right. are seeing voting rights being suspended. It's happening. It is yep. happening. Yep, you're right. This is not a This is not musing. Uh, it's, 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 it's not, uh, Reverend, you're right. And I, look, the, the American experiment, I don't need to uh, make this point to you, is as flawed and fallible as you can imagine, right? It's as flawed and fallible as we are, right? In America, you know, democracy is the fullest expression of all of us. And so it's going to have our virtues, but Lord knows it's also going to have our vices. And that's why this is going to be a very close run thing. My point here is that what's on the ballot is not simply policy choices and policy decisions for a given period of time. What's on the ballot is a constitutional order of checks and balances that for all of its flaws produced, helped produce those social movements, produced ultimately the 13th, 14th and 15th amendments. It took us too long, of course, yeah. but it created a more perfect union. 
you take away the Constitution, I say this to my friends in business uh, all the time, if you break the Constitution, what makes you think any contract is safe? Right? If you, if you really look at Orban, if you look at Putin, why is oligarchy out of the question? Why does this sound, you know, be, look, people are going to dismiss this as uh, hysterical. It, yeah, you're, you're a hysterical woman. Uh, Monday morning conversation. But they're wrong no. yes. in this case. Look at what he says, take it seriously, and remember that what's on the ballot here is the capacity of the United States of America to endure with a commitment to the Declaration of Independence. And if you take that away, I don't know how we get it back. Look at what he said. Look at what he's done. We have proof now. We have a full understanding of what a Trump presidency would mean. And they're planning for the next one. Historian John Meacham, thank you. They're nervous. Uh, hopefully they get what they deserve. But now we have uh, the, the uh, previous press whore, Saki, Jen Saki. Uh, this was, again, this was a hysterical, hair-on-fire, coordinated media narrative about Trump being a fascist. I'll be back in a minute. Right now, Donald Trump's language is sounding a lot like someone from history. And I'm not talking about someone that most of you would admire. And as alarming as the rhetoric is, the things he is planning to do should he win re-election are even more disturbing. During his three decades in journalism, Jonathan Carl has earned his reputation as one of the best reporters in Washington. He's tough, I should know. I spent years fielding tough questions from him. And if he is sounding the alarm, which he is, we should all be listening. His new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party, is out tomorrow. It serves as a roadmap of what we can expect from Donald Trump if he ever re-enters the Oval Office. And he's going to take us inside all of that in just a moment. Also later tonight, John Favreau and Tommy Vitor, my former colleagues, they're a Pod Save America frame now. They're going to talk about how President Biden should campaign against a fully authoritarian opponent, because that's what we're talking about right now. And later, Congressman Adam Schiff joins me on the deafening silence from his Republican colleagues. A new Supreme Court code of ethics out today and breaking news just tonight on what former Trump lawyer Jenna Ellis is telling prosecutors in Georgia and what that all means. But first... Let's go back to that historical figure Trump seems to admire so much. This weekend, Trump vowed to root out what he called the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. That's an exact quote. For the students of history out there, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it echoes the language of Adolf Hitler. As he told the Czech foreign minister, among many others, this was language he used frequently, quote, this vermin must be destroyed. Look. Lots of things Trump says are shocking. They are shocking on a daily basis. But it's important to pause on this for a moment, because the former president, who's also the current frontrunner for the Republican nomination and very much could end up back in the Oval Office, is mirroring the dangerous rhetoric Hitler used during the Holocaust. And this wasn't even an isolated incident. In an interview last month, just last month, Trump used graphic dehumanizing language against undocumented immigrants, accusing them of, quote, poisoning the blood of our country. Again, that's the kind of language Hitler used in Mein Kampf when he wrote, quote, all great cultures of the past perished only because the originally creative race died out from blood poisoning. When asked about Trump's rhetoric and how it echoes dictators like Hitler and Mussolini, which it clearly does, his spokesperson said today that for those who claim that it does, which it clearly does, 
Their sad, miserable existence will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House. That sounds like something Hitler or Mussolini's spokesperson would say. But here's the thing. It's not just Trump's fascist language or his fascist ideation, which he clearly has. The piece that should really scare the hell out of everyone are his actual plans. Because as scary as all of this talk is, the plans are even scarier. And that's especially important to pay attention to when he is very much within reach of regaining the White House. Here's just a taste, a little taste, because there's lots, I can't cover all of it tonight, of the unmistakably fascist plans Trump has in store. Locking up his political opponents, prosecuting officials at the FBI and DOJ, using the Insurrection Act to go after peaceful demonstrators, preparing for sweeping raids, sprawling camps, and mass deportations of immigrants. And yeah, there's even new reporting today. There's like everyday new reporting. Reporting from Axios today about his plans to install a pre-vetted army of roughly 50,000 loyalists to centralize and expand his power across every level of government. In this moment, when Trump is using fascist language, which he frequently is, and laying out fascist plans for the White House, it's important to know how we arrived here. It's important to know that this is not just a threat of the past. This threat is very much still present right now. As Jonathan Carl writes in his book, whatever guardrails may have existed before are gone. He no longer has people of stature around him who are- Again, where, where are the guardrails of not, oh, it's this rule, we must follow the Department of Justice rule. We can't indict a person right before an election. You threw that out the window. Are willing to defy his demands and to protect the nation from his most destructive instinct. But it's more than that. It's that his destructive instincts are even more destructive than they were in January of 2021. And joining me now is ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl. He's the author of the new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. So let me start with, I read this. Anyway, I just wanted to cover her opener. And then, of course, gotta have Maddow. Gotta have Rachel Maddow. She brings up, oh, Father Coughlin. This is like Father Coughlin. This story that very much flew under the radar. This weekend, Pope Francis, the head of the Catholic Church, took the very unusual step of removing an American Catholic bishop from his job. This is a very, very rare thing. And the context here matters. You might remember that just before the January 6th attack on Congress, like three weeks before that, in, in mid-December 2020, there was another day of crazy right-wing pro-Trump violence in the streets of Washington, D.C. Do you remember this? December 12th, 2020, a number of people were stabbed. There were brawls in the streets of Washington running. Yeah, a proud boy was stabbed by an Antifa. So, the, But they're pretending that it's the Trump supporters that were stabbing fist fights and battles. This was the day when a Black Lives Matter banner was stolen and burned um, from, a, from a DC church. The largest event in DC that the pro-Trump forces had organized on this day that devolved into violence and running street battles, the largest event pro-Trump forces had organized that day was something called the Jericho March. This was a Mike Flynn thing. This is where um, Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the pro-Trump right-wing paramilitary group, the Oath Keepers, who's now in jail on sedition charges. This is where Stuart Rhodes at this event called for Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act, to use the military in American streets to keep Trump in power. 
This Jericho march was the thing that was timed in Washington to coincide with overturn the election rallies that happened at multiple state capitals all at the same time. And again, this was December 12th, 2020. That night is when we saw the running battles in the streets of D.C. and arson and people being stabbed. This was in, in, in the violence here and the radicalism. This was the pro-Trump radical rights warm-up act for January 6th. And that event, the Jericho March, the headline event of that day, included an address, a speech, from a sitting Catholic bishop, from Bishop Joseph Strickland from the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. A serving bishop speaking at an event that was calling for the overthrow of the U.S. government. Uh, that's a blatant lie. They were not calling for the overthrow of the U.S. government. Total made-up propaganda calling for the overthrow of the U.S. election results, Lie. including by the use of the army, the U.S. military, against U.S. citizens on U.S. soil. This bishop from Texas has been one of the most outspoken members of this strain in the American Catholic Church right now, where there are ultra-right, super-political, pro-Trump priests and Catholic leaders. And, you know, that's not that weird. A lot of organizations have lots of ideological diversity. It's not that crazy to expect that you'd see it in the church. It's not more, more, more crazy than seeing it in any other institution. But the Catholic Church is an institution. And among ultra-right Catholic priests right now, things have been kind of bananas. We've got, for example, one ultra-right priest in the state of Wisconsin calling for Pope Francis to be assassinated calling for the Pope to be murdered. And we've got this bishop in Texas campaigning at a, a stop the steal, overthrow the government by force event. Again, that's not what that event was. You're making that up. And so this weekend, again, a little bit under the radar given everything else going on in the news, but the Catholic Church, the Pope, this weekend removed this U.S. Catholic bishop in Texas. That happened this weekend. And you see this... In history, too, in the 1930s, it was a Catholic priest named Father Charles Coughlin. He had a massive radio audience, 30 million people listening to him weekly at a time when the U.S. population was 130 million people. He became a hugely important figure on the American ultra-right. By 1936, he was telling his listeners that when the ballot became useless in the United States, he would urge them to use bullets instead. He openly endorsed what he called the road of fascism. By 1938, Coughlin was defending pogroms and Nazi mass violence against Jewish people in Germany. By 1939, Coughlin was depicting Jews as a life-sucking octopus that was strangling the United States. By 1941, he was cheering on Nazi military victories in Europe, saying the end result would be that Hitler would create, quote, a United States of Europe, which he said would, quote, appeal to Americans, despite all the propaganda aimed at disparaging it. And so therefore, Americans should root for Hitler to win. By that time, a cell of the armed paramilitary group that he had formed among his radio listeners um, ha had been put on trial in New York for sedition, for, for stockpiling bombs and planning the assassination of multiple members of Congress and the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. By 1942, the U.S. military had banned his publications from being shipped to U.S. military bases. Then his publication was just banned from the U.S. mail. 
after individual radio stations first started to balk at carrying his increasingly pro-Hitler, increasingly anti-Semitic rants, finally the Catholic Church itself pulled the plug on him and told Father Coughlin that his radio days were over, busted back down to the status of just a regular parish priest. And again, in terms of the sort of policing at work here, Charles Coughlin was never criminally charged with anything. We know now that the Justice Department did develop a pretty good case against him as a paid foreign agent for the Axis powers. They also seem to have developed a pretty good case against him for tax evasion, but they didn't charge him. And the important part here is that even without action by the Justice Department and the criminal law, these other institutions stepped up. The U.S. military, the U.S. post office, Crucially and belatedly, the Catholic Church deciding that somebody praising pogroms and preaching violence. And pre so this is a call to arms against Donald Trump, basically, is, is what she's doing here. For the institution of a, a fascist authoritarian dictatorship in the United States, that was not okay with them. Given that he represented the church, that he was part of the church, they finally decided, after years of being too afraid to do it, they finally decided that they would act as an institution to just stop helping this guy, to self-police, to not let him use them as an institution to accomplish what he was trying to accomplish, which they finally decided was too much against their values to stand for. It took years, but they got there. Now, tonight, here's the headline in the New York Times. Quote, accused of echoing fascists, Trump campaign warns its critics will be, quote, crushed. Accused of echoing fascists? I mean, you either are echoing fascists or you aren't. <laughs> Despite the sort of the pulling the punch element of that headline, the subheadline on that story tonight in the New York Times does get there a little more directly. The, sub, the subhead uh, says, quote, the former president likened political opponents to vermin, similar to the dehumanizing rhetoric wielded by dictators like Hitler and Mussolini. Well, again, you've already done that. So you have no leg to stand on now. Laney, uh, the Washington Post headline just got there more directly. Headline, Trump calls political enemies vermin, echoing dictators Hitler and Mussolini. Um, the quote from Trump was this. He said, quote, we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, lie, steal, and cheat on elections, and will do anything possible, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and the American dream. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. The threat from within. The You've already said shit very similar about Trump supporters. Now when someone does it to your side, oh, we're such victims. This is beyond the pale. Vermin. Um, former president made these comments in a Veterans Day speech. They did not appear to be ad-libbed. They appeared to have been written as part of the speech in... Uh, something he read off his teleprompter by all appearances. Even if by some chance they weren't in the teleprompter for that speech, he certainly made clear that he meant them for sure and he meant them just like that when he put them in writing in a social media post that used the exact same language, that used that same word vermin after he, developed, after he delivered the speech in, in, in New Hampshire. <clears throat> And this is not subtle, right? I mean, everybody knows what this means. 
If you know one thing about mass murdering dictators in history, it's that mass murdering dictators. They refer to the people they want to mass murder as mass murder. Now she's saying that he's going to mass murder people. Vermin, pests, rats, insects, termites, right? Anything. To well, make I guess you want to mass murder Trump supporters because Trump supporters have been referred to as maggots for years. Their followers see those people as mm, something to be exterminated, not someone you might know. Professor Ruth Ben-Ghiat, who's the author of the book Strongmen, said today, quote, all of this is part of his effort to re-educate Americans to see violence as justified, patriotic, and even morally righteous. But to get people to lose their aversion to violence, savvy authoritarians also dehumanize their enemies. That is what Trump is doing. Trying to get people to lose their aversion, their natural aversion to violence. And this, this comes at a time when the Washington Post, of course, has recently reported that Trump's advisors are working on a plan to invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office, which would give him the power that the pro-Trump paramilitaries were calling for ahead of January 6th, and give him the power from day one to use the U.S. military, the U.S. Army, against American civilians on U.S. streets. Yeah, I have a sinking feeling, because they are making a big deal about this, that this is what Biden's going to do, like on election night, he's going to like put the military in the street because they always do what they accuse their opponents of doing. It comes at a time when the New York Times is newly reporting as of this weekend that Trump's advisors are planning to build camps in the United States, camps capable of holding millions of people once he is back in office. They plan to put millions of people in camps in the United <laughs> States. Yep, for no reason. No reason at all. They're going to mass murder. So Rachel Maddow is telling her audience, fortunately not many people watch her show, that Donald Trump is going to start mass murdering and putting people in camps as soon as he gets back in the office. This is so hysterical and unhinged. There's no way that the average person, when faced with this fever dream insanity versus prices at the pump, like they care about prices at the pump and the grocery store, the idea that they're going to be like, oh, yeah, well, obviously he's Hitler. I guess I'll sacrifice because I don't want Hitler to be. It's so nonsensical and hysterical. And they plan to do it using the military rather than by passing some new legislation that might make it seem legal. They plan to just do it unilaterally. Again, using the military. Building camps to hold millions of people, using military force against your own people, saying your political opponents are vermin who must be rooted out and crushed to save the country. None of this is subtle. And apparently none of this is an accident. These things aren't being blurted out accidentally, right? They're in the speech. They're in the social media posts. These supposed plans for the new administration are being technically leaked. I mean, as of tonight, the Trump campaign put out a statement officially disavowing all reported plans. But these supposed leaks are also accompanied in many instances by on-the-record interviews with some of Trump's most senior advisors, people putting their name to it and explicitly confirming these plans. And, and, and just, again, to be clear, this talk about exterminating the vermin in this country was not an outlet. He, he didn't say exterminating. What are you talking about? You're just making stuff up?
It's a repeated line now. He wants to be known for this. He wants everybody to know that this is the language he is using. And the fact that it's all happening at once, reporting on the camps they're going to put people in, the military. The fact that it's all happening at once is the, the very consistent and common, frankly, coordinated media narrative that's done throughout regime propaganda. That's why it's all happening at once force against civilians, the vermin speech and all the statements about it. The fact that it is all happening at once presumably means it is not an accident, that they are rolling this out now on purpose. Because why? Because it's exciting to his followers, right? The transgressive thrill. See, now the followers are also just as evil. Of yet more lines being crossed, more people being shocked and scared and insulted and offended. That's the transgressive thrill of Trump's radicalism. Yes, it's an effort to intimidate his opponents, but also to excite his followers, especially as he really does seem to be trying to get them. Right, because his followers get excited about mass slaughter. Excited about the possibility of cathartic violence. Yeah, this is Rwanda radio, straight up. Straight up. It's really, I mean, it's well done. You know, they paint Trump as the, the, the murdering slaughterer. Uh, and and because uh, the goal of this propaganda is to incite violence against Trump supporters and manufacture consent for if they try to do horrible shit to us. So they they paint Trump as the special evil that's going to slaughter people, and then they they pretend that Trump supporters are like getting off on the slaughter and are evil. So it's like it's projection, but it's like the simultaneous like you know, doing the very thing they're accusing their opponents of doing. It's sick. It's sick. Against Trump's enemies. And he knows he's going to get called a fascist for talking this way. He gets for, called a fascist no matter what, because you guys are out of ideas. For, for proposing things like this. He's inviting it. And he's calling all of his... Retard, your guy is doing it right now. Okay, you're the ones that made it clear that you are now in the world of, of um, instead of, you know, elections and kind of like disagreeing, but, you know, not killing each other. Your side decided that now the, what we're going to do is use the government and weaponize it against our political opponents. We're going to use it as a cudgel against our political opponents. Well, in that world now, the game completely changes. So what has to be done is you have to make sure, you know, your side is in control of that cudgel. And so even if all of this stuff you said about Trump is true, you brought it upon yourself because what Trump uh, is trying to do is gain control of the cudgel so you can't kill him and his supporters with it. That's all it is. And you, you're, you picked it up first. So what, what sane person wouldn't, I mean, who, what are you going to just go along with the fact that the Biden regime is trying to imprison us and, and do all this crazy shit? No, of course not. So if there's a way to legally and peacefully resolve this and get the cudgel out of Biden's hand and put it in Trump's hand, and all you got to do is go to the ballot box, well, there you go. That's what we're going to do. That's what makes me think that um, Biden's just going to do something crazy. You know, because they always talk about Trump wouldn't leave the White House, even though he did. Trump was going to use the military. There's just, there's just so few things that you can point to that they haven't yet done that they accused the other side of doing. But those two things 
are, they haven't actually done yet. They haven't actually done that yet. And that gives them the perfect opportunity to try it. And uh, I just don't think they have the self-control to not try to do it. But we'll see. We will see. Opponents, fascists too. Trying to rob that word of its meaning. Call me a fascist, and then I'll call you a fascist, and then it'll that that word will become something that we throw around. And but that's your fault because you have been calling conservatives fascists for like a decade. It doesn't actually attach to anything real, and will thereby rob it of its power. Sure, call me a fascist. I'll call you a fascist too. I mean, that's where we are. And so, so here's here's the question. What is the institution in our country that is going to find that intolerable and that is going to see this as something that's happening on its patch, which it needs to fix? What is the institution that's going to feel the need to self-police when it comes to somebody speaking on their behalf like this, espousing these kinds of things, right? There's no church here to shut down a, a, a Father Coughlin or a Bishop Strickland in Texas. There's no judiciary to launch an ethics inquiry like you might of a judge. There's no criminal law springing into action here. As Americans, we of course have the constitutional right to espouse and say even the worst political ideas without committing a crime by doing so. There's no you know, bar association to yank his law license. There's no radio or TV network to say, we're not hosting your show anymore. What is the institution here that decides this is on their patch? What is the institution here that decides that you can never espouse things like this and also be part of them and also represent them? There is only one. It's his political party. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I have to wonder if you're going to... I wouldn't be surprised because uh, you've already kind of seen it, but if the DeSantis campaign... And the uh, the RNC with Ron and McDaniel, if they actually start to repeat this and use that as a reason to take him off the ballot, or or at least award the nomination to DeSantis against the will of the voters, <clears throat> fascinating, fascinating. Which, when he is running to be the Republican nominee for president of the United States, means that he's contending to lead that party while promising that he will build camps to hold millions of people in this country and he will use the military against American civilians at home in America and his political... Again, that's a made-up lie. And Republicans, who are not uniparty shells, understand that you're lying and that's why they're not going to go along with you. People opponents are vermin who will be crushed and exterminated. Again, you made up exterminated. He did not say exterminated. You're totally making that up. That is the test here. That is the only, he's not running as an independent. He's not running as the Trump for president candidate. He is running as the Republican. He wants to be the Republican nominee for president. And so that is the only institution. That is the institution that is being tested here. This is him testing the political party that he says he's going to lead. Testing them now, one year out from the election, to see what they will tolerate as an institution which means every single member of that party will not have to answer whether this is who they are, whether this is what they stand for, whether this is the cause of their party. We know from history that a country under threat does not stand up for itself 
amorphously with some sort of inchoate civic objection that just redounds to the population at large. It works that way like in fiction and poetry. In real life, a country under threat stands up for itself when the institutions that make up the civic and political life of that country stand up and say what they are for and what they can no longer stand. There is only one institution in this country that is implicated by what he is doing, and he is testing them. And that is the point where we are now. He has forced it there. What now? Crazy, crazy shit. What a lunatic. Okay. Then, of course, uh, here comes the Young Turks. Oh, it, it doesn't get more fascist than this. Hilarious. Today, especially in honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible. They'll do anything whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. Over the weekend, former President Donald Trump suggested that um, the left, including communists and Marxists in America, are vermin and enemies in America. Of course, he attacked his political enemies and used the kind of rhetoric that some would say you should be careful and avoid using. He doubled down on Truth Social, saying that in honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communist, Marxist, fascist, and radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, lie, steal, and cheat on elections, and will do anything possible, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and the American dream. What stood out to me about the video that we opened this segment with was the muted response from his supporters. Using rhetoric like that, you would assume that they would go wild and crazy and love it, but they didn't, which was good to see. Well, you're, you're making a bigger issue of it than it is. It's a part of a speech. It's a part of a speech. This is not, you're just... Yeah, Trump supporters aren't the way that you paint them. And they also are not reading into this what you are, because you're, of course, uh, you're a whore and you are do you will do as you're told, even though you pretend that, oh, this is the new and improved Young Turks. No, you have just been given talking points that Donald Trump is a fascist and that he said, oh, I can't believe he said this at his at his rally. And, uh, and, and now you're trying to paint his supporters in a bad light, but they're not, they don't, they know this is bullshit. They they are not reading into it like you are, to say the least. But yeah, I mean, I don't know the relative excitement of that crowd on other topics. Right. But okay, look, this is super dangerous as usual with Donald Trump. Uh, vermin is a very specific word. It's in the teleprompter. Well, again, you you call us terrorists. Many of you, like David Pakman, call us maggots. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Why somebody wrote that? Uh, so it was. Uh, they did it with forethought. They did it consciously. They wanted to use the word vermin, which is kind of an unusual word to use. And yes, it is the exact word that fascists used both in Italy and in Germany. Well, I guess you guys are fascist too, because you've done the same thing. So this is now how many times in a row? It's, it's, it's kind of weird that they're trying to tell us that they're fascists. It's, I don't know if it's someone inside the Trump team that's 
like sending out an SOS or something. Because earlier Trump had said immigrants are poisoning the blood of our nation, which is also a very specific Nazi quote uh -huh. that literally no one else uses. No one else and so ever used it. This is and 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 Hitler also talked about the enemies within, and you have to target them and you have to root them out. And and then when asked about this, Trump's team responded with, "We're going to crush their existence." About the left, so they're saying, "Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. This is what we're doing. What are you going to do about it?" And right now, the Democrats aren't doing much about it because he's leading. Well, they're a little distracted right now, aiding and abetting the slaughter of Palestinian civilians in Gaza. But let's get back to this story. Ronna McDaniel, who's the head of the Republican National Committee, was asked about Trump's comments. Let's hear what she had to say. Are you comfortable with this language coming from the GOP front runner? Again, I am not going to comment on candidates and their campaign messaging. I will say this, I know President Trump supports the veterans, our whole party supports our veterans. And I do think we're at a various, very serious moment in our country. Well, former Republican lawmaker Liz Cheney didn't take kindly to Ronna McDaniel just oh, deflecting. Liz Cheney said a thing, Oh, like everyone cares. And refusing to answer the question. When GOP chairwoman refuses to condemn the GOP's leading candidate for using the same Nazi propaganda that mobilized 1930s, 1940s Germany to evil, it's fair to assume she's collaborating. History will judge Ronna McDaniel and every Republican who is appeasing this dangerous man. Naturally, Trump's campaign has responded in their usual way. You've got Stephen Chung, who is the campaign spokesperson for Donald Trump saying, those who try to make that ridiculous assertion are clearly snowflakes grasping for anything because they are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome and their entire existence will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House, thus proving the point that the critics are making about the use of the word. You know. We are arresting you and trying to put you in jail for the rest of your life. But your campaign uses rhetoric that we don't like. These people are the biggest cry bullies ever. The, the, the vermin word and the rhetoric that Trump used uh, during that speech. No, they're trying to tell us, look, man, we didn't, it's not like we didn't warn you. We used exact fascist terminology that almost no one else uses. And then when asked about it, we said, yeah, we're gonna crush their existence. How much clearer did they need to be? And let alone the fact that Donald Trump has already had dinner with Nazis. Oh yeah. He said there's very good people. Yeah, he's had dinner with Nazis. That's not made up at all. People on the Nazi side, Again, how much up. clearer did he have to be? Again, I love how you cite total bullshit as evidence to make your case. And then you get upset where people when people don't go along with it. Currently, the Democrats are losing to him. Okay, uh, and and I'm just going to say one yes, random thing. Further showing that no one buys your goddamn bullshit. Thing about Ronald McDaniel because it bothered me. She said, "No, I'm not going to comment about that." But you know that the Republicans love veterans. Wait, we weren't asking about veterans. We were asking about the lunatic thing that Trump said on Veterans Day, and it has nothing to do with anything. You see this needless, like the silly uh, sophomoric. Distraction there, but by the way, is it true that Donald Trump likes veterans? Not at all. He once asked New York City to clear out veteran vendors yeah. from in front of his building. He said they were ruining the uh, the name of the street that he was on yep. by being there and bothering him. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, his charity had to pay back veterans charities for ripping them off. This guy's a disgusting guy mm -hmm. who never cared about veterans, let alone 
the, the fascist propaganda he's purposely using over and over again. Absolutely. All right, uh, do you want to get into violence? And I love it, I love it because, now, I mean, look, on the one hand, it's serious because I, I don't think it's just going to be rhetoric. Like in 2016, it was just rhetoric, mostly, right? In 2016, it was, you know, the basket of deplorables comment. It was uh, all of this really crazy shit, but they didn't really hurt people. That's all changed now. You know, you had the Floyd riots, uh, COVID. Uh, currently, what you're seeing now with these raids on people's houses, this is a totally different ballgame now. And so they, they're like rolling out these narratives. They're being hysterical. They're obviously not going to work. They're not working. And then I think that's when, like, I think they're going to start, like, arresting people. Um, and that's why I think, I hope I'm wrong about this, by the way. And look, I've been critical of Tim Pool, but I don't want to see Tim Pool get arrested. That's fucking ridiculous. Okay. David Pakman? Yeah, I would laugh my ass off if David Pakman got arrested. But Tim Pool, you know, being, being shit on the vaccine and the uh, election... I don't think that's just not. And and, I, and when I say shit, he's not shit on the vaccine like David Pakman and Sam Cedar are. He at least says, talk to your doctor. OK, um, you know, he's not telling people that myocarditis is mild, okay, as far as I'm aware. Um, but the reason I bring up Tim Pool is because Tim Pool and James Lindsay today were mentioned. So rarely would um, a person in Dave DePappy's situation testify. Okay, there's the trial going on, the Hammer Time trial, you know, where P Paul Pelosi and, you know, he was allegedly hit in the head with a hammer and had to get his skull replaced, according to the media narrative. I don't know what the fuck that means. I'd like to see some medical records. We've not been given any medical records, so I have no idea what happened. I think he probably got hit in the head with a hammer, but I don't know how hard. I don't know what the, I just have no idea. Okay, and the media lies about everything, so if it was minor injuries, I wouldn't be surprised. But anyway... They got this obvious leftist, this guy who was a nudist, uh, who lived on a bus uh, which had like LGBT flags and Black Lives Matter flags. They're pretending the guy's a Trump supporter. So they have the guy testify, and the guy specifically names Tim Pool and James Lindsay. I think that's on purpose. I think that's on purpose. And I think that's probably now who they're going to target. So as... as as the polling continues to show that Biden is unpopular, that people are not paying attention to these unhinged media narratives, then they're going to continue to ratchet up the persecution. I hope I'm wrong about that, but that's what I think the difference is this time around. They didn't really do that in 2016, mainly because they thought they were gonna win. They, they really didn't think Trump was gonna win. Now they're, they're, they're like a cornered animal and uh, like I said, I hope I'm wrong about all this, but uh, I, I just I think they're gonna do crazy shit, and we'll see. And and the Young Turks and David Pakman and Destiny, they're all gonna defend the Biden regime, and no matter what they do, perpetrates it, or should we wrap it up and move on? Uh, in terms of the terrorists, yeah, like who commits more violence in the country? Look, if you're talking about politically motivated violence, according to the statistics in recent years, it's carried out by right-wing extremists in the okay, country. So that's totally made up. Okay, it's obvious, I'll give you the numbers and just- Again, it's completely made up, it's a total fabrication. Moment. But I think there's a side of this that can help you understand why 
conservative voters think that the left is supportive of violence, okay? I think that we're talking past each other and I'll explain what I mean in just a moment. So let me give you the details, okay? So in another point during his rally speech, Trump talked about growing threats of violence in America and pinned it on a very specific political group, let's watch. I will immediately restore and expand the Trump travel ban on entry from terror play countries. Which was a big thing, you know, we had no terror during my administration. The only terror we had was Nancy Pelosi, who's a crazed lunatic. She's a lunatic. She is a crazed lunatic. What the hell was going on with her husband? Let's not ask. Let's not ask. I'll withdraw that statement. By the way, she's got a wall around her house. Obviously, in that case, it didn't work very well, did it? It didn't work. So he's making light of the fact that a lunatic attacked Nancy Pelosi's husband with a hammer. He got hit over the head with a hammer. And look, I, regardless of where your political loyalties lie, you shouldn't be supportive of or you should never make light of. Bitch, you defended on multiple occasions people who have murdered Trump supporters. Now maybe, you know, if I was generous, and I'm not, not with these people, but let's pretend I was being gener generous. And I gave you Ashley Babbitt and said, oh yeah, uh, they, they, okay, it was fine. It's not fine, but let's just for the sake of argument. Uh, let's pretend I'm being generous. You defended Michael Reinel. So I, I, like, you have no ground to stand on here whatsoever. Violence, period. I would not in any way support violence against you, people. You defended Michael Rhino, 100%. I disagree with politically. We're supposed to live in a country that dukes things out at the ballot box. I, 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 gotta, I gotta make a video out of this. I haven't made one of these in a while. I gotta put the Michael Rhino uh, shit right next to this in a video, I've got, I've got to do that. Not through violent acts and here you have Trump that. totally minimizing that brutal attack against Nancy Pelosi's husband. I've got no love for Nancy Pelosi, but again, that kind of violence is unacceptable. There he is making light of no, it. No, no, he's a monster guys. They, monster. Paul Pelosi got uh, oh, okay. smashed over the head with How about that. about this homo, were you a monster when you defended Michael Rhino? Hammer, and he's like, what's going on with the husband? That's He's egging on a conspiracy theory. That how his like his the Trump fan that nearly Again, murdered the not a Trump fan that's completely made up. The guy was somehow his lover or something. The loony total totally mental asylum it, uh, conspiracy theory. It's a mental asylum conspiracy theory to believe that it was possible that Paul Pelosi was a homosexual. <laughs> okay, and then Trump's okay. like joking around about it. <laughs> like well like he had it coming. He's joking about how his political opponent's husband was smashing the head with a hammer. Yeah, like you joked about, Oh, again, this is also, I'm gonna put this in the video, how you were joking about Rand Paul getting beat up. Oh, you motherfucker, see, I love the internet. The internet is just a wonderful place because it's all there, it's all on the internet. It's, it's there, and even if it's not there, there's somebody watching that can get it. Remember, I, I, for the love of me, couldn't find this article about Raphael Ganowitz. I could, I just couldn't find it. And I'm also a normie. I'm not like, you know, it's not like, I'm good at finding shit. I just, I just, for the love of me, couldn't find it. I mention it. I, I don't even get into detail. I just kind of mention there was a great article about Raphael Ganowitz. This guy, he was, he like, killed commies for a living and it legally, legally, okay. 
And like I don't know, five minutes later, a guy's like, "Hey, here's that article," and it was, it was the article, it was in, it was in the Wayback Machine or something. So, so all of their videos, even the ones that they delete, they, they usually don't delete their videos, but m most of their videos, they're just on the internet, and so they'll they'll make these ridiculous statements, and all you got to do is just play their previous coverage right next to what they're saying. It's fantastic. What kind of a monster does that? <laughs> well, you're a monster then. Look, I, I don't even want to put this thought into the world, but, but I have to do a comparison. Imagine if some psycho- Beat up Rand Paul. Smashed Melania's head in with a hammer. Or broke the ribs of Rand Paul. And, there, and Joe Biden was joking about it. No, it would be outrageous. <laughs> yeah, what's going on with oh, How about when Steve Scalise was shot and they said it was because of his political views of guns? How about that, remember that? Melania, what's going on with Melania? I bet she had it coming. <laughs> Their walls didn't work. <laughs> a crazed lunatic does that. The Republicans, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> this guy's joking around about a, a. Oh, you don't like what he's joking around about? Oh, that's serious, because you know, joking is serious business. A guy who nearly murdered Trump's political. Opponents. Well, well, that, well, that hasn't been established. That hasn't been established. Husband, and you think that's okay? That's not okay. This guy screams fascist in everything he does, everything he says. <laughs> we cannot let the. Uh, is he going to joke around more, guys? <laughs> is he going to joke around more? Yeah, I imagine he's going to joke around more. And we're all going to joke around more. I love joking around because you take it so serious. It's hilarious. Getting smashed in the head with his crazed supporters. Ha 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 ha, so funny. And if you think that's funny, there's something wrong with you. You're sick. <laughs> this is great. I love this is gonna be. If they weren't hurting people, this would be like fun in games. It would be fun in games if they weren't hurting people. But that's the problem. They're hurting people. It makes it kind of like, you know. I mean, joke about anything. I'm not I'm not talking from that standpoint. It's just that it's unfortunate that there's going to be people that get their lives fucked up because they can't take an L on a election. And that's gonna be, it's just, uh, it's a hell of a thing. Now, Biden is bleeding support from black and Latino voters. He is in, he's just in trouble here. He is in trouble. <laughs> and, and it looks like, and it looks like that, that the counter is gonna be- Much of the labor here, is gonna Latino. Be to tell these people who are getting destroyed financially, okay? People, it's, I mean, look, everyone's getting affected uh, other than like rich people. Whether grocery store, energy prices, it's fucking insane, right? And th their idea is to tell them, well, Trump's like Hitler. Yeah, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. You know, immigrants living paycheck to paycheck. Many now view the Trump years as better for their bottom line. Some Latino community say when Trump was a president, we don't have high gas or inflation. Who says that President Joe Biden isn't a trendsetter? He absolutely is. He's a real trendsetter for the Democratic Party. And the trend that he has set is the bleeding of support among black and Latino voters. In fact, CNN was in Georgia, a swing state, talking to Latino voters to see where their hearts and minds are at when it comes to the upcoming presidential election. Now, Biden remains defiant, he remains incredibly selfish. He doesn't wanna drop out of the race. He's very likely to be the Democratic incumbent nominee, which means there's some likelihood that Democrats are gonna lose 
to Donald Trump, the likely Republican nominee. Mm. And keep all mm. of that in mind as the heart of the Biden reelection campaign is really, ooh, Trump bad, Trump dangerous, Trump will dismantle our democracy. Well, you just did that. Certainly isn't acting like it. Now, why don't we hear more from Latino voters in Georgia? who explain what it is exactly that they are experiencing during the Biden administration that's making them reconsider their vote for him. Let's watch. Are you happy with your vote for Joe Biden? Mm, well, I didn't see something like really change, like and I didn't see changes in, so I was expecting something. Gabriele Martinez was expecting better. Both she and her husband work, they have one child, six-year-old Roman. Every month, a struggle. Right now, I work in three jobs because I have to like pay more things, like my house is more expensive. Oh, your housing is more expensive and you have to work three jobs in order to pay your rent or your mortgage? I mean, this isn't a... Un, this isn't an uncommon situation. This is something that a lot of Americans are facing across the board. The housing crisis is something that the federal government has certainly ignored. Obviously, on a local level, we need politicians who actually give a damn and are willing to fight back against the NIMBYs, as they call it, to build more housing. None of that is happening. But the fish rots from the head down, and the Biden administration is getting blamed for a lot of the economic heartache that Americans are feeling, including many of the voters who were thought to be mainstays of the Democratic electorate, the Democratic base, black and Latino voters. Now, the polling doesn't look so great for Biden. We've talked about a lot of different polls that show that Biden is sliding down the polls, whether it has to do with swing states, whether it has to do with certain demographics that Democrats have traditionally done really well with. And I wanna give you some more information about recent polls and what they're saying about Biden. According to Axios, it's clear from consistent trends across multiple polls that Biden is bleeding support among Hispanic voters and black voters, especially younger ones and especially in swing states. Things are looking mm. real great for Biden, right? There's oh, more. Yeah. Biden is morphing into Trump when it comes to his base. It's old and white voters who seem most solid in their support. Quote, Biden has retained the entirety of his support among older white voters. The New York Times as Nate Cohn writes. And of course, just to dip back into that New York Times Siena College poll, which we did extensive coverage of last week. You should know that when it comes to certain demographics, Biden not doing so well, Biden's support among non-white voters dropped a whopping 33 points compared to 2020 results. And I wanna pause for a second because remember, Biden did well in the popular vote for sure. But we don't decide presidential elections based on the popular vote, as you all know. If you look at how Biden performed in the swing states, he barely won by a slim margin. So when it comes to swing states, he needs all the support he can get. And the fact that he is bleeding support among black and Latino voters, the fact that he's bleeding support among those in swing states should be alarming to a party that is incessantly fearmongering about the inherent danger that another Trump term would pose to our democratic system, our democratic process. But they sure don't act like they see Trump as a threat. Because if they genuinely saw Trump as a threat, there would be this urging of Biden 
to step down, to actually follow through on his promise to not run for re-election. He said he was gonna run for one term and be done with it. Obviously he lied and obviously he is just undeterred, unwilling to look at the facts on the ground and make a decision that would be far better for the future of the country, but he's unwilling to do that. There's more, Trump support among black voters popped to 22 points, which the Times called unseen in presidential politics for a Republican (laughs) in modern times. Trump has increased his support among black voters. He's also increased his support among Latino voters. And why is that? Well, obviously you have Trump constantly touting how great the economy was under his watch. No, 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 see, see, this is where like when you lie about the election and you say the reason people believe the election was stolen is because of what Trump says. You're doing the same tactic here. You're pretending that the reason these people think the economy was bad and and was good under Trump is because Trump's saying it. No, they fucking lived through it. There's nothing you can do about that. They lived those years. We all lived those years. Those years were way better, okay? You can put aside uh, uh, the, the COVID year, the last year of his administration, fine, no problem. They remember those three years as being good. It has nothing to do with what Trump is saying. To some extent that was true. And you know, a lot of the blame that Biden is getting right now isn't necessarily his fault. Um, now, inflation is a huge problem, right? But inflation is, it has different causes depending on which sector of the economy you're looking at. He could have done something to help Americans when it comes to the housing crisis, but he fell short on that. And that is one of the biggest areas of inflation that is just absolutely destroying the personal finances of American families across the country. Oil prices are obviously extremely high. What you pay at the pump, it's gone down a little bit, but all throughout the summer, it was extremely high. Paying for gas was unbearable. And high gas prices translates to inflation everywhere else in the economy. Because think about it, you gotta transport products. Remember, you know, it's funny, now she's like acknowledging these things, but like a year ago, she was pretending that, uh, you know, uh, it was all the corporations. Uh, being greedy and that it was OPEC and there was nothing you could do at home to affect energy prices and, and, and inflation wasn't happening. Now she's a little bit off narrative and part of it is because she's trying to pivot. And, and I think that's, that's uh, the only reason. The cost of transporting the products is higher due to high fuel prices. Then the products that you're buying are going to see an increase in price. One of the things that Biden tried to do was he went to Venezuela and he worked with them to lift some of the sanctions likely to increase the oil supply by the OPEC plus cartel. But Americans have been drowning economically for quite some time now and the help hasn't come soon enough. It hasn't made really much of a dent when it comes to the stability that Americans are facing and it is hurting Biden in the polls. So if they think that all they need to do is Fearmonger about Trump, and that's somehow going to convince people who have, you know, turned on Biden. I think they're mistaken, and I think they're playing with fire. Biden's lead among Hispanics is in single digits in the six swing states polled. 
Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Democrats typically win among Hispanics by 30 plus points, but not anymore. And look, it's not just the New York Times poll either. A CNN poll earlier this month showed Biden with only four, with a 4% lead over Trump among Latino registered voters. Do you guys understand how disastrous that is? As long as I could remember, Democrats had the black and Latino vote on lock. Now, they're significantly bleeding support among Latino voters. The majority of black voters still support the Democratic Party. But the fact that more and more black voters are turning on the Democratic Party and kind of eyeing Trump for a second term should tell you a lot about where the hearts and minds are of the American electorate and how frustrated they are with the situations in their households, with their finances. They don't feel that the government is looking out for them. Now, take that frustration and couple it with one of the few speeches that Biden has given to the American public. I mean, you don't really see him out in public that often. He doesn't do regular press conferences. Oh, But he, he got ready and he was willing to give a speech demanding that Congress approve $106 billion in war funding. See, when it comes to war funding, when it comes to us serving as an ATM for either Ukraine or- So what, what is she, two years late on this narrative? She's two years late now. Now suddenly she's against, against all the, the funding for the war. Israel, there's no question about it, right? We shouldn't have a debate. When it comes to increasing the funds for our you know, defense department, there's really no debate about it. It's a bipartisan effort. That type of legislation passes easily. But when it comes to helping Americans who are struggling right now, that's when the nickel and diming happens. And Americans aren't stupid, they see it. They see those debates, they see the dumb excuses, the nonsense about the Senate parliamentarian and the legislative filibuster in the Senate that prevents the passage of these economic policies that would benefit the lives of Americans. We didn't hear anything about the you know, legislative filibuster in the Senate when Trump was president. We didn't hear anything about the Senate parliamentarian when Trump was president. Because Trump had no problem pressuring and, and bullying, coercing, whatever he wanted to do, whatever he needed to do to get what he wanted. But with Biden, it's interesting how he won't even fight for his own policies. And the American people see it. They're not blind, they're not stupid. Now, the economy is definitely not an area where voters are giving Biden a lot of credit, despite Bidenomics, if you will. Higher interest rates are also hurting Americans. It's obviously far more expensive to borrow, far more expensive to take out a mortgage for a home. And according to yet another poll, a new poll by the Financial Times and University of Michigan, 31% of Democratic respondents said that since Biden moved into the White House in January of 2021, they have become either somewhat or much worse off, while just 24% said their position has improved. A combined 16% say they are somewhat or much better off under Biden, just 16% guys. While 32% say they're somewhat worse off and 23% say they're in a much worse financial position. And we also know that Latino voters are unhappy about more than just the economy. So why don't we hear yet another Latino voter in Georgia and what he had to say about what it's like living in Biden's America. Patino says he's a Democrat, but worries about the economy 
and crime. Here in Atlanta, he says many people are thinking bad things about murder and crime. Diego Monsalve has lived in Atlanta and cut hair for 17 years. The candidate who will get his vote? The one he believes will improve both the economy and bring down crime. Do you have a candidate in mind or are you in the medio, are you in the middle? So you're open to Democrat or Republican? I was under the impression that Democratic voters aren't concerned about crime at all, that it's all made up in their heads, that they have a perception of crime. But crime actually doesn't exist. There's no crime wave, no one's concerned about it. Everything is hunky-dory and we should all just shut up and accept you know, what the situation is on the ground. We see increases in car thefts, property crime. In some cities, depending on where you live, you'll see a pretty sharp increase in violent crime. But it's okay, Democratic voters love it, they support it. Isn't it interesting that when that she does these segments on her own, Cenk is usually not, I mean, there are probably a couple examples that he is there, but usually she's on her own during these segments. That's fascinating, that's very fascinating. They're totally fine with it. Uh, we should ignore when they bring up these issues because they don't really mean it, right? Now, last week I shared details about how Biden has lost a significant amount of support among Arab Americans, especially in states like Michigan, a swing state that's incredibly important for Biden if he wants to win in 2024. Uh, we've talked about the Latino vote in this segment. So keep those two demographics in mind. As you hear one of his minions, Jen Psaki on MSNBC, engage in the very fear mongering that I was referring to earlier to basically browbeat Americans into voting for someone who they're unhappy with. Well, Let's watch. He also has plans for sweeping raids of undocumented immigrants. Birdface, you just did that in the last video. You, the last video we watched was the Young Turks version of what Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow just did. You just did it too. It was called, it doesn't get more fascist than this, right here. You just did it. And I think you were wearing the same shirt, were you not? Is this the same? It was literally the same episode. It's the same episode. What the fuck is going on? Amazing. Mass deportations and the creation of giant camps. He wants to restate the Muslim ban, something he also repeated this weekend. And when he was asked about this, about it this week, about how the US can stop the killing of innocent people in the Israel-Hamas war, he basically said we should just let it all play out. And yet, the hand-wringing and cocktail party speculation about an alternative to Joe Biden is continuing, will continue. Guess what? Joe Biden isn't perfect. No candidate is, by the way. But we have to understand what the alternative is here. Joe Biden sucks. We all acknowledge that. But Trump is scary and bad. And he's going to do all of these culture war things that you're not gonna like. Look, it worked in 2020. And what helped Biden in 2020 was no, how- No, it didn't. Uh, mail-in ballots, uh, fraudulent mail-in ballots are mainly what helped. Poorly, Donald Trump handled the coronavirus pandemic. I'm not so sure it's gonna work this time around. I really don't think it will. And again, if the Democratic establishment is genuinely convinced that Donald Trump poses a significant threat to this country and our democratic process, 
they need to act like it and they need to run better candidates. But Biden's selfish, he's defiant, and would rather risk it all because he just wants to serve a second term. It's all about him and we're supposed to pretend like it's not selfish. Completely wild. All right, uh, now this is uh, David Pakman. Shocking Trump audio confirms our worst fears. ABC's Jonathan Carl appeared yesterday on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and brought with him some extraordinary audio recordings of conversations that he had with Donald Trump. I'm going to play some of these conversations for you. And the first clip is completely and utterly off the wall. And in this clip, it, it, it let's just play. I don't even understand how to explain this to you. Trump seems to really believe that there's a path for him to be reinstated president. This is after he's left office. This is after Joe Biden is president of the United States. We continue to talk about who are the true believers who are the ones just saying this stuff. Earlier in the show, I told you I believe Carrie Lake is not a true believer. I think she's a I believe in saying whatever I need to say in order to get attention from people. And maybe that's that Trump won. Maybe it's not. Mike Pillow, I've said, I think is probably a true believer. With Trump, it's harder to know. But here is a recording in which Trump genuinely seems to be saying he believes there is a way for him to be reinstated president just in the middle of a presidential term. Take a look. Six months after Biden's inauguration, seemed to think that he could be reinstated. And we have a little audio uh, from your interview we're going to play, and then I want to talk to you about it. By the way, when you had a release recently, you said 2024 or before. What, what, what do you mean by that? You, you don't really think there's a way you would get reinstated before the next election. I'm not going to explain it to you, Jonathan, because you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't either understand it or write it. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, this is incredible, and this is one of the things for all the— Well, I mean, how is that any different than when Lawrence Tribe or Larry Lessig had the theory about Hillary Clinton getting in the office by way of some sort of weird Paul Ryan thing? No one was saying that that was terrorism or illegal or, or some sort of mental illness. It's just a theory. People have theories. Some people have a theory that Trump could have been reinstated. I didn't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. But there's no danger to it. People are allowed to have opinions. All the things that you saw over the course of the Trump presidency, this one really stood out to me for the post-presidency. Mm -hmm. Mike Lindell, the my pillow, election denying, you know, got he he was out saying that Trump was going to be reinstated, and he had an oddly specific date. He said August. 13th. This was right before that. Shortly before. And this was right before that. I figured this was like a QAnon wacky thing that was out there. I, but but I saw this press release that he put out. And it wasn't a press release about it. It was about something else. And then he, it was actually criticizing NBC. Mm. Uh, but the last lines of it were 2024 or before. And that's why I asked if he and, and you can see he's like, I'm not going to explain it to you. So he's not denying it. But what I found is he was actively pursuing this. He was talking about it with everybody who would listen privately, um, and he seemed to truly believe that there was going to be a series of steps that would happen in these states that he lost, and that Donald Trump was going to be able to go back into the White House, Joe Biden was going to be evicted, and that there's, there's a story, I mean, it's not, by the way, just six months. 
because what I learned is that... That interview was about six months Yes, ago. yes, but he kept on going on yes. into, into last year, into 2022. He actually went to Mo Brooks, who he had endorsed running for Senate uh, in Alabama. Who's quite conservative, I think people Mo, should Mo be. Mo Brooks, I mean, let's put it this way. He wore body armor right. to, the, to the... This is, you know, you could really forget everything else that Donald Trump did just on the basis of that and that belief that Biden's president, but they might be able to go and get me back into the Oval Office somehow. They might be able to do it somehow. I don't exactly know how. Just that alone is arguably disqualifying. How is that disqualifying? Being open to theories is disqualifying. How desperate are you? Oh, my God. They are so desperate to find anything. So Mike Lindell believes something and then he said something to Trump and Trump was like, yeah, maybe they'll let me back in. Who cares? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal at all. Trump from the presidency. And as we all, I think, understand, if you do remove a sitting president, they don't bring back the last guy. There's a line of succession. And that's missing from so many of these discussions about how this actually works. Here's the full story about Mo Brooks and what Trump had cooked up with Congressman Mo Brooks. Kept on going on yes. into, into last year, into 2022. He actually- I would not be surprised if David did a video about that Paul Ryan thing that Lessig came up with. I wouldn't be surprised. They went to Mo Brooks, who he had endorsed Supporting it, for course. Senate uh, in Alabama. Who's quite conservative. By the way, I disagree with Jen Psaki. Mo Brooks, there's nothing conservative about Mo Brooks. He's an extremist ideologue. There's nothing conservative about him, but okay. I think people Mo, should Mo be Brooks, I mean, let's put it this way. He wore body armor right. to, the, to the speech outside the White House on January 6th. He was the first guy to lead the objections in Congress to Biden's certification. So anyway, so Mo Brooks, he, he called Mo Brooks up and um, again, on an unannounced call, and Mo Brooks told me he picked it up and, and he made a series of four demands of him. Uh, and the demands were all related to this reinstatement thing. He wanted Brooks to go out and call on Biden to be removed from the White House, <laughs> call for a rerunning of the election, and, uh, and for Trump to be reinstated as president. And Mo Brooks, again, in a pretty extreme Trump diehard, yeah. said, no, that's unconstitutional. I can't do it. And Trump then a few days later withdrew his endorsement. But this is what was going on. He really... Go thought that something was going to happen, the cyber ninjas audit in Arizona and everything else, that it was all going to come to this big culminating moment. This is based on actual conversations with Trump. And it seems to answer the question, did Trump actually? So there are there are two different but related questions. Did Trump really think he won? The answer might be no. Trump seemed to believe that there was a way to get reinstated whether he really believed that he won or not. We have to understand that although these are related questions, they are separate questions. Trump might have believed he lost, but that he still could figure out a way to get back in the Oval Office. This alone, there are 10,000 other reasons why Trump has no business being president. This alone would be a reason (laughs) Trump has no business being president. One more clip from this interview. Trump, I guess, denied to Jonathan Carl that he threatened to leave the Republican Party and run independent. It was pretty widely reported at the time. But here Trump says, I didn't do that. When you got on the plane, you had a call from Ronna McDaniel. Do you recall? Do you recall that phone conversation? 
No. Because uh, you you would. What did she say? That you. What did she say? Uh, that you told her you were going to leave the Republican Party. Hey, this is the sickest thing I've ever heard. I, it never says any such thing. You mean I was going to form another party? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's bull. Okay, it never happened. Now. As you heard, Trump denied pretty vehemently there that he has ever said anything like that. The RNC actually tried to deny it, too, until Carl reminded them that his source had confirmed the story in a recorded interview. It's very awkward. It shows you <laughs> just how uncomfortable Donald Trump's relationship with the party's establishment has been. Also, it's interesting that Trump would deny something that was already confirmed on the record by other people. So the level of depravity here higher than we thought, certainly higher than we thought. The implications for 2024, it's no different. We got to make sure this guy doesn't get anywhere near the Oval Office again. But extraordinary audio from Jonathan Carl. And listen, th this is why people record things so that later when they are denied, you go, well, here I have the recording and here's what you said. Think of your most personal emails. If you're using a free email provider. Uh, OK, whatever. Uh, let's see. Trump has a major cognitive episode during a oh it was a scary rally David were you scared oh it's scary the rally Donald was scary. Trump had a major cognitive episode no, sure during a dystopian authoritarian rally dystopian. in Claremont New Hampshire over the weekend what happened at this rally has pushed the Trump cognitive decline story mainstream corporate media is now talking about Trump's cognitive decline. Trump's Republican challengers are now talking about Trump's cognitive decline. We've been seeing it coming for a very long time. And it wasn't just us. It's not, you know, a pat on the back, although I'll take it, please. Uh, but it was not just us who saw this coming. Here is Donald Trump again. He says, I'm going off teleprompter and once again seems to think that Barack Obama is currently the president of the United States. You know, one story. Quick so very, uh, very disingenuous. Uh, he doesn't think Obama is the current president inside the White House instead of Joe Biden. The argument is that Obama is pulling the strings of Joe Biden, which I think is a theory that's plausible. Anyway, nice try, uh, David. Quick story. You don't mind if I go off teleprompter like a lot, do you? So much more exciting, so much more. But the head of Hungary, a very tough, strong guy, Viktor Orban. Did anybody ever hear of him? Probably, you know, considered very powerful, very uh, powerful within his country and outside of his country. Uh, not exactly loved by some of the European nations because he does his thing. He didn't allow millions of people to invade his country. He allowed nobody to invade, the zero, zero. He had nobody. So he doesn't have crime and he doesn't have the problems that they're having in other countries where millions of people are allowed to go in. But they uh, were interviewing him two weeks ago and they said, uh, what would you advise President Obama? The whole world seems to be exploding and imploding. Hmm. And he said, it's very simple. He should immediately resign and they should replace him with President Trump. There you go. What is it that should happen to President Obama right now? Well, President Obama should resign when he doesn't have the prompter. He repeatedly says things like Obama is the president of the United States. 
that which he accuses Joe Biden of, of being unable to right. make sense. Joe Biden doesn't have dementia and is not cognitively uh, challenged at all. It's it's Trump. Trump is the problem. Sense without a teleprompter is actually true of Donald Trump. And so we'll get back to the cognitive decline story because this is now this is now not an obscure story. On so YouTube. so now it's going to be Trump is the one with dementia and he's Hitler. This story has now gone mainstream. Now, also extraordinarily disturbing from this rally. Here is Donald Trump echoing Adolf Hitler during the rally, <laughs> talking about rooting out the vermin from the country. The language <clears throat> that's you, David. He's talking about you, motherfucker. That the Nazis used about Hold on. you specifically, you piece of shit. You've called us maggots. Now someone's calling you something. Oh, boy. Guess you don't like the taste of your own medicine. Jews. Today, especially in honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxist, fascist, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible. They'll do anything. This is a Hitler quote almost verbatim. <laughs> now, does Trump know that? Honestly, I have no idea. We know Trump doesn't read anything, Hitler but quotes. he used to keep a book of Hitler speeches oh, on of his course. nightstand. Right, according right. He doesn't read, he can't read, but he read Hitler. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. To one of his ex-wives. Uh -huh. Is it possible Trump knows that, or is this just a beauty read off of the teleprompter written by somebody else? It doesn't really matter, but it is the language of the Nazis that Trump is adopting. The language Trump of the Nazis. continued cognitive struggles telling a crowd of supporters in New Hampshire that he was indicted in his, in his civil uh, fraud trial. Now, you don't get indicted, you get sued. Oh. But Trump seems to think he was there indicted. He says, How can it happen? They got me in New York where my company turned out to be a great company instead of a bad company. They indicted me because they said I inflated numbers and my numbers, it turned out, were extremely conservative. Just Trump was not indicted mm. in the civil fraud trial. Now, in his defense, okay, I'm going to I'm going to oh, give you the, the, the defense of this He's, one. Let's what be charitable. A fair homosexual. If I had been indicted, the charitable homosexual did for as many crimes as Trump has been indicted in. I might also wrongly assume that the civil fraud trial is an indictment, too. So let's I'm willing to give Trump a pass on this one. Now, there was a genuinely funny moment at this rally. Donald Trump actually joked about Ron DeSantis's high heels. I actually thought that this was funny and Trump mimicking the way that DeSantis is forced to walk because of his high heels. The one funny moment in a context of total dystopian authoritarian uh, house of horrors. And I'm not wearing lifts either, by the way. I don't have six inch heels. Actually, the greatest moment of the debate when Ron was walking around to Sanctimonious was walking off the stage and his feet. It's weird because his cowboy boots. So they have a high heel outside, but inside you got a big deal going on. And he's walking like. <laughs> no, he's walking off the stage like he's trying to balance himself. I thought he was wearing ice skates. No. That's actually some good stuff.
that is, that is genuinely good stuff there. But it was mostly horrible. Trump then doing the Chris Christie routine. Trump does this thing at rallies where he won't directly call Chris Christie a quote fat pig, but he'll either. I don't know if he's pretending to hear someone call him a fat pig from the audience There's or if people in the audience are really yelling pig. out he's a fat pig when Trump mentions Chris Christie. But the way Trump does it is he pretends to admonish the audience and say, no, no, he's not a fat pig, which, of course, is a way of bringing up the term fat pig and Chris Christie in the same sentence. They said this man said something he shouldn't say. I will defend. He said, Chris Christie is a fat pig. You you cannot say that, sir. You can. Please, please take that back. The best. Please take that back. No. They said this man. Trump also <laughs> anyway, Trump also apparently continuing to violate gag orders that have been placed on him while he was, of course, attacking special prosecutor Jack Smith. He also included Jack Smith's family in this. Is any judge going to have the audacity, nope. the courage, the bravery to actually jail Trump and say you violated the <laughs> gag order enough times? We're throwing you in jail for the week. Fat chance. Deranged Jack Smith. Have you ever heard of him? He's a lovely, he's a lovely man. Do you ever see him with the purple little thing? He's a <laughs> lovely man. The Trump hating prosecutor in the case. He's uh, his wife and family despise me much more than he does. And he decides I think he's about a 10. They're about a 15 on a scale of 10. And he was involved, you know, Jack Smith, the deranged one, I call him. There you go. Another apparent violation of Trump's gag order. And then just a couple other things to highlight Trump with a completely at the, you know, maybe I'm not smart enough. I English is my second language. Maybe there's just I have a limitation. I don't know what the hell Trump is talking of about course. in this round. And course. we're becoming a drug haven. You know, China many years ago was being taken over by much smaller countries because they were all drugged out on the poppy fields, the poppy, the drugs, heroin, different drugs. But they so were all. He's talking about the fentanyl crisis. Took, took me, I don't know, five seconds to figure that out, David. All drugged out. The nation was drugged out. And then along came a very powerful leader. You know who that is? And he said, no more. What? And from that time, pretty much until now, they uh, they've been strong, but they were all drugged out and uh, they were. I mean, our nation's becoming that way. OK, our nation's <laughs> becoming that way. You look at our nation is that uh, you almost say, how does it survive when so many people are absolutely sick? Right. And uh, the crowd. So, so the opioid epidemic, apparently, according to David, not happening. I would understandably silent at that point. And then lastly, and I did not find anything like this in the history books. Trump claims that before he was president, officials at the VA, the Veterans Affairs Department, could legally murder veterans and not only not be prosecuted, but keep their jobs. Uh, terrible. They would treat them terribly and you couldn't do a damn thing about it. They'd be in there and they were saying if they had people, this wasn't prime time for our people and they weren't able to defend themselves. They had people that would really mistreat our veterans and uh, we couldn't do a thing about it because of the laws, civil service and otherwise. You couldn't do a thing. They could be as bad as they wanted. They could do everything up to murder. And the way they treated some of these people were just yeah. horrible people. I mean, given what we've seen already, I, I don't doubt that. 
I don't remember that. I looked it up. I was able to find no evidence well, that you, you've said that there's no evidence about things that there's a ton of evidence about. So I haven't absolutely uh, no trust in anything you say. VA officials were just able to kill veterans and it sounds unrealistic at its core. So the big story from this rally, really two stories. Number <coughs> one, continued dictatorial wet dreams from Donald Trump but maybe more notable in terms of the media coverage and what's happening with the Republican challengers is the Trump cognitive decline story, which I want to focus in on in a slightly different way. Yeah. Right now. Oh, yeah. Fox host is offended by transgenders. Well, who isn't? I mean, come on. Fox's Janine Pirro says transgenders offend her. This is another one of these, you know, Fox News continues to bravely cover the biggest issue of our time, trans women in sports. Here's Janine Pirro saying transgenders offend her. Then we will discuss. But is this is this what the Equal Rights Amendment there was intended to, to do? I haven't read that Equal Rights Amendment, but the way they're interpreting it is they're basically saying that um, the Equal Rights Amendment uh, uh, says that you cannot deny someone participation in a team based upon gender. OK, so to me. I've always been offended by the transgenders. I've always been offended by the Leah Thomases swimming as women against <clears throat> women. Okay, but this is worse because you're not swimming in your own lane. This is literally combat. And the so they're talking about this lunatic tranny that knocked the teeth out of a woman during a field hockey game. That's the context of what she's talking about. These men who historically are stronger than women, that's the end of it. Being allowed to compete with women in this kind of sport is um, is dangerous. And I'm not surprised it would happen. Now, I'm sure she was wearing a mouth guard. Apparently, her injuries were so horrible, whether it was accident or a guy who was so confident, I'm going to show these women, you know, how to play. Um, it just, the whole stadium apparently was traumatized by yeah. what happened. Well, they're usually like sick people that like to abuse women that do this she right. lost teeth she lost i mean she was all full of blood i mean this is very serious so you've got men's lacrosse women's lacrosse you've got field hockey let the men do their own field hockey and in a situation where there is combat men should not be allowed to play in women's sports all right so so let's just talk a little bit about this and you know i get a lot of emails from right wingers who say david Will you denounce men in women's sports or are you not or, or sometimes I'll go men in little girls sports as if there's some 25 year old biological male playing soccer with seven year old girls or something like that. So the reason I don't talk about it much is this is not a critical issue facing yeah, the United States. It's not happening. Don't even worry about it. Just like the tranny rapes not happening, according to David. States. And this is one of the ways that the right tries to save itself from the fact that they've completely abandoned policy of any serious kind and instead want to focus on contrived social and cultural issues that are often framed in framed dishonestly at the minimum. So let's talk about it here and then we can say we've done it. First of all, there is no widespread crisis of trans women in sports. It doesn't have to be widespread, faggot. What are you talking about widespread? 
just because an issue isn't a big issue doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it. But the most important thing is these people have so run out of ideas that they are desperately and apoplectically. You already said that you already made that argument lying. He just doesn't have an argument their ability to make people angry about stuff that's not really a major issue. According to the human rights, men abusing women is an issue and people don't like it campaign. I don't care about the pro faggot human rights campaign. Only 0.6% I don't care if it's 0.01%. Fuck these people. Entire adult population is trans. I don't care. And then some fraction of I that do not care. is trans women, right? Because you've got trans so men. It's only a few people being abused and, and then in the case of the bathrooms raped. So don't worry about it because not a lot of women are being raped by trannies. What kind of argument is this? It's a pro rape, pro abuse argument. And, and trans women. Nobody cares about trans men and men's sports. So we've got 0.6% of the population well, because they can't fuck around in men's sports. They, they it, it, it doesn't work as trans. Some fraction of that is trans women. Some fraction of that is engaged in sports at all. And then some subsection of that is engaged in the sports that would be scrutinized more deeply like maybe professional or elite collegiate sports, maybe elite high school. OK, so we're talking about a slice of a slice of a slice of a slice. Now, what does science say? I just care about what the science says about this bullshit. The scientific you believe the science says men can become women community acknowledges there are biological differences between those born male and born female and men have physical advantages in a number of different sports. That's why sports are often segregated by gender. However, when it comes to trans women, it is far more nuanced than just saying, were you male at birth? You're out. Bullshit. And let me explain. Bullshit. Trans women who undergo hormone replacement therapy have a bunch of changes that they experience. But none of those changes makes them become the opposite sex, David and their secondary sex characteristics start to align with those of women. It's not an exact equivalent, but you look at muscle mass changes, strength, endurance. If you undergo as a trans woman hormone replacement therapy over time, you start to approach being much more in terms of these metrics, Who like cares? a biological woman, Who the cares? NCAA, they are still not biological women. The International Olympic Committee Don't have care. policies where they say, OK, trans women. Perfect. We get it. Here's the policy. You have to undergo a yeah, period of policy eight is insane. The policy should be you must uh, uh, play according to your gender HRT before you are able to be determined eligible to participate. And they have data. They have data that says what what are things like after a year of HRT? How does the muscle mass compare, et cetera? The HRT does not completely eliminate advantages, but it does to a great degree. You then have research that shows even then, even after the HRT, a trans woman can retain athletic advantages. But those advantages are not uniform across all, all sports or individuals. So remember, we've got the trans community, trans women, trans women who are engaged in sports, 
trans women who are engaged in sports at a level where this sort of stuff needs to be scrutinized. And then you have, well, which specific sport are we talking about? So if a sport relies on size and strength, you still probably have something you have to figure out there to make competition what we would call fair in sports that rely more on skill, agility and endurance. That physiological difference after the year of HRT may be relatively insignificant. I'll give you some examples. Gymnastics. Gymnastics relies heavily on balance, flexibility, agility and technique. Strength is a component more to some gymnastics than to others. But the emphasis is skill and precision and the biological differences, particularly after a year of HRT, may not really be very significant. They're still men. Uh, figure skating is sort of a similar analysis to that of, uh, of, of gymnastics. Distance running is an interesting one. Uh, physiological factors do play a role. You look at the men's marathon and the women's marathon. Clearly, you have a difference there. But again, after a year of HRT, trans women's muscle mass and hemoglobin go down hemoglobin, which allows uh, sort of like oxygen capacity, we might say colloquially. And you have trans women on one year of HRT who are much more closely aligned with cisgender women than they are with men. They're still that's men. another area where they're still men. We would say, well, maybe it doesn't even really matter there. Um, soccer, there's controversy about uh, there's a lot with soccer that's about ball control and spatial awareness and teamwork. You still have a physical component. OK, so soccer, they're figuring out archery does, you know, trans women. It's still set gender segregated in many cases. Does it really need to be? I don't know. Equestrian is another example. So the whole point here is the right has made a lot, a lot. They've gotten a lot of mileage out of we've got to get these big, burly men. We can't have the rock pushing around my seven year old daughter on the soccer field. Right. That's not happening again. They were covering a story where a fucking hulking tranny knocked the teeth out of a, a girl. That's not happening. And we're talking about a slice of a slice of a slice. Listen, we still deal with things that are slices of slices of slices, but this is not the great issue. They want you to believe that it is. And also, there is more nuance than they want you to believe. Far bigger issues out there. Those are my thoughts on where the discussion and the science is right now. Always welcome the thoughts of others. And what a ridiculous faggot. All right. Well, we have some breaking news here. Breaking news about white supremacists. Mary, don't disrespect my child. This is my child. I don't sell prick. I'm a prostitute. Breaking news from the internet from Dewey C. Let's have a look here. Yeah, this is, uh, I saw this on Twitter. This is a fucked up story right here. These people should be buried under a jail. Rogue daycare workers busted for allegedly running a child fight ring. Crazy. Um, let's see, one second. Two South Carolina daycare joggers face multiple charges for allegedly directing three and four-year-olds in their care to fight each other and allowing the violence to proceed without correction. Kids Unlimited of Prosperity Daycare employees Erica Jones and Serena Caldwell turned themselves into authorities on Tuesday 
after warrants were issued for their arrest. Both are charged with contributing to the delinquency of a minor and unlawful conduct to a child, according to the department's Friday press release. Joan faces 14 counts of each charge, while Caldwell faces 15. Daycare owner John David Dawkins wrote in a statement that Jones and Caldwell were immediately terminated after staff reported their behavior and security footage was viewed. The facility immediately notified the South Carolina Department of Social Services and the Newberry County Sheriff's Department. Sheriff Lee Foster told WLTX that daycare had cooperated fully in their subsequent investigation. Investigating deputies discovered that the two women instructed children to shove, pull, and hit each other per the outlet. Foster told the WTLX that the behavior started out with Caldwell and Jones saying that the teacher had promoted other students or other clients of the daycare to use violence to try to punish a child or to make another child compliant. <clears throat> I have no idea what the two daycare workers were thinking of. This is just abhorrent behavior, Foster continued. I just can't imagine why they would do this. A total of 14 children were involved, although none had serious physical injuries. Uh, it remains unseen how much emotional or psychological damage could have been caused by this. A parent of one of the victims testified their child was told to hit another child, then told to do it again. Foster told WIS-TV that the two women were rogue employees, and the department does not believe the daycare was complicit in their behavior. A parent of one of the victims told the outlet she didn't believe that the problem was systemic, and so oh, this sounds like the Biden DOJ has paid a visit and said that she hated that these two women kind of tarnished the name of the daycare. You need to investigate this daycare. I don't trust these comments at all. And she says, but at the same time, <clears throat> I'm glad it was caught and they will have to serve justice. But at the end of the day, there's no real justice because how do you remove that from a child's head? You've altered their life. Yeah, I mean, this is like crazy. Completely crazy. All right, well, there you go. That was, uh, that's a crazy story. That was breaking news from the Internet from Dewey C. Uh, thank you, sir. If you have an article that you want read on stream, 10 and up, details in the description. Let me uh, read some of these super chats. We're taking them through Streamlabs, link in the description. We're also taking them through Entropy, link in the description. And we're also taking Rumble Rants on Rumble. Also, we're trying to get to 300 subscribers total between Subscribestar, the Soft Gentleman's Bathhouse, and the Rumble subscription option. If we hit the 300 subscriber mark like we did previously, um, of course, it was with my homosexual leftist brother, whose book you can download right now for free, clicking in the description of Rumble or YouTube. It's like the fifth one down. Um, but this time, uh, as requested by some in the audience, I will uh, write a book about how the corporate media... Uh, when I say book, you know, probably, oh, did I, did I give a number? I, what did I say? Oh, no, I gave the, the deadline. Oh, right. The deadline was 30 days. I have no idea how long the book will be. Um, it's not going to be like, you know, what's that real big one? The Grapes of Wrath? Or it's not going to be like that. It'll probably be, what was the Soft Gentleman's book? Like 30 pages? So maybe like 60? I, don't, I have no idea. I'm just going to write and see what happens. But anyway, it was requested by some in the audience to explain... Uh, how the corporate media uses the same exact propaganda tactics as the Jehovah's Witnesses, and also uh, how I think people could help get their family members, they're not really getting them out of a cult, but like kind of like, you know, getting them out of the 
fucking brainwashing shit. It's it's weird. It's not like a, it's not a religious cult. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Like I I I was able to successfully get a couple people out. Um, whereas this is kind of like it's like a mainstream society cult. But there's it's weird. Anyway, anyway, point is, uh, I will uh, write about that as requested. Also, I'll write about all the current goings on politically how much that will be different from a normal stream i really don't know we'll have to see um but uh, anyway if you're interested in that check subscribe star link in the description or click the red uh, rumble uh, subscribe button or you can go to the soft gentleman's bathhouse and click join and then you'll be a member of the bathhouse also i understand uh, this is very uh, difficult financial times for almost everybody um and we're also, this is like a very, we're at a very low time as well. And so if you're looking for a free way to uh, support the channel, just share any links um, on whatever social media platform you prefer. I'm most active on, twi on Twitter in the off days. So my Twitter account is at hard underscore bastard. I put uh, various like clips and videos there. Share any of them. Share links to the stream. There's an archive, uh, and we're currently live on Twitter, at um, livehnn. We're also streaming on Pilled. We just started streaming on Pilled. Pilled.net. And um, so, yeah, any of the archives, uh, there's a clip channel on BitChute, BitChute.com slash HardBastard. I have heard that BitChute is going to be rolling out live streaming soon. I hope that's true. That would be incredible. And I think they're working on their own payment platform. So that would just be, you know, if they do that, now you have Rumble, BitChute, like, it makes it harder for them to kind of stomp you out if you have alternatives. So that's that's a good sign. I think that's a good sign. But anyway, so yeah, if you're looking for free ways to help the channel, that would be uh, a way to do it. Okay, let me, what's today's date? The 14th? All right, where did we, uh, okay, Shosugino says, uh, HB Noman 1904 asked me if I knew who Baked Alaska is, and then he started taking pictures of me. Total fed. Oh, you got to watch out for that. So it looks like this uh, chat beef is continuing. All right, very good. Silky Johnson says, HB, that horde of sub-IQ nogs that killed the white kid deserved to be put into an incinerator. In fact, a lot of fucking joggers that break laws and kill people deserve to be burned alive in Minecraft. Thankfully, they'll be killing each other soon again. Yeah, that's probably the one uh, thing with karma. Um, if you believe in karma, like, they're probably going to take each other out. So, you know, it's like... It's not going to bring the kid back, but it's like one thing. Yeah, and it's just, it it's so sick that the, the, the Biden Department of Justice preys on these families and, and, and puts a gun to their head. And it's basically like, hey, look, you better come out and say something nice about these people that just killed your family member. You better tell them it's not about race and that it's perfectly okay. Otherwise, you, you, well, you know, it'd be a real shame if someone thought you were racist. It's crazy. It's crazy, but that's what they do. Silky Johnson says, how the fuck is that piece of shit judge who, who you know is a pedo, not chained to a building and then hooked to a truck and then driven out of town in pieces and in Minecraft? Oh, like, uh, well, they used motorcycles in, uh, what was that, Exterminators of the Year 3000? Remember that movie? That's an, that's an old Italian trash movie. I haven't seen it for years, but I remember... 
when I was a kid, I was watching it, and they they tied the kid up to the bikes, and I was like, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh my god! But apparently, the kid had like a fake arm or something. If I'm remembering that scene scene correctly, anyway, he says, uh, in Minecraft, how do you allow a disgusting ideology to dictate your judicial decisions? Yeah, they killed that baby. They just killed it. The obvious thing to do is, well, hey, if you you secured help in Italy. You know, okay, go. I hope your baby survives and you enjoy the food. There's no other option. But they're like, no, I mean, it's in the baby's best interest to kill the baby. What are you, crazy? That's insane. That's completely insane. Um, Silky Johnson says, it warms my soul that even with a million-dollar budget, lighting and camera angles, the former press whore, Jen Psaki, looks like Otis from The Devil's Rejects. <laughs> When he wore the face he cut off of the banjo and Sullivan guy. She definitely has scaly skin. Yeah, that's a hell of a scene. Guy walks in with the woman's boyfriend's, or is it her dad or boyfriend? I forget. Wearing the guy's face. That's a hell of a thing. And then I think they put the face on her and tied her up. And then they left. And then the cleaning lady came in found her but she's so hysterical because of what happened understandably so that she immediately runs out of the hotel and is running and then runs into the middle of the street and gets slammed by a semi tractor trailer or whatever the fuck they're called just like in the end of the texas chainsaw massacre that's a hell of a thing that was brutal that was that is a brutal movie but i i do uh you know it's not for everyone but uh, i do like that movie the Devil's Reject. It is it is a filthy, gritty, disgusting. Just I I just like the movie. I can't and, and I but by the way I don't like the uh, Fireflies. Is that their name? The Fire? I don't like them at all. And they got what they deserved at, at the end of that movie. That's why I like the movie. The ending was phenomenal. Phenomenal ending. By the way, I don't acknowledge they made another one after that. How do you do that? How do you make another one? I guess it's obvious what happens at the end. There's no, what you, there's no sequel to that movie. What are you doing? I don't even, whatever. But uh, they were horrible. I was rooting for the sheriff the whole time. I liked that sheriff the whole time. That sheriff, uh, I, I didn't really have that much of a problem with him. I was rooting for him until the guy with the burned face fucked everything up. Although he should have, the problem is he should have just ended them immediately. But he got greedy. He wanted to torture them. And I understand, but like, you just got to just... Take vengeance. I'm talking, this is a movie. This is a movie. This is not a real thing. Just do it quick. This is the thing in all the horror movies. You just gotta, like, for example, in any Friday the 13th movie, you know, the one I particularly remember, Friday the 13th Part 7, I think that was with the uh, hot chick with the mental powers, right? Was that the one? Frankly, I've said it before. I don't think I've ever seen a good Friday the 13th movie. I think they're all terrible. You know, no offense to anyone personally. I just, they're all terrible. Whereas, like, Nightmare on Elm Street was pretty fucking good. But anyway, I still have nostalgia towards Friday the 13th. But I remember in Part 7, I think, it was the girl with the powers. I remember, like, at the end, I think she had, like, kind of killed Jason. And I remember when I was a kid, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, bitch, now you have to chop him into pieces. You have to chop him into pieces, chop him into, like, a hundred pieces, scatter them all over the place, and then say, okay, now I want to see you come back from that. He probably would. He probably somehow would. But you gotta do. You can't just let him. You gotta chop his head off. But they never do. They never do. 
or these women they have like a they have like a 10 block head start and they keep falling down bitch get your shit together and just run away stop it what are you doing anyway whatever it's a hell of a thing yeah i just three you know the like oh you know what sticks was talking about friday the 13th and he said the fifth one was his favorite and i thought to myself i don't remember the fifth one i was i remember the fourth one and I remember the sixth one. I don't remember the fifth one. I guess I'll have to watch it. He said it was his favorite. If I had to pick a favorite, I'd go three. Because three is the one where he first wears the, the hockey mask and has the harpoon scene, which was, you know, it was a 3D movie. Back then, that, that harpoon, that, that's pretty, you know, that was solid. That was very solid. So th- I would say three. If I had to pick one, three. And then the end where he had the mask off, like three's not that bad for, for a Friday the 13th movie. But when you compare them to the other horror franchises, Halloween... Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just, they are really just not good movies. But anyway, to each his own. I really can't talk because I like 70s trash movies. And those are not good movies. So it's really, it's in the eye of the beholder. Anyway. Um, okay, very good. All right, so we got that and that. And I think we are good. Okay. All right, let's get to the next video here. Oh, hold on. Before we do this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Boney Joni. Yeah, they they went off on this. Now she brings in, I think... And part of this also is this guy has a book to sell. So they're, like, pumping up the book. The, you know, Trump is Hitler book. And and these are written probably once a quarter. You remember, like, uh, Fire and Fury and, like, the one written by... uh, Oh, yeah. I I apologize. I thought... Oh, no. Okay, we'll go. Uh, Yeah, um... I'll come back to that. Um, the the Bernst Woodward, right? I think Woodward wrote one as well, and it's just all bullshit. So here is uh, here is uh, Nicole Wallace here. I'll be back in a minute. Hi there, everyone. Happy Monday. It's 4 o'clock in New York. It's a mask-off moment for the disgraced, twice-impeached, four-times-indicted ex-president. He's making his contempt for our democracy and its institutions and its people crystal clear once again. While President Joe Biden honored Veterans Day by laying a wreath and paying tribute to those who sacrificed for our country, the ex-president said this. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible. They'll do anything, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. The real threat is not from the radical right. The real threat is from the radical left, and it's growing every day, every single day. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Our threat is from within. You know, we have a high bar when we show that to you. Uh, Today, it's important, and here's why. When an ex-president who sought to overturn American democracy claims in a speech like that in front of his supporters that Americans right here at home pose a greater threat to our country than any of our adversaries abroad and describes his political opponents as, quote, vermin, it naturally leads to comparisons to other authoritarian leaders. Washington Post spoke to two historians 
who had this to say, quote, the language is the language that dictators use to instill fear. That was Timothy Neftali, a senior research scholar at Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs. Quote, when you dehumanize an opponent, you strip them of their constitutional rights to participate securely in a democracy because you're saying they're not human and that's what dictators do. Ruth Ben-Gayat, a historian at New York University, said in an email this, quote, calling people vermin was used effectively by Hitler and Mussolini to dehumanize people and encourage their followers to engage in violence. Now, in a statement to NBC News, a Trump campaign spokesperson rejected the comparison to Hitler, calling it, quote, ridiculous, a ridiculous assertion, but then said this about Trump's critics, quote, their sad, miserable existence will be crushed when Trump returns to the White House. Of course, either wittingly or unwittingly proving their point. Now, Trump's comments are also a reflection of an ex-president right now, in this moment, who has become, believe it or not, more erratic, more unstable, more uninformed, if that's even possible, than when he was in the White House. He's now totally and wholly consumed by conspiracy theories and dead set on relitigating his defeat and the January 6th insurrection at the cost of the Republican Party having any last fingers or grasp on their integrity. Who Donald Trump is now and the vision he and his allies have for the country right now is drawn in extraordinary detail in John Carl's brilliant new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. John Carl reports that months after he left the White House, Trump became obsessed with the idea that was circulating on the far right, that he could somehow be reinstated as president despite the fact that members of Trump's own family and even ardent Trump supporters like Jenna Ellis had dismissed the theory. Quote, one person getting their hopes up was Trump himself. One of Trump's relatively junior aides at Mar-a-Lago told me that he was so concerned about how much Trump was talking about it, he urged the former president to give it a break. Quote, if you really think it's true, then stop talking about it. Just let it happen, the aide said he told Trump. If you keep talking about it so much, people will think you are crazy. Here's what the ex-president had to say to John Carl. When you had a release recently, you said 2024 or before. What, what, what do you mean by that? You, you don't really think there's a way you would get reinstated before the next election. Do you? I'm not going to explain it to you, Jonathan, because you, uh, you wouldn't either understand it or write it. <laughs> it's too, it's above your head, said Donald Trump to John Carl. An ex-president and current Republican frontrunner with an authoritarian vision and plans now on paper for the future of the United States is where we begin today with some of our most favorite reporters in France. He's the chief Washington correspondent for ABC News. His latest book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party, is out tomorrow. It's the most important thing that's been written to date about what is in front of the American people in the next presidential election. Also here at the table, former top official at the Department of Justice, Andrew Weissman, plus former congressman from Florida, David Jolly, is here. Um, you know, betrayal, in my opinion, was the roadmap that the um, January 6th Select Committee agreed was the roadmap for investigating how January 6th happened. This feels um, darker, if that's possible. This feels like the roadmap that Donald Trump would use to turn our democracy into something really different. What he envisions, what's out, what's 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 being covered. I think I think the excerpts from your book put in motion a little bit more of a reveal from the Trump camp. And these are plans on paper. 
Yeah, look, I think the January 6th committee did a tremendous job of describing what January 6th was all about. The uh, prosecution we've seen at the federal level in Georgia have outlined all that Donald Trump did to use the powers of the presidency to try to overturn American democracy, to try to overturn a presidential election. But this is, this is darker, because what this is not trying to explain what Donald Trump did on January 6th or in the weeks leading up to January 6th. This is looking at what he would do if he were to get power again. And I firmly believe, and I think the research in this book uh, lays it out, uh, that Trump is going to be more determined to upend the norms and the customs that make democracy possible. He is going to have... He's going to upend the norms. Oh, got to watch out for the norms. Fewer restraints, no real guardrails. I think January 6th is basically a starting point, not an end point, if there is another Trump presidency. I think there's ground that's covered in betrayal where you reported... A, I mean, let, let's deal with Hitler, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, Trump's affinity for Hitler was always covered under an umbrella. He kind of left because they know this is bullshit. Umbrella of his stupidity, right? People like General Kelly were like, oh, you must not get it. You must not mean Hitler's army, right? I mean... He would talk about the brilliance of Hitler's generals. Correct. General Kelly, yes. Correct. And, and you've got some reporting about, about Merkel. I want you to explain that. I'm going to read that. But, 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 but tell me how Trump sees Hitler. Well, Trump clearly has this infatuation with strong leaders. He thinks that's good, they must be brilliant, they must be smart. Uh, this is why he actually was praising Hezbollah recently for being smart, uh, but he talks about- Really you know, smart, is what he said I, about I mean, Hezbollah. His, his, his praise for Kim Jong-un, for, for Putin, uh, for Viktor Orban uh, of Hungary. Um, you know, the, the, the I, I will get to, 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 to the Hitler, uh, this amazing interaction that, that he had with, um, or that, he, that he recounted that he had with, uh, with Angela Merkel. I mean, he wants to be seen as a big, strong leader. He wants to emulate these people. I'm not, I'm not saying that Donald Trump is a Nazi. I don't, I'm not, but, but there is this infatuation that he has, and he echoes his language. not saying he's a Nazi. He's just infatuated with Hitler. Language. I mean, that's when you were talking, mm -hmm. you know, when he, when he talks about rooting out the vermin. Even the phrase, uh, the enemy of the people, uh, which he used to describe the press. Mm -hmm. Well, is so they are the enemy of the people. So you, you could argue it's not strong enough. Thing that is drawn from Nazi Germany, it's also drawn from Stalin. This is a dictator's phrase, and it's one that he eagerly embraced. Does he know all the history of it? I don't know, but the parallel is clear. But see, here's why I don't buy the ignorance anymore. I mean, because none of that matters. The phrase "enemy of the people" is true. It's true about the media. The media is horrible. As an ignorant person, when warned that Hitler used to call right, Jews, stop, vermin would stop. stop. Would stop. Yeah. Trump's and turning up the volume. No, no, absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, I, you know, I remember a, a conversation I had with him when when we had the mass shootings uh, in El Paso and in Dayton on, in short order, and there were real concerns that there would be copycats, there would be more. And he was using this language again, this language out of out of out of the Third Reich of enemy of the people. And I said, aren't you concerned that people will take your words to heart? Uh, aren't you concerned that they'll act on them? And without missing a beat, he said, I hope they take my words to heart because I firmly believe the press is the enemy of the people, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know, maybe it's an in 
ability to so so you have to uh, lie for the media and pretend they do a good job because someone might do something ridiculous have any kind of empathy or understanding of the consequences of your words but this that is consistent i mean that is not new uh with with donald trump um let me read the the merkel um stuff okay it's from the book um one prominent member of Congress, a Trump ally, told me that the president on two separate occasions claimed Merkel had complimented him on the large crowds he attracted when he spoke. Quote, she told me that she was amazed at the sight of the crowds that came to see me speak, Trump told the Republican congressman. Quote, she said she could never get crowds like that. In fact, she told me that it, it was only one other political leader who ever got crowds as big as mine. Only one in history. The Republican congressman couldn't believe the insinuation was lost on Trump. And I'm thinking, you told me while recounting his interaction with Trump, you know who she's talking about, right? Take, take me behind that. Take me uh, I mean, this, this is, first of all, this is a very prominent member of Congress who was very close to Donald Trump, uh, who, who was absolutely blown away by this. Because clearly, if, you know, who knows what Merkel actually told Donald Trump, but he's recounting the story. Right. The chancellor of Germany telling him, only one person could get crowds like yours in all of history. It's obvious what she is trying to talk to him, because Trump's bragging about his crowds, saying, so, I don't know, this, again, this ally felt that Trump enjoyed the idea of being compared to Adolf Hitler. At least the aspect of Adolf Hitler attracting all those huge crowds. crowds. Huge crowds. Um, what is the um, level of unrest inside Trump world with what you've reported? I have to tell you, first of all, Trump world is really small right now in terms of the, the, the people that are around him. I mean, you know, there is no is it real... Boris and the lawyers? You know, there is no, like, campaign headquarters. Right. I mean, he had a very skeletal staff in 2016. I wrote about it in my first book, you know, a fraction of what Hillary Clinton had. He had this little... But he, there was a campaign headquarters. There were, there were people that were working there. My, have you, you've, been, you've been to Mar-a-Lago? But, I mean, no. okay, so you haven't been invited lately? Um, um, no. But, you know, there is no, there is no, like, office Space. Trump yeah. has an office. There's a little, I mean, th there is no like central campaign headquarters for Trump. There's, you know, Boris is with him. He's got a couple of political uh, operatives, Susie Wiles, yeah. uh, Chris LaCivita, kind of come in and out. Um, he's got, a, he's got, you know, Walt Nauta is still, is still around, but there isn't really. This co defendant. So uh, look, I, I don't think, I came out, and there was the first excerpt of this book, talked about how he was borrowing, how Steve Bannon was describing the theme of the campaign as come retribution, using a Confederate code word right. uh, that was a, a plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. They didn't even yeah, gotta, like... Gotta watch out for those Confederate code words. I don't know about this. Oh, and then Nazi he, language and Confederate code words. The, the Trump Davidians. The Trump Davidians. And by the way, I understand that Steve Bannon's war room is, 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 is making merchandise now with the phrase Trump Davidians. They're embracing this idea. Uh, they're yeah, you give them criticism and they throw it around on you and then make memes out of it. They've been doing this since the beginning. Embracing the idea that they are out to get retribution against the deep state, against uh, the communists, the radicals, the rhinos, and the vermin. I mean, they're embracing this idea. I, the, the amount of pushback is remarkably little. Oh, well, you shouldn't have fucked with people.
now you might get what you deserve, which is going to be a hell of a thing if it works out that way. Okay, so let's take that at face value. It's amazing. They've demonized Trump and his supporters for uh, five, six years as Nazis and terrorists and maggots, calling them maggots, specifically calling them maggots, M-A-G-A-T-S, maggots. Okay. Now Trump is like, uh, hey, uh, we're going to stop the people from destroying the country and pro and persecuting us. And now they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Well, you brought this upon yourself. You brought this upon yourself. Is the theme yeah. of the campaign. I mean, it just is. And he's been proving it over the past two weeks. I mean, you know. I remember your interview with him about Pence for betrayal, yeah. right? I mean, I think the, the echo here is, is the embrace of, of what we've just described together as darker. I mean, what does that mean for those of us who cover him? So th there, there's, a, um, there's this Project 2025, which I know you, you've talked about, and uh, Johnny McEntee, who was a, a big figure in betrayal because he played such a, a big role in 2020 at the end of the Trump presidency. Loyalty squad, basically. Yeah, he was basically the one out there to eliminate anybody within the administration that was insufficiently loyal. But he really only got going after the election. It was really just the last couple of months of, of, of the Trump presidency. Now it's beginning at the at, right at the start. And, you know, Axios had a story about how they're even using AI to go through potential uh, personnel hires to scrub uh, all of the social media to see that anybody that would have anything that would be remotely disloyal to Donald Trump could be cast aside. So again, this is exactly what Joe Biden did in the military. So you, again, you brought this upon yourselves. That's the beauty of this. No matter what Trump does, it, I, most of this stuff, I mean, obviously there would be exceptions, but at least what they're listing that he's doing are things that Biden already did. And I think that is definitely on purpose um, because their propaganda is always to deflect from what they do. The impeachments are a prime example. That was done to cover up what Biden was doing in Ukraine. Uh, this is, again, another example he's, of how... we're safe from J.D. Vance? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> Although you know, Trump does sometimes really like the people that, that turn hard. They turn hard on their own pastor, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they make the anti-Chris Christie turn. Yeah. Let, let me... I think you brought us some of your conversation with Trump about Italy Gate, right? Yeah, which Can is, I, the, I think, the single craziest conspiracy about the 2020 election. Set this up for me. Okay, so Italy Gate is this idea that Italian spy satellites were used to flip votes in the 2020 election from Trump to Biden, and that there were the two, these two guys in a prison in Rome uh, who knew the whole story, and they had been locked up uh, to, to prevent it from coming out. And uh, what, what happened is the... Uh, I learned in, in working on betrayal, and then later the, uh, the the Senate committee that was investigating some of this stuff learned that Trump, I'm sorry, not Trump, Mark Meadows asked the acting attorney general to investigate this theory. I also learned that he also, Meadows also asked the Department of Defense to investigate it. I mean, this is crazy. Italian spy satellites used to change votes, and the chief of staff in the White House at the end of the Trump presidency is asking defense and justice to investigate it. So I decided to ask Trump about it. Let's play it. Let me ask you, one of the theories that, uh, that, that Mark Meadows asked uh, the, uh, the acting attorney general Rosen to investigate was this idea that somehow the Italians uh, were involved, uh, that using these, these spy satellites to switch votes 
with the voting machines? I don't machines? know anything about that. You'd have to ask Mark. So, I don't know anything. I mean, what, what do you, and, and, I, and I, there's a woman. I don't, know, I don't know about that. I mean, you'd have to ask, you'd have to ask Mark Meadows about that. Mark Meadows, good man, did a very good job. He was a really great chief. He but you, but, 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 you, you, but you'd have to ask Mark about that. You, you don't really believe that there were somehow foreign control of the voting machines, do you? I mean, do you really you believe... You have to ask whoever it is that's saying it. Uh, I, think it's, I think, frankly, there was so much voter fraud and irregularities. Uh, where it came from, I can't tell you, but I can tell you there was a lot of voter fraud and irregularities. So, I, mean, I, I my thing with the Italy stuff is why would you need the satellites? It's already been demonstrated in the Antrim County report that the machines were programmed to flip the votes. So why would you need the satellites? Um, now my my viewpoint on these things that I would view as far fetched is different than it used to be. I think it's possible it could be true. I just. Um, I, I, I was looking into, someone had sent me uh, something, I, and I, it was like, a, a, there's a guy who's, who's testifying. There's, there's like video of a guy testifying to it happening, which is interesting. So that's something. That's definitely something. Um, you know, and then I'll, I'll look into it further. I just never found, I just never found anything that's, that I could argue as good as like, with that than with like the Antrim County report um, or any of the other shit with like the um, the eyewitness uh, testimony the affidavits as far as you know the uh, mail-in ballots coming back in sequential order which is like impossible uh, things like that I mean to each his own I, I don't think I think it's probably unlikely that it's true but given everything that we've seen over the past however many years, I, I, I'll hold out at least the possibility that it's legit. I just, um, you know, the, the thing that I, uh, I will tell you what, what a lie about it is, a verified lie is. I saw a, a person argue that it couldn't have happened because the machines can't be hooked up to the Internet. That's a lie. The machines absolutely can be hooked up to the Internet. That was one of the big lies Chris Krebs told uh, on his way out. Uh, that is total bullshit. They can absolutely be uh, hooked up to the internet. Um, so, yeah. Now, the other part about the Italian story that that uh, they use where they, they act like, oh, well, I can't believe they had them investigate. Well, that's the job. What do you mean you can't believe? You, you, they're supposed to investigate. The, see, this is the other thing. The fact that they that they did now of course did they do any sort of good investigation i highly doubt that but when it came to verifiable voter fraud they didn't do the uh they didn't do the uh well you know we'll investigate no problem they they threatened bill barr threatened a guy on the phone who had evidence of uh of uh voter fraud so their demeanor towards the italian story was i i just i don't know i just i i, I don't really I don't use it if you if I had to go somewhere to go over the fraudulent election I wouldn't use the Italian story but other people if you feel like you've looked into it enough and you can make a case make a case that's fine um, but usually the administration's response to verifiable voter fraud is to like threaten get angry to be like there's no evidence. So, 
I don't know. But it, it, the idea that it's like some sort of like uh, wrong thing that Meadows had them investigate, that's a good thing. That's their job. It's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to investigate. You know, I don't trust anything they say. If you know, if they're like, there's nothing to it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not basing my position on what they said. It's just that there's nothing tangible that I have found, you know, uh, that I can like point to and go right there. Whereas with the other stuff, you know, Antrim County report, we went over that. The the audit in Arizona found like almost 60,000 ballots shouldn't have counted. But it is what it is. Importantly, right, still... um with this reptilian survival sense of like, uh, you know, I mean, I just heard it. This is yeah, what I was hearing. Yeah. Um, but also this entrenched um, repetition of the delusion that there was a lot of voter fraud and irregularity. Right. Well, it, there was a lot of voter fraud. That is true. And by the way, that's not an, a hard one to just say, no, of course the Italians right. weren't like switching Okay, votes. that was okay. Well, how would he know? How does, if he doesn't know, how would he be able to definitively say that it's not happening? Yeah, or yeah. blame Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, I mean, she was she was the one pushing this. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, it's uh, and, and now we, we've learned from uh, from Mark Meadows and his testimony or his what he's told investigators uh, in Jack Smith's uh, election interference case uh, that he basically says that he was trying to uh, pass on whatever he could because he knew that Trump Trump wanted this stuff investigated and he wanted to be able to look at Trump and say, well, what's wrong with that? Don't you hear yourself? You think it's a problem that people wanted to investigate voter fraud? <laughs> That's hilarious. I investigated the Italian stuff. I did it. I've asked somebody to look into it. We're on it. So th this was Trump that was pushing this. It was like as is clear managing there. the principle. It yes. wasn't that yes. anyone else believed yeah. it except yeah. Meadows didn't think that the Italians were flipping votes. There was only one person in that administration who thought that that was a possibility, and it was Donald Trump. This book makes clear what kind of, um, I think, subject or defendant he'll be on the stand, perhaps, before Judge China's truck. This is the best window into who he is now. How, um, and I don't like to describe him as crazier. I think he was always crazy. But there are no more, I mean, if you look at Ivanka and some of the chiefs of staff he had as, as you know, Instagram filters, he's, he's totally unfiltered. He's his truest self now. W what does that mean? for him as a criminal defendant in the interference trial? Well, look, first of all, there is very little difference between his criminal defense and his presidential campaign. Right. It's all blurring into one. Uh, so I think that he's going to use, and he's growing into this. I describe in the book the first uh, indictment and his first arraignment, which was in the Manhattan DA, and he seemed chastened for a moment. Uh, he'd hardly spoke in the courtroom. He walked in, he walked out, didn't talk to the cameras. He talked later that night when he got to the safe confines of Mar-a-Lago. Uh, but he, he found himself for the first time in a courtroom where the judge was in control, where he had to stand up when the judge entered the room, where he was technically not free to leave. He was under arrest. And it, it you know, was something that seemed to freak him out. Well, that, that's over. Now he sees the, the altercation and the fighting and, the, and the, using the judge as a foil, using the prosecutor as a foil, mm -hmm. using the judge's as clerks yeah. as, a, a, as a foil. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I think that that's what we're going to see him do. And, you know, is it going to hurt him as a, is, is, he, is he making his own defense harder? Probably. But what's his best defense? I think there's a calculation. Maybe it's not strategic. Maybe it's just gut. But I, you know, I'm either 
potentially going to jail or I'm going to the White House. So but, but, I mean, my, my, get, my best defense is to get yeah. elected. I mean, but what, the, what this one reveals is that the plan to get to the White House is the continuation of January 6th, is the continued fervency of that base and that part of the base, what they themselves describe as the Trump divinity. Riling up the base, Trump has said on many occasions uh, that that was... Uh, a, a glorious day, January 6th. And then he'll say, I don't mean the, the stuff that happened later, but it was a glorious day. I never, he told me, I never spoke to a larger crowd than I did on <laughs> January 6th. Comes down to crowd size again. Always. Um, so I, 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 I do, and, and that's why I, I think that one of the issues that you asked what we face as journalists trying to cover all of this, there's been so much coverage of the criminal cases and going back to what happened on January 6th, you know, looking at the documents case, looking at, uh, you know, January 6th hearings, all of that. There's been, I don't think, enough attention paid to this question that we've been talking about is what would it look like if he came back? And, you know, he's, the January 6th of it all, I think, is kind of baked in. I think memories have faded for a lot of people that aren't yeah. following this as closely as, 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 as we are, but there has been very precious atten little attention paid to what he is doing and thinking and talking about now. And, and I mean, the, the book That's is starting also... to change, I think. No, I but I mean, this is, but this is about the Republic. I'm just saying, I break the, the... the book is going to be read by Washington, D.C. people and like the lunatic liberals that take MSNBC seriously. Normal people don't give a fuck about any of this. I mean, this is where, where the reporting gets into the party. And yeah. this, to me, represents... Uh, I've said, if you wanted to do an experiment in this country, if you're political scientists and you have this crazy idea, let's see what happens if one of the two parties goes away. You'd do this. Yeah. I mean, this is what happens when one of the two parties stops adhering to democratic norms. And I want to I read some of that and talk about what, what that means, because um, that, too, takes us into the depths of darkness, right? Uh, I mean, it, it does, and I think, I think we'll look at, at two of the critical decisions by party leaders after he left office, where there was a path they could have taken. Right. And they chose the path to placate him. I don't know if they, Again. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they, they thought he was going to come back. I mean, I, there were two... Obviously, there was the Kevin McCarthy moment when he goes eight days after Trump leaves the White House to Mar-a-Lago. But more importantly, perhaps, was Ronna McDaniel, because Trump threatened to leave the Republican Party. I mean, he straight on said he was going to leave. He was going to start his own party. He did this on January 20th of 2021. And she freaked out. And Well, because, yeah, it would have been the end of the Republican Party. I wish he would have done that. Pleaded with him not to do it. Talked about the damage that would do to all the people that had supported him, supported him that, he, that everybody will lose as a result of that. He didn't care. And then the RNC basically threatened him. We'll stop paying your legal fees. We'll make your database useless. You won't be able to raise money anymore. And you, you, the calculation that both Ronna McDaniel and Kevin McCarthy made was that if Trump leaves, he takes all those voters with him and Republicans will lose for a generation. But That's Republicans true. have been losing now for about and a quarter of a generation. Republicans have lost, you know, every election since 2016. They're losing or underperforming under Donald Trump. But they made a calculation that it would be worse. And the what? Well, the RNC knows they're deliberately sabotaging America First candidates. But if. It is out there is what if they had told him go ahead start your own party and they and they as she lies um she said like for example in virginia they didn't ask for help and then a scott pressler i think scott pressler is credible if i have to compare something that pressler says 
versus Ronan McDaniel. I'm going to go with Pressler every time. There are, and this is not the first time this has happened. There have been many instances where she'll say, oh, they didn't ask for help, and Pressler will call bullshit on that. Also, she completely ignores Scott Pressler. Scott Pressler it does a lot of great work to registering Republicans. She completely ignores them. And I, I think because she's a saboteur, that's her job. Her job is to sabotage uh, like the good Republican candidates. At the depths of his, you know, disgrace after January 6th, mm -hmm. I mean, now it's too late. He's built it all back. Correct. Correct. All right, I want, I want to press on what that okay. looks like. I'm you guys are in trouble. You guys are in some trouble. All right. Then they, uh, hold on. Is this one second? Yeah, morning This is, uh, I think, I think Beaker and Leaker here. What is so striking is to see these two on video saying this. And this oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the other narrative that uh, the DeSantis shills were pushing that Jenna Ellis said that, um, who's the, the Trump campaign guy? Scavino. She said one time at a party, Dan Scavino said that Trump is not going to leave the White House. And, the, and they're like, oh, bombshell. It's over for Trump. He said he wasn't going to leave the White House. But he left the White House. He left the White House completely on time. So what is this? How is this legally damaging to Trump? He left the White House. Like, what? It's just, I think they're just trying to throw anything at the wall. This is the part that I keep coming back to, that I was at Trump's counter rally to the debate last week down in Miami there. And folks to this day, I mean, one, one gentleman telling me that he's locked and loaded, ready to go, a real hot civil war in his words. You know why? It's because of people like Jenna Ellis in Sidney Powell. Sidney Powell standing there after presser, after presser, suggesting she was going to release a crack and there was an international cabal that was at the heart of overturning the election and taking it from Donald Trump. Jenna Ellis, you know, her timeline is a little, a little off base, but in Arizona, she was down there with Rudy Giuliani making the case to Speaker uh, Rusty Bauer to overturn and allow the Arizona legislature to give Donald Trump the win in Arizona. So to hear this, to the extent that Trump loyalists hear from these folks and see these proper videos, I'm not sure. But it hits at the heart of the argument for the cameras being in the courtroom for the federal election interference case, because these are compelling and they're revealing. Uh, Jonathan, you wrote the book on, on the big steal. Uh, tell us about these two players and uh, the significance of them stepping forward now saying it was all a lie and specifically that Donald Trump was told. Uh, first of all, uh, that's not what... Um the heck's her name? Sydney Powell. Sydney Powell didn't say that. Sydney Powell believes there was fraud. She didn't say it's all a lie. Uh, I mean, would, it wouldn't matter because what I've said this before, what someone says doesn't matter. The uh, uh, election evidence uh, rises and falls based on its own merit. So all of the affidavits, any of the reports, they, 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 they are um, the evidence. It doesn't matter what a a person says in an email to someone that's like a ridiculous argument his lawyers many times by his lawyers many times he lost the election 
Yeah, and that's the most important point, which we'll come back to in a second. But in terms of just refreshing people's memories on these two attorneys, Sidney Powell, the Kraken, Jenna Ellis, and Rudy Giuliani made up the heart of Trump's legal team after the 2020 election. They worked with John Eastman and Kenneth Chesbro on not just the fake elector scheme, which of course is not central to thing. the federal January 6th uh, case, but also these other measures, whether it was voting machines or challenging the results or filing lawsuits, which they had right to do. Those were all, without exception, defeated in court. Uh, but they propagated the big lie. And that is, to Vaughn's point, what people are still believing. Three years later, people still believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. Polls suggest the majority of Republicans don't think that Joe Biden was duly elected. And that's the poison here that they injected into the American political bloodstream poison. that is not going away. And now certainly Ellis and Powell, uh, you know, their testimony here, that they were aware that the election was not in fact stolen, that they told Donald Trump. I, that uh, when did Sidney Powell say they say that? Uh, when did Sidney Powell say that? get into whether Trump, Trump's mindset, whether he truly believed or not that he won or lost. And I reported in my book, and others have as well, that Trump did at times privately concede that he lost, telling Kellyanne Conway at one moment, how could I lose to this bleeping? Again, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't change any of the affidavits. What Trump's opinion of this does not affect the evidence. Guy, meaning Joe Biden, and though the Trump team is trying to downplay the significance of these two lawyers' testimony, there's a limit to what they can do, and there's a sense that Ellis and Powell are just part of a chain that could lead to others flipping in Georgia as well that would endanger the former president further. Well, let's take that to Barbara McQuaid. Um, how valuable is this testimony? Is it to get others to flip, or do you think that some of the things we're hearing from these two individuals how can it be used in the trial? How useful and valuable will it be? Well, I think the purpose of recording their statements is just to lock them in so that they can't change their story later. What we'll see at trial is their live testimony. And so they will discuss all of these things and more and, of course, be subjected to cross-examination. But they revealed some very important things already that we heard just in these excerpts. And perhaps there's more. Uh, the fact that Donald Trump was uh, aware of the fact that he lost the election, really important. They had meetings with him where they disclosed the plan, uh, according to Kenneth Chesbro, and a statement Oof. that Dan Scavino, the deputy chief of staff, said, oh, don't, haven't you heard? He's not leaving under any circumstances. And I think that rebuts the claim that he thought that he had legitimately won the election. And so I think that's... How would any of that change that? You can't read his mind. Important. I think there's one other important dynamic here, and that is having people on the inside admit that it was all a con. To the extent that a jury presumes a defendant to be innocent, uh, you know, hearing the evidence of a prosecution says one thing, but to hear people say, yes, I have pled guilty, I am accepting responsibility, and I, I was in on, it, on this, and here's how it went down, that can be very valuable for a jury to hear. All right, Special Counsel Jack Smith's office is arguing against having uh, cameras in the courtroom during former President Donald Trump's upcoming federal election interference trial, saying the former president wants a, quote, carnival atmosphere. In a filing yesterday, Smith's team wrote, there's a, quote, constitutionally sound broadcast prohibition that has governed federal criminal trials, no matter the defendant, for decades, and that there is no reason to depart from common practice. Media outlets, including MSNBC's parent company NBC Universal, are arguing for the trial to be televised. 
Initially, former President Trump's attorney told the special counsel's office they took no position on televising the trial. But over the weekend, the Trump team changed course, asking for the trial to be broadcast while accusing the special counsel of wanting it to proceed in secret. At this point, the trial is unlikely to be televised, given that federal criminal proceedings have never been aired on television. What's more, Judge Tanya Chutkin has repeatedly stated she will treat Trump like any other criminal defendant, and that broadcasting his trial would be a major departure from the norm. Uh, what do you think, Joe? And secondly, it's going to be really hard to treat him like any other criminal defendant, but I guess she can try. I mean, he well. gets special... He gets special treatment the minute he walks in the door. He has Secret Service. People can't put him in jail necessarily. Oh, Secret Service. are you admitting it? Wow, you're admitting it. Interesting. I mean, how does you this know, work? Don how is he treated like a normal Don person? Donald Trump wins when, when, when Donald Trump is able to play the disruptor. Right. When he's able to go outside of the courtroom and yell and wave his arms and tell America what just happened inside the courtroom. Uh, and I, we've seen it. We saw it with Robert Mueller. I'm afraid we're seeing it now with Jack Smith. Yeah. People are saying, just buy the book, buy the book. Let's go buy the book, head down. We're going to do this just like any other case. It's not any other case, and it's not any other defendant. Oh. And, and the, the key, it seems to me, Barbara McQuaid, for transparency in this case, is paramount. I'm really surprised and really disappointed that Jack Smith is talking about. Well, Jack and, Smith, uh, he doesn't like handing over uh, discovery. So yeah, I imagine he doesn't want a camera on him. Down, no, no transparency. Let's just do the case like we do every other case. Americans need to see this case. They need to see it because the rule of law is under attack and they need to see what's happening when a former president is being tried and possibly convicted for the crime of trying to steal an election, don't you think? Well, what we would like to see is different, I think, from what we can see. I'd love to see this televised because I think otherwise Donald Trump will uh, misrepresent what's actually going on in the courtroom. However, what Jack Smith is saying isn't that we don't want it to be televised. He's saying the judge lacks the authority to televise it. Federal Rule of Procedure 53 prohibits cameras in the courtroom. And so any advocacy on this issue has to be taken up at a different level with the judicial conference, the group of judges who make up the rules for what happens in court. Her hands are tied. But, but can, so can, can, can't he make a motion to do that? Can't, can't he move to get that done? Not, not The judge lacks the authority to do this. Uh, the, I think what the media companies are arguing is that she should strike down the rule as unconstitutional. So if she makes mm -hmm. that finding, then I suppose so. But other courts have already found that it is. And so I think that she lacks the power to do that. What the, the place to advocate is with the judicial conference to change the rule, and they have time to do that before this, this trial begins. So the Trump campaign is trying to downplay alarming comments made by the 2024 Republican frontrunner over the weekend, which... I think they're in like a catch-22 with the televising because if they don't televise it, yeah, Trump's going to do what he's doing now with the uh, Angeron case. He's just going to come out give his opinion, he'll control the narrative, and, uh, or, but then if they televise it, people will see how fucked up it is, but also, most people, I don't even think, would necessarily watch, because it's not like a murder trial, it's like about a fake elector scheme, people are like, what, are, what is that, they gotta, you know, they gotta work and shit.
So I just this is just not going to have the impact that they needed to in the polls. Echoed the words of 20th century fascists on social media and then later at a rally on Saturday, Trump vowed to, quote, root out his perceived political enemies who said live like vermin within the that's what he said, live like vermin within the confines of the country. That's his quote. In a statement to the Washington Post afterwards, a campaign spokesperson hit back at those drawing parallels between Trump's words and the words of dictators by using more extreme language. He told the Post, quote, those who try to make that ridiculous assertion are clearly grasping for anything, and their entire existence will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House. So, 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 so just stop there. Let's, yeah. Their entire existence <laughs> will be crushed when President Trump returns to the White House. Well, and, that makes and, things and, better. And Willie later on, he said, well, I meant sad existence, not entire existence. I, I mean, it's a, a distinction without a difference. But, uh, I mean, how, how ridiculous that a guy comes out, a fat, white, pink boy, uh, who's trying to talk Okay, tough. now, hold on a second. You, you are now doing the same thing. You are engaging in hyperbolic rhetoric, okay? So, it's okay for you to do it. It's not okay for Trump to do it. Ridiculous hypocrisy. For... For, for a, a, a fake populist uh, who's going around spreading hatred and trying to overturn American democracy. You're not spreading hatred there, Beaker? And his response to, to it, to, to Trump grasping back at a Nazi reference from the 1930s, is to say these people that are criticizing him are going to have their entire <laughs> existence crushed. I mean, say, are, these, like are these, you know... Where, Sign me up for that one. Where, where do you find people so vacant uh, and, and so desperate uh, and, and, and just lacking uh, any, any center, uh, any core, that they would talk about people's entire existences being crushed? Well, it's a job requirement, as you know, to work for Donald Trump. All those things you just lay out, be obsequious, echo exactly what he said. And in this case, it's not a reach it's exactly the thing that Adolf Hitler said. He used the term vermin. So that's a statement of fact. And it's just playbook 101, right, for a dictator, an authoritarian, to dehumanize your opponents so that you can do things to them that then seem, at least to your supporters, fair and just. Which is what you guys have been doing the whole time with Trump supporters. In some way, because they're not human. And Vaughn, it's been striking once again to see the lack of response from any Republicans at all on any of this. I think it's oh, almost I like- I can't believe the Republicans aren't helping us win now. Given here at this point. They've been asked, and we, I mean, we've been down this road for almost a decade now. Can you believe what Donald Trump said? Oh, I don't want to talk about the campaign. I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. We're focused on other things. Can you believe that he suggested General Milley should be executed? Oh, I didn't hear the comment. I don't, you know, this is, we know this, but my God. They won't talk about this either. Because it's what we were living through for all these last years is that Donald Trump could very well be in the White House for four more years. Right. And, you know, he's already vowed to destroy Kim Reynolds, the Iowa governor, you know, and for the constituents back home in the state of Iowa, when you see your governor being threatened like that, uh, you know, that's a hostile... I'm sorry, Donald Trump said he was going to destroy Kim Reynolds? Is that true? I don't recall that. 
place and environment to be here. You know, the one time that I was invited onto Donald Trump's plane this year was from Waco, Texas, back in March. And, you know, I work with these campaign staffers, including this press secretary, on a daily basis. And what is so striking this go around is just how keenly aware this campaign team is to have only loyalists on their staff. There are no Alyssa Farahs this time around. There is nobody that is trying to do good from within. When he got back on the plane after that rally in Waco, Texas, which there were a lot of questionable remarks made by the former president, he got back on the plane and everybody applauds. Great job, boss. And he puts his hands up in the air like that. And that is what the former president wants to hear. And frankly, when he sees polling numbers like he does, he has every right to feel good about his position right now. He wants to be treated like the dear leader. And Jonathan Lemire, that's also a preview of what we'll see if he's reelected in his cabinet and the people yeah. who he surrounds himself with. We did hear from the White House on this, though, yesterday on these vermin comments. Yeah, and the White House is really upped their rhetoric against Trump, criticizing Trump in the last week or two. We reported, we reported in the last week or so that they were mulling that shift, and, well, they have done it. Um, that They have decided to draw the contrast as much as they can. They've been really sharply critical of Trump on comments like this, but also his stance on abortion, other political issues as well, as a year out with a likely, with a Trump-Biden rematch so likely, they're not wasting any time. And some felt they should have made this move sooner. I know Joe does, uh, but they are doing it now, where they're trying to draw these contrasts. But to your point, it is going to be purely loyalists in the next Trump administration were he to win again. We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the 2025 project, as they have deemed it, and Trump's immigration proposals, draconian to say the least, which are going to involve raids and camps and, frankly, un-American measures to try to rid the nation, in their words, of illegal immigrants. Uh, and that is what is, is coming here. It, it's not just rhetoric. It's going to be rhetoric followed by policy. And certainly, we have heard Trump since 2015 use subhuman terms to describe so his political foes. So uh, and we're seeing that again here with the with vermin over the weekend. And there's no sign of it stopping. And yesterday afternoon, he well, said in a post on social media that he would institutionalize special counsel yes. Jack Smith, the current deputy attorney general, Lisa Monaco, as well as former DOJ prosecutor, Alan Weiss. And Joe, just quickly, the, the vermin comment was not an ad lib, was not a slip. He posted the exact comment to his social right. media site as well. This is a, this a story he wants to tell now. Yeah, I mean, it is, a choice. It is yeah. another line uh, that's crossed, another time that it's shocking but not surprising. And again, I, I'm, I'm glad the White House is doing what, what they're doing. It makes, it makes sense. When somebody apes Adolf Hitler and apes Mussolini, Benito Mussolini, when they lift words from 1930 fascist speeches focused at dehumanizing Jews, when they talk about executing the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff because he would not go along with a military coup. Uh, again, first of all, he didn't say he should be executed. He pointed out that what he did was treason uh, and then said that, uh, 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 or, or to go back with what Millie uh, did, so, Milley told China that if America was going to sneak attack, that he'd call them up and let them know. That's ridiculous. That is treason. So, you know, now whatever the penalty for treason is, that's really not Trump's fault. What he did was treasonous. If that had been a person you didn't like, you know, if there was a guy in there that he had, if instead he, he had some, like, normal guy in Millie's position, 
and he would have done something like that, especially if it was with, with Russia, that guy would probably be on trial right now. When they talk about institutionalizing the second he's elected, and this was just yesterday, institutionalizing uh, people at the Justice Department uh, because they're pursuing investigations against him. When he talks about terminating the Constitution of the United States. That's completely made up. Of America. Then, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think Jonathan Lemire, uh, the White House, is really uh, doing what we were talking about yesterday. They're focusing on Donald Trump's words. Each one of these cases, institutionalizing people in the Justice Department that you don't like. And he makes that threat yesterday after lifting Hitler and Mussolini's words, what they used to describe Jews and uh, other other enemies uh, of their uh, uh, of their fascist regimes, when he's talking about terminating the Constitution, Lie. when he's talking about doing all of these things, it, it, and, and when he has such extreme remarks on fallen soldiers saying he doesn't respect them, he Lie. doesn't understand why, he calls, he calls men and women who gave their lives to the United States, losers. Total lie. Well, you know, it's a good thing he's bringing it out. And I, I, I just want to say, I, I want, want to underline a, again that I think it's Donald Trump's words that, that he's doing now. And, you know, he's got an old act. This is like Elvis 77. It's an old act. He's near the end. And so what does he do? All he can do is keep re-upping for the shock value. Mm. And he wants to re-up for the shock value, so we'll talk about him and other people will talk about him. What he doesn't understand is it's a double-edged sword. Those very words he's using are now being put together by a campaign that's going to beat him again. And they're going to beat him with his own words. And we talked about abortion yesterday. Donald Trump bragging. Well, then, like, what are you worried about if he's going to lose then? I am the one who terminated Roe v. Wade. I am the one that killed a woman's right to choose what to do with her own body. I'd I am kill a baby. the one that took freedom away from your daughters, from your wives, from your loved ones. I am the one that crushed 50 years of freedom. I mean, those the, him bragging about doing all of that and leading little 10-year-old girls being raped by illegal immigrants and having to flee the state of Ohio? Lie. Because of what Donald Trump did, and he's bragging about that? Whoo-wee. That's going to be a long fall for Donald Trump. Well, then what are yeah, you worried Trump, about? Trump, since 2015, has had this political trick where he, he's speaking in a way that's just ambiguous enough that people can read into what they want. He can dismiss it. Like, no, oh, no, I was joking or I was exaggerating. But we have seen that his believers, his supporters take him at his word and they believe him. And we saw that is what fueled January 6th, their belief in his words about the big lie. And what we're and seeing by the here way, is, they're in jail. They and by the jail. way, they're in jail, Jonathan, aren't they? They believed him. And do you think there's another group like that that's gonna believe him too? Or do you think they're gonna be willing to sit in jail for a guy who sits fat, dumb, and happy at Mar-a-Lago running for president making money while these working class Americans are rotting in jail because they bought into his lie.
Well, there is a sense that his when he's called for protests in recent months, they have been sparsely attended because his true believers are already locked up. But to your point about words, his words being used against him, which seems to be the Biden campaign playbook right now on things like abortion, on things like extremism, on things like threats of political violence, it, those words are being used against Donald Trump. And we uh, let's see. All right, we can just move to the next one. Um, I think this was Rachel Maddow's sister. They respond to Trump, and they look back at Trump's uh, presidency and say, hey, my wages were higher, inflation was lower, oh, okay. we weren't at wars all over the place. All right, um, here is uh, Maddow's sister, Chris Hayes, uh, upset that Trump plans to indict people if he gets into office. That's next. They've weaponized the Justice Department. They've weaponized the FBI. And they've come at me with the worst indictments. They have done something that allows the next party. I mean, if somebody, if I happen to be. Oh, God damn it. I hate when this happens. Let me refresh here one moment. Okay. I think we're still connected to the Internet. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Let me um, fix this. Usually it'll play and then it'll reset again. And then it'll go back one second. I happen to be president, and I see somebody who's doing well and beating me very badly. I say, go down and indict them. Mostly, what that would be... Okay. Here we go. All right. Keep... Come on. Come on, fucker. Man, this is just... Uh, so we'll look at these ladies' clothes while we're waiting. It's a nice blouse for the soft well, gentleman. Would be, Here we go. I think you know, good. they would be out of business. They'd be out. They'd be out of the election. Donald Trump continues to be very outspoken about his plans, if he is reelected, to complete what he started on January 6th, to end American constitutional governance as we know it. And Again, totally made up. Replace it with what would amount to a kind of American presidential dictatorship. In an interview with Univision that aired last night, he couches his plans to use the DOJ to go after political enemies by saying basically they started it, they being the current administration. But the plain fact is Trump already did this as president publicly all the time, berating and badgering his attorney general Jeff Sessions, not behind closed doors, but on Twitter to open investigations into Hillary Clinton, including on an almost daily basis during one period in July 2017. He ordered investigations of political opponents and got some of them through. There was a years-long investigation of the Clinton Foundation that came to nothing. Remember that one? He got his Attorney General Bill Barr to appoint a special counsel to investigate the origins of the Russia probe in what became one of the most disastrously failed inv investigations that turned up nothing, went longer than Mueller, and got a bunch of acquittals. Uh, bullshit. So Donald Trump has already tried this. What he is saying this time, and what they are planning this time, quite plainly, is that they're going to make sure they staff the Department of Justice with people who do what he tells them, people who always say yes. Ian Basson served as associate White House counsel to President Obama. He's now the founder and executive director of Protect Democracy, a nonpartisan organization. Oh, yeah. Guys, totally nonpartisan. Dedicated to fighting authoritarian threats to our democracy. Oh, yeah. He joins me now. Um, Ian, at some level, it's not new, and it's not shocking to hear him sort of say this, but I do feel like it, you have to listen to what they're saying, he and people around him, about what they intend here, and it's not, they're not being particularly coy about it. 
No, and it's, it's very troubling because the cornerstone of our law enforcement system is that law enforcement is conducted independently and at arm's length from politics. You know, there's a couple ways you could design a system, right? You could say that the awesome power of prosecuting and imprisoning one's citizens could be wielded by a leader at their whim. Whoever they want to go after, they can do it. We have wisely, as a country, chosen not to adopt that system. Uh, that's not true. Joe Biden's doing that right now. You could make a different choice that says some people can never be prosecuted, say, former presidents. We'll never prosecute them. They'll be above the law. Well, we've chosen not to adopt that system either. What we've chosen is to adopt a system in which people are prosecuted after independent investigation, application of law to facts, and the same procedures are followed for everyone. And it's that system that has resulted in Donald Trump being indicted multiple times. And he is trying to pull the wool over Americans' eyes and hoping he can muddy it up and say, no, that's not what happened. And therefore, I get to use the first system. I get to do whatever I want. That's not the American system. That's the Russian system. As a comparison, we should know, I mean, the Department of Justice is a, is a unique instrument in all this, and I spoke about this the other night with Eric Holder, just because it's not in the United States Constitution, it wields tremendous power, it's part of the executive, but we need it to be independent in some sort of core fashion, even though that isn't sort of like quite constitutionally spelled out, obviously due process is. I mean, here's Merrick Garland, right, his memo to DOJ personnel in July 2021. Um, you know, setting up this very intense firewall for this purpose, saying over the course of more four decades, attorney generals have issued policies governing communications between the Justice Department and the White House, and then going into why you can't just be talking to people in the White House, basically, because we have to keep ourselves independent from them. I'm glad you brought up that memo. In fact, since Watergate, memos like that have been issued both by the Department of Justice and the White House, right, on both sides of that relationship, that strictly regulate and limit contacts between the White House and the Department of Justice. When I was in the White House Counsel's Office, part of my job was making sure that we very strictly followed those rules, and we did. And the reason is because, as you note, it's not that the Department of Justice, you're right, the Department of Justice isn't specifically outlined, for example, in the Constitution, but there are constitutional provisions that those memos seek to implement. And it's not just the Due Process Clause, as you note, it's the Equal Protection Clause, it's the Take Care Clause, right. it's the First Amendment, which protects people from being prosecuted for their political views. Donald Trump, not only did he try to override that during his first term, but the movement he's built is explicitly talking yes. about throwing it out now. So there's this Again, movement total called Project projection. 2025. Total fucking projection. Which has built this blueprint for a second Trump presidency. And if you look in that document, in black and white, on page 28, it suggests revisiting that memo and opening the aperture for more contacts between the White House and Department of Justice. It looks pretty innocuous, but it could not be more dangerous. How... How possible is that? I mean, what, one of the things that we saw, right, in the, in, you know, even with Jeff Sessions, who's like, I never thought particularly highly of Jeff Sessions, but like, he didn't just order investigations willy-nilly when ordered by the president, too. One of the things we also saw was that, like, people in the upper echelons of, you know, the legal positions, even in the waning days of the Trump administration, threatened to quit or wouldn't go along with the coup. Like, I guess the question is, like, how plausible is it in your mind that they could implement what they are threatening to implement? Well, we know that Trump wants to do it because he has said yeah, so. That's, that's not generally questionable. <laughs> that, that's not questionable. Okay, so there's three things that should stand generally in the way. One 
is the internal executive branch bureaucracy, the White House Counsel's Office, the Department of Justice, the oaths that bureaucrats take. And as you know, that's what prevented it last time. But we know that Donald Trump has plans and his movement have plans to replace all those people and make sure that there's just loyalists there. Not only in making sure, for example, that his White House counsel is entirely loyal and compliant, but in changing who is a protected civil servant, this is something he did at the end of his administration, to allow him to make more political appointees who would be loyal to him. So that first check is gonna be gone. The second check is Congress, right? Congress, checks and balances, has oversight authority over the Department of Justice, and were the Department of Justice to start doing things that were fundamentally at odds with the independent application of the rule of law, Congress should intervene. But as we've seen, he has completely captured his party in Congress, and if his party in Congress is in control of the legislative branch, that check will be gone right. too. And then the last check is the courts, right? But if he's in office for another term and appointing people like Judge, you know, sort of Eileen Carroll down in down in Florida, who's delaying his uh, his trial on the documents case, he's going to have compliant judges too, and then there are no more fail safes after that. That's terrifying, uh, but I, but there are fail safes. I mean, that's the key, is right. Like after that, like there's stuff in there, and there's a lot of bulwarks. They just have to be, you know, uh, reinforced in every possible conceivable way. Ian Basson, uh, who recently oh yeah, non-political, non-partisan guy. Oh, it's amazing. All right, let's see. Uh, what do we have here? Trump plots insurrection act on day one as president. This is the homosexual prostitute from Miami Vice. At least that's how he dresses. So we have some new reporting here. I think this is originally from the Daily Beast. Um, apparently, Trump and his team understand that, hey, if you win again, uh, it's going to be ugly in the sense that there's gonna be uh, a lot of protests and a lot of marching in the streets, potentially. Uh, that's, you mean violence. The left is gonna be violent as usual. Even riots. The uh, 2017 Women's March after Trump was elected was gargantuan. And so they are considering, hey, we gotta deploy the military on the streets like day one. This is how he wants to start his second term. Hey. Look at this. Trump plots revenge in second term with plans to use the Insurrection Act to quell protests and the Justice Department to probe former officials who turned on him. Former President Trump plans to use the federal government to exact revenge on his enemies if he's elected to a second term. Trump associates are already looking into how we can invoke the Insurrection Act to use the military to quell protests against him. He also has a list of former officials he wants the Justice Department to probe including former Attorney General Bill Barr and Chief of Staff John Kelly. Here's the scary thing about a potential Trump second term. The way he views his first term is, I was too soft, I was too weak, I wasn't steadfast enough, and I didn't crack down on all dissent the way I should have. That's how he views it. So he views it as like, hey man, when everybody and their mother around me was telling me, I lost the election and I need to step aside. My problem was I didn't go all in with the Sidney Powells of the world. I didn't go all in with the John Eastmans of the world. I didn't have a clear and strong enough plan to make sure I can stay in office even though Biden won. Like, he's mad he didn't twist Mike Pence's arm harder to stay in office. And so now, anybody who was around him, who dissented from him at all, 
He views them as an enemy. Bill Barr. Why is he so mad at Bill Barr? He wanted Bill, Ma Bill Barr at the Department of Justice to basically find a way for him to claim, no, we need to uh, take these voting machines, confiscate them, and, and fix them because they're off, and we think we actually won. And he wanted him to open sham investigations to claim, no, we, can't, we actually can't say who won. I'm rejecting what the secretaries of states and the governors say in these various states that say Biden won. I'm rejecting that. We have a Department of Justice investigation and give him the cover he needs to make the claim, hey, I, I'm not leaving office yet. Even the Justice Department is saying that I, I shouldn't leave office yeah, yet. Yeah, and watch Biden try to pull some shit like that and they'll defend it. He tried to twist Bill Barr's arm into doing this and Bill Barr, to his credit, said, fuck off. You're wrong. You lost. I'm not going to be a part of this. It was a rare moment of integrity from Bill Barr. So he wants to now investigate Bill Barr, investigate John, Ke uh, John Kelly, anybody who dissented from him, he's ready to throw the book at them. So never mind the, you know, revenge uh, planning on going after Biden and the Democrats and like weaponizing the Justice Department in a way that he accuses his opponents of doing, but they don't do. They're actually just following the law, right? Uh, again, he bullshit. Who wants to actually weaponize the Justice Department for his own nefarious? Biden has already done it. This ends. And remember... It was during the George Floyd protests and riots that Trump was this close to invoking the Insurrection Act, deploying the U.S. military on the streets. And, and it was, uh, I think it was General Milley, somebody behind the scenes was like, we are not doing that. We don't deploy the U.S. military on our own streets. You know, you want to uh, crack down with police officers? Like, okay, that's what their job is. But we don't deploy the U.S. military on the streets. This is a, a brazen violation of the First Amendment because most of these people are peaceful protesters and you want to crack down on all of them. No, they were not. And you want to arrest them. So now the conversation is, no, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and invoke the Insurrection Act on day one and get revenge and retribution on people who dissented. I mean, it's scary stuff. And don't forget, guys, there's also Project 2025. We discussed that in detail on the show. I highly recommend type in Secular Talk Project 2025. I go through all the specifics of it. But the bottom line is, this is an amalgamation of all of the different right-wing think tanks and their strategy and policy goals moving forward for a second Trump term. And basically, the point is to destroy the entire administrative state. Oh, no. Say goodbye to the FDA and the EPA and the Department of Education, and the IRS. They want to gut these things like a fish. Oh, no. How dare they? They want to make it so there's no regulation of the marketplace at all, basically. And then sprinkle in, there's a lot of, like, Christian theocracy stuff in there as well. There's strategies in order to really enforce anti-abortion politics across the country, even roll back the clock on gay rights. So what you're looking at here for a Trump second term is Trump unchained. That's what this is. Trump Unchained. That would be fantastic. So I was actually wrong. I thought this was the Daily Beast that first reported this. No, the, the Washington Post reported Monday that if Trump is reelected next year, his associates are already drawing up plans for him to invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office that would allow him to deploy the military against civil demonstrations. Again, this is First Amendment right out the window. Free protest, free speech right out the window on day one. Basically leaning into authoritarian... Again, writing is not free speech. ...arianism on day one. By the way, guys, remember, Trump has been saying, I'm going to suspend the Constitution. Total lie. 
He says, hey, I won the election. It was stolen from me. So anything is justified now. We need to suspend the Constitution. He said this. Bullshit. The largest single-day protest in U.S. history was the Women's March back in 2017 when Trump was sworn in. The paper also reported that the ex-president and the 2024 White House hopeful has said in private that he wants the Justice Department to investigate officials turned critics, which would go against American legal norms and likely be a violation of the 14th Amendment. So Bill Barr is on the list, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, ex-attorney Ty Cobb, um, former Joint Chiefs Mark Milley, who had to rein Trump in from doing the Insurrection Act the first time. Basically, all the people who, who kept the wheels on the bus are the ones who he's like, no, you're the problem and I'm coming after you. Anyway, this is, uh, this is terrifying stuff here, man. Oh, I hope terrifying you're terrified. Stuff. And by the way, uh, Biden is shooting himself in the foot, too, for his chances for 2024 at the moment. He's, I mean, he's doing it. He dropped 11 points among Democrats, mm. hemorrhaging Arab Americans and Muslim Americans because he's backing Netanyahu slaughter, slaughtering politicians. Absolutely plummeting off a cliff with young people. And he's shooting himself in the foot, and this guy is the alternative. So Biden better course correct, man, or pfft, it's going to be a long four years, dog. Long four oh, years. I hope it's real long for you. Oh, we'll have to see. All right, here's Bald Joy Reed. Here we go. Tonight on the readout. You say they've weaponized the Justice yeah. Department. They've How weaponized the FBI. Would that. you do the same if you're reelected? If they do this, and they've already done it, but if they want to follow through on this, uh, yeah, it could certainly happen in reverse. It could certainly happen in reverse. What they've done is they've released the genie out of the box. First off, man, genies come out of bottles, not boxes. That aside, Trump has been openly admitting his authoritarian vision for America. But top Republicans in Congress are still aiding and enabling him, including a frivolous new ethics complaint against the judge in Trump's New York fraud trial. Also tonight, author Brian Stelter joins me on his new book about oh, Fox, Brian Network Stelter. of Lies. If you think the worst was over when Tucker was fired, think again. And three distinguished religious leaders join me tonight, each from a different faith. We're going to have a tough but very necessary discussion about the Israel-Gaza conflict and how to begin a constructive dialogue about solutions. And a happy Veterans Day to all who served. We begin tonight with the further embrace of Donald Trump's desire to be more like the authoritarian leaders he so publicly admires. Russian President Vladimir Putin, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, and the recipient of his many, many, many love letters, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. That was on display last night when in an interview with Univision, the twice impeached, four times indicted former president took a page from their strongman playbook, warning that if he wins a second term, he would be justified in using the powers of the presidency to weaponize the FBI and the DOJ against his perceived enemies. Yeah, just like Joe Biden's doing. Of course, there's no evidence as Trump repeatedly claims that President Biden or the deep state boogeyman you, are behind They're him. literally indicting him. What more evidence would there have to be? You have uh, four indictments, 91 criminal charges. What do you mean there's no evidence? In his indictments, which include 91 combined federal and state charges. You just said it. But as we've seen with Trump and his authoritarian buddies, actual evidence is just a formality. Incredible. Trump's remarks come just days after the Washington Post reported that Trump told advisors and friends that if he won next year, he would unleash his DOJ to go after his perceived enemies list, a la Richard Nixon. 
which would include some of his own former White House officials. Trump's DOJ would function with the express purpose of indicting, imprisoning, and punishing anyone who opposed him. Trump repeatedly also wants to, in, reportedly also wants to invoke the Insurrection Act on his first day in office to allow him to deploy the military against civil demonstrations. This is more than just Trump's usual bluster. The Washington Post also notes that to facilitate Trump's ability to direct Justice Department actions, his associates have been drafting plans to dispense with 50 years of policy and practice intended to shield criminal prosecutions from political considerations. Last night, President Biden warned supporters at a Chicago fundraiser, folks, the same man who said we should terminate rules and regulations and articles of the Constitution is now running to end democracy as we know it. He's not even hiding it. That's made up. He added that Trump's actions are all about revenge and retribution. Those are two things that motivate any wannabe dictator. And, when, and even when Trump gets compared to one of the worst autocratic leaders in world history, Adolf Hitler, he appears to see it as a compliment at least according to a new book by ABC News chief Washington correspondent Jonathan Carl. Carl writes about how Trump bragged to a member of Congress about what former German Chancellor Angela Merkel, not a fan of Trump, told him, that she was amazed by the number of people who came to see him speak. And Trump said, she told me that there was only one other political leader who ever got crowds as big as mine. The Trump-allied congressman knew who Merkel was comparing Trump to, but couldn't tell if Trump who took Mergel's words as a compliment, himself understood. A Trump campaign aide denied the account. It's not the first time that that name has been brought up with Trump. Trump reportedly once told his White House chief of staff, John Kelly, that Hitler did a lot of good things. This was when the two were on a visit to Europe in 2018 to mark the 100th anniversary of the end of the First World War, according to a book by The Wall Street Journal's Michael Bender. Trump also reportedly questioned to Kelly why his generals couldn't be as totally loyal to him as the German generals were to Hitler, according to a book by the New York Times' Peter Baker and the New Yorker's Susan Glasser. And according to a 1990 interview with Trump's then-wife Ivana, she divulged that he kept a book of Hitler's speeches near his bed. Quite the bedtime reading material, if you ask me. Right, but he doesn't read. Down. He can't read, he doesn't read, but he read Hitler's speeches. As Michael Steele, former RNC chair, MSNBC political analyst, and host of the Michael Steele podcast, and Jill Weinbanks, former assistant Watergate special. Uh, I got a refresh here. All right. Yeah, I, I, I love when they say, oh, yeah, he doesn't read, he's never read anything. But he reads Hitler books, Hitler speeches, so he can magically read when it's time to read Hitler. All right, there's Watergate these special prosecutor and an MSNBC legal analyst. Thank you uh, all for being here. And you know, there's the Hitler, Hitler, Hitler what is it? Hitler ab absurdum. Uh, I think is the term yeah. when you invoke Hitler so much that it becomes Which absurd. You do all the time. But with Trump, he seems to be into. Hold on. Okay, here we go. All right. Soft gentleman has quite the selection of ladies' blouses. He seems to be into it, Michael. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole authoritarian thing. I mean, I don't think he really distinguishes. I mean, I think that last uh, point uh, with Ivana, you know, his former wife, um, it's sort of says it all. I mean, that's, she's saying that, yes, by his bedside, bedside you kind of go, oh, really? All right, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. 
So he doesn't make these distinctions the way the rest of us do. He's not put off by that comparison. Um, and this is not just, you know, us here at MSNBC saying this. These no. are people who are around him, yeah, who course. are writing about this and telling this side of his story. So yeah. we got to take it at face value because I ain't in his bedroom, so Ooh. I don't know. We have to take it at face value because it helps us politically, of course. What's on his bedside. So if his wife says that's what's there, guess who I'm going to believe, right? Mm. So there, there's yeah. all of these storylines that come out about him that fill in the pieces that a lot of us thought were possibly true or maybe curious about. Well, we're realizing now that this guy does have this particular complex and there's a chance he could be back in the Oval Office. And we know what and that means. Exactly. And that's the point, uh, Jill, is that we know what it means because he's telling us, right? He, he doesn't actually have a filter. And so what he's basically saying is, I'm going to go ahead and arrest anyone that is in my way. I'm going to arrest people using the Insurrection Act uh, for trying to protest. He's already now said on his Truth Social that the only fraud was committed by Letitia James, who was, of course, prosecuting him and his company, and he's already been found guilty. She should be prosecuted. He's threatened the judge in that case. He's gone after his uh, aide. Any of those people, Jill, could be subject to arrest hmm. if he's president. And it's ashamed. not a joke. He's saying he's going to do it. Maybe you shouldn't have gone after him. Maybe you shouldn't prosecute your political opponents. Maybe you need to be taught that lesson in a very visceral way. He says the quiet part out loud. He doesn't have a filter. He can't help himself. He said there are good people on both sides oh, when the neo-Nazis marched oh, in Charlottesville. Shit. He's telling us who he is and we should believe him. So this whole point of this is very frightening. We should all be worried with what is happening now with the anti-Semitism rising and him taking on the role of an authoritarian leader. Yeah, who he that's uh, Trump supporters are part of that anti-Semitism, yeah, not, not Muslims. Praises, and he, he's praised Viktor Orban. He says that he would solve everything in the world in Ukraine. Of course he would, because he would give Putin everything that Putin wants, because he admires Putin. So this is really bad for justice. His threat of a uh, enemies list is something I'm very familiar with. During Watergate, we know that President Nixon had an enemies list, and he used the IRS to go after those people. He used things that even, he, he didn't use as many things as I think Donald Trump is now telling us he will use. He's saying he will use the Department of Justice. And although Nixon did, through his attorney general, try to use the Department of Justice, he never succeeded at that. We know that now that Bill Barr has said he's toast, Bill Barr is going to be one of the people he will go after. And we need to protect justice. We need to keep the Department of Justice separate from the White House. It cannot well, be not separate. allowed to mix yeah. in specific decisions. He's also said that Mark Milley should be put to death. Uh, and that's not what he said. I think, yes. you know, there's a thing, Michael Steele, where people don't take Donald Trump seriously because he doesn't always seem fully corpus mentis, uh, but, and he doesn't remember where he is all the time. But he's very clear about retribution. And he has a political party that's willing to go along with it, even people who used to be considered sort of normie Republicans. Witness Elise Stefanik, who used to, you know, Harvard girl, used to seem like a sort of weirdly, you know, conservative, moderate Republican. Uh, but here she is now accusing Judge Arthur and Goron of weaponized lawfare against Trump. Good. She's called on the judge to recuse Good himself. For her. She's now filed an ethics complaint against him. Good. 
Republicans are enabling this by essentially using the power of the federal government against federal judges. Oh, right. So only Democrats are allowed to do that. Thoughts? Yeah. Well, Lee Stefanik is just flat out wrong here. I mean, she has no grounds to do this. She has no basis. She can't. Where where was this judge and she? Where do they cross? What what is she talking about? She's not in the case. She doesn't. I bet she couldn't cite anything from the case right now. So this is all again performative. It's the level of performative BS to cloud the system, to grind it to a halt, to make people suspect of it, to make people distrust it to make people think something nefarious is going on. This judge who's been sitting and serving for how long? Suddenly now, because Elise Stefanik has her nose out of joint because Donald Trump is getting his behind handed to him the way it should for his behavior. She's defending Donald Trump's behavior, right? By going after the judge. So we have to understand what's going on here and keep it in the context in front of us that this is performative, it is largely irrelevant to the course that the, this trial is going to take. There are good lawyers in, involved here. There are good prosecutors involved here. Donald Trump presumably has hired the best to defend him. So, you know, Elise, just stand down, sis. You, we don't need you in that room. We don't need you in that room. Uh, you know, well, he's hired the best who got paid in advance that he could get after his other lawyers got well, <laughs> The there best way who had indicted themselves, yeah. Uh, Jill, they you know, probably got the money in gold bars, right? You, you know that's right. Uh, um, Jill, you know, there is this idea of the, the MAGAs who are embedded, that he's embedded so many people in various places that can try to help save him, because this is all about saving himself, obviously. The judge in Florida, who we will not prejudge, she's seemed very pro-Trump before, she has issued a ruling here. She's put off the decision on whether to delay Trump's uh, trial. And this is in the documents case that even Bill Barr, Trump's former toady uh, attorney general, has said he's toast on. She's going to delay it. But here's the rub. The trial date right now is May 20. The trial date on the uh, other, the D.C. version of this case is in March. Where does the Georgia case fit in? In a sense, is she still seeming to sort of block for Trump by setting a date that kind of squeezes out the Georgia prosecution, or am I being too cynical? You are not being too cynical, Joy. I share your cynicism. It does seem like by saying, well, I won't decide till March 1st when we have another hearing, that she's holding that block of time so that Bonnie Willis's case cannot get scheduled in that time block. And then she might put it off till April. And then, of course, there's a May trial coming up that's supposed to go forward, but it's being held. So no one else can schedule anything in that time period. That does seem bad. And I think, you know, Eileen Cannon has shown who she is in her very first entree into this case when she issued a ruling that the 11th Circuit, very conservative circuit, said, you are so off and totally undid what she had done in trying to stop documents from being used by the government. So yeah. I think that we can probably say it's fair to say that she isn't an experienced judge and that she might be thinking, well, I can help him this way. I said when this first happened that I didn't expect her to grant his original motion to put it off until after the election, but that right. she would do it by a thousand cuts, little a little, little bit here yeah. and a little bit there.
Yeah, and let's keep in mind that the oldest judge uh, right now, I believe, on the Supreme Court is one Clarence uh, Get Money Tom, uh, Thomas, and uh, she's a young right-wing judge. Uh, as Lawrence O'Donnell has said, the bribe is implied. Michael Steele, Jill White. Oh, she's taking bribes now. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, let's see. Uh, Trump ramps up attacks on the special prosecutor's family. Donald Trump might be... Donald Trump might be under a gag order to not attack any of the witnesses in his case where he, you know, tried to overturn the 2020 election. He's under a gag order in New York in the fraud trial where he can't go after any members of Engeron's staff inside the court. But so far, none of the gag orders that he has been placed under have told him he can't talk about special prosecutor, Jack Smith, or any members of Jack Smith's family. So. Because of that, over the weekend, Donald Trump once again leveled attacks against special prosecutor Jack Smith's family. A family that is in no way, shape, or form involved in the prosecution of Donald Trump. A family that is not employed by the DOJ. A family that has not worked on any of the cases or the trials that Trump is facing. And yet this man, the front runner for the Republican nomination is out there attacking Smith's family. So here's what happened. Donald Trump told his crowd in New Hampshire that, uh, Jack Smith is deranged. He's a Trump hating prosecutor. His wife and family despise me much more than he does. He then said that on a scale of one to 10, how much they hate Trump. He said, Smith is about a 10. And his family is about a 15 on a scale of 10. There's always intimidation of everybody at the highest level, but I really don't care. I don't care. I just want to do what's right for the country. No, you don't. You're running for president again because you were drunk with power and you want to feel that drunkenness again. And of course, because it allowed you to put a lot of federal dollars in your own pockets by forcing the secret service and of course, foreign heads of state to visit your properties where they had to rent rooms and rent golf carts and all that and kind of the stuff. The whole reason he ran for president. If you want the money and you want the power, yeah. you don't give a damn what happens to this country. But that part's beside the point. The big point is that as per usual, Donald Trump is once again placing a target on a group of people Bullshit. who are now going to be subjected to even more threats from his cult like followers. The fact that Donald Trump has not been slapped with a gag order that covers Jack Smith and by extension, his family is absolutely mind blowing at this point. And I don't know if Smith has specifically requested that as far as I've seen, he has not, you know, he doesn't want to be perceived as a coward, but at some point, some judge is going to have to say enough is enough because this is straight up bonkers. Donald Trump is attacking this man's family. And even if a judge doesn't want to put a gag order saying you can't talk about Jack Smith for the love of God, could you at least protect the man's family? Oh, there's such victims. They're not involved in any of this. Oh, and for the record, Jack Smith himself is not doing anything illegal. He is actually doing the job that the United States department of justice appointed him to do. But if you're not going to protect him, then you at least have to protect his family. You have to do something. Donald Trump sounds like a threat. Trump is not the guy 
that's going to go out there and cause any harm to anyone, you know, him personally. I'm not worried about Donald Trump showing up at my door and trying to throw a punch. Jack Smith is not worried about Donald Trump lunging over from the defense side of the courtroom and trying to attack him. That's not ever going to happen because Trump himself is a big fat coward. His supporters, however, have a, a few screws missing. And when they hear Trump make these claims, when they hear him do these calls to action, which is effectively what Bullshit. these- Bullshit, it's not a call to action. That's made up. These are, it puts people in harm's way. Total lie. And the courts could stop it, but they are actively making the choice to not do that. Boo hoo, jail Trump. And people could die as a result. Oh, what a joke. He wants to censor people. Uh, Boo-hoo. All right, let me, I think, was, was there a breaking news? I think there was. Let me check here one second. All right, that's, uh, I don't know if you can hear upstairs Negar moving various furniture. Uh, let's see here. Breaking news from the internet from Oats. Let's have a look here. Uh, New Jersey sued for secretly harvesting blood from newborns without consent from the parents. Wow. That's insanity. Crazy. All right. The Institute for Justice has filed a lawsuit against the state of New Jersey alleging that a secret government program is allowing for the harvesting and saving of newborn blood without the knowledge or consent of the baby's parents. Whenever a child is born in New Jersey, the state government can collect and use DNA from the blood samples for any reason without the informed consent from the parents. The case charges that state law in New Jersey currently requires that whenever a baby is born, its blood must be collected and tested for various diseases, a policy similar to what other states require. But after the testing is over, New Jersey's Department of Health keeps the leftover blood for 23 years. The state does not ask parents for their consent to keep their baby's blood, failing to even inform parents that it will hold on to the residual blood. The only way parents could learn about such retention is by proactively looking it up on one of the third-party websites listed on the bottom of the card they're given after the blood draw. According to the IJ, the state of New Jersey can pretty much do anything it wants with newborn baby blood for 23 years. This includes selling it to third parties, giving it to law enforcement without a warrant, or even selling it to the Pentagon to create a registry, as previously happened in Texas. Holy shit. Wow, that's unbelievable. In order to collect and save, save baby's blood, hospitals must be required to first get consent from the parents. What IG wants to see changed in New Jersey's right to inform consent policies, which currently exclude a child's parents from the equation, as medical workers proceed to collect, save, and do who knows what with baby's blood for several decades under the cover of darkness. Parents have a right to informed consent if the state wants to keep their children's blood for decades and use it for purposes other than screening for diseases, said one of the lawyers. New Jersey's policy of storing baby blood and DNA and using that genetic information, however, it once is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment rights of all New Jersey parents and their newborns. Hannah Lavigilio, 
one of several plaintiffs in the case, also commented she finds it incredibly disturbing that the state of New Jersey under existing law can enter an incredibly intimate moment, tender days of childbirth, and take something from our children, which is then held on to for 23 years. The lack of consent and transparency causes me to question the intent and makes me worried for my children's future selves. Another lawyer for IG um, says she finds New Jersey's baby blood collecting process uniquely problematic compared to similar laws in other states because there are no protections in place to even try to prevent wrongdoing with baby's blood. What makes New Jersey's program so uniquely disturbing is the complete lack of safeguards for future abuse and the lack of consent which leads which leave the program ripe for abuse. Parents should not have to worry if the state is going to use the blood. It's, it said it was taking from the baby to test for diseases for other unrelated purposes. Man, that's crazy. Absolute insanity. Who knows what the fuck they're doing with that blood? Holy shit. And the DNA? Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Okay, let's see. And now, uh, Mannequin Wizard... ABC News billboard shows Stand with Israel, stomping out Stand with Ukraine. Really? Wow. Look at this. Fascinating. Ukraine is out, Israel is in, according to ABC News. An advert in New York City shows the text Stand with Ukraine, accompanied by Ukraine's yellow and blue flag before Stand with Israel. Text appears to beat down the original message off screen, and the Israel flag replaces the Ukraine flag. Wow. And then it says, watch the news, ABC News. Wow. The Ukraine war is now officially out of fashion since it's become politically inconvenient for the U.S. to continue siphoning billions of dollars to the Eastern European country. The military-industrial complex has found a new golden goose with the Israel-Hamas conflict. And that is the, uh, yeah, Israel. There's the NPC getting his programming. Fascinating. All right, let's see. Let me uh, read some of these super chats. We're taking them through Streamlabs, link in the description. We're also taking them through Entropy, link in the description. And we're also taking Rumble Rants on Rumble. Also, you can sign up for Subscribestar or the Rumble subscription option by clicking the red subscribe button. Or you can uh, also uh, go to the Soft Gentleman's YouTube channel, join the Soft Gentleman's Bathhouse if you enjoy his left-wing content. He wrote a book called What a Bigot Would Say. That link is in the description of Rumble and YouTube. You can uh, check that out. Um, Alcove says, Why does Trump even give these retarded authors the time of day? Why give John Carl soundbites for Boney Joni to cheerlead genociding us? He should just tell them to piss up a rope. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I don't know. He, he talks to them too much. Um, he should just treat them like they are not legitimate at all. Cooper Sees the Truth says, Bathhouse Barry getting huge crowds and is popular with devoted supporters. Well, that's just wonderful, beautiful, and it's unquestionably good. But Trump gets huge crowds and devoted supporters. Well, that means he's literally Hitler. Yes, how dare the populace get any sort of crowd? Cooper Sees the Truth also says, Wow, Stabbing Joe. Was that a little subconscious slip of the tongue? The intern murderer said the big steal instead of the big lie. Oh, did he? I, I didn't catch that. 
Joe, don't don't you dare tell the truth. Be more careful. Yeah, I, I completely missed that. The big steal. It was the big steal. Interesting. Oates says, any luck on getting Softy's book in Amazon, etc.? So um, it's supposed to take, I think, up to six to eight weeks. I think we're at probably five or six or so weeks. So I would think in the next two weeks, if it's going to happen... That's that's when it would happen. So either Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Apple Books, we will see. Um, as far as on my end, it, it it seems to indicate that it's approved. So we will have to see uh, what happens. All right, let's see. Let me hold on a second. Oh, I don't think these uh, oh, these aren't. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to come back to these because they they are in a different order. Hold on a second. Actually, let me see if I can do it real quick. Yeah, history. I think these uh, were sent out of order. Okay. Oh, okay. It's loading. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll do this here. Okay. Let's see. We did those. We did those. Going back here. Okay. Where did we leave off? I think. Okay. Did that one right? Okay, yeah. All right. We have... Black Knight Leader says, Things have gotten really bad in Iowa. Almost all the Catholic hospitals got shut down. They used to tell their patients, Don't tell me your COVID vac status, which apparently Biden's admit learned about and cut funding. Oh, that sucks. State hospitals suck in comparison. Oh, that's a shame. The only sane places. Then he says, Southern Iowa, I should make clear, most of the Catholic hospitals in Southern Iowa. I also beat Xanderthal on Twitter. I posted a long chain of references of leftists killing people, calling for genocide. He tried to have me dogpiled, made him block me. Yeah, that guy's a bitch, from what I understand. Leftist bitch. So not surprising. That's how he handles uh, evidence. Pazinski says, my cousin who hijacks my account when Softy is on says that Pac-Man is sad. So he told me to tell you that the new game in the bathhouse is to put valuables in your anus and the crowd use their dicks as baseball bats for a Pac-Man anus pinata. Oh, anus pinata. Okay, that sounds like an interesting game. I imagine the soft gentleman will be very pleased with that one. YGGS Gallo says, Yes, David, there's no strength to gymnastics. That's why you see women gymnasts doing the goddamn Iron Cross all the time, you lying piece of trash. Yeah, what a bitch. What a bitch. If, if it's not affecting him, it's not happening. Black Knight Leader says, Ash vs. Freddy vs. Jason 1 and 2 are my favorite Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street stories. Friday the 13th 9 was the one to show. Friday the 13th and Nightmare on the same universe as the Evil Dead. I don't think I saw that one. Nine? I don't think I saw nine. They had to kill the primary versions of the killers off. Ash was perfect for that job. Yeah, I I, uh, I think maybe eight was the last one I saw. Or maybe seven. Oh, Jason Takes Manhattan is eight, right? Yeah, it was that. I think that was the last one I saw. Um... Bazinski says the Italian satellite imagery and vote flipping is a confirmed op to frame HB for mass spaghetti breaking in Pennsylvania. 
Hashtag our WAP is innocent. Also, fuck trannies. <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, inno I'm innocent of breaking the spaghetti, you say. Huh, that's interesting. That's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, is that what we're going with? <laughs> I didn't break the spaghetti. I'd be in trouble. I'd be in big trouble. Um, Silky Johnson says, I don't know if it's because I'm petty, but if I was that kid, I'd show up with a super dark black face, bright red big lips and afro with a black power fist, afro pick, a bucket of fried chicken and the biggest, gaudiest watermelon bling with a Jordan jer uh, jersey mane. Yeah, that's crazy, the kid. They just, they're just fucking with his life because he, he wore uh, um, whatever that shit, that like charcoal shit for football. And it wasn't on his whole face. They're just uh, being insane. Silky says, with the Trump is Hitler bullshit back, is it just the result of a slow burn media narrative because of desperation? Or is it because Trump is gaining with the black folks and Hispanics? I think polling has something to do with it. Will they start calling minorities stupid again for leaning Trump? I imagine they will. I imagine they will. Yeah, I think they're going to get very vicious with people as they see the polling continue to be bad for Biden. Silky says, if I would... If I could, I would put the Road Warriors against Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage in a no-holds-barred uh, no street fight. They start by seeing which team can do the most cocaine. Then they beat the hell out of each other for 30 minutes. Warriors go over. That would be... Uh, yeah, I, I think all of them uh, were... Yeah. I mean, granted, I think it was very popular back then, but, uh, you know, uh, Hawk... Hawk definitely seemed like uh, he was coked up. Uh, Macho Man, obviously. Hawk Hogan, obviously. It's just uh, those those uh, interviews are hilarious. Um, Mega Jehovah says, so in Norwegia, uh, yes, Norwegia, <laughs> not Norway, Norwegia, we have the old system where you have a device that spits out a random six-digit code in order to log into banks and stuff coupled with a password. Recently, they did an app with biometrics that supposedly replaces it. Oh, that's not good. It installs itself. Um, talking about an app that is, for all purposes, spyware. I will never get nor use it. The code device and personal password is enough security as it is, and it was installed on my secondary phone for apps without my permission. My real phone has custom OS. Oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, they're probably, with a lot of this shit, they're going to try to make it very difficult to uh, to not go along with it. That's, uh, yeah, that's no good. Michelle Kincaid says, So based on Maddow's sister segment, it seems like all of the Hitler hysteria is from Trump's interview where he kind of hints at what's coming, which tells me they seriously thought he would take the high road this time after all the shit they put him through. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, like... They're crazy that they think that he's not going to do anything. I mean, that's just... Uh, what are they going to be like? Oh, we were just kidding. It's crazy. Michelle also says, I spoke too soon. They are all talking about Trump retribution thing. They're all terrified. Who do you think Trump should appoint as AG? He almost needs a real asshole type person with a chip on their shoulder against them and won't back down. A good question. I, I don't know. I, I, I hope it's a absolute cutthroat monster. Who would that be? I, I have no idea. There's one AG that's a state AG that they were talking about that they were saying that they that they were like scared of. But uh, yeah, that I'm really not sure. I'm not sure. I hope it's a person that does a great job 
and that is that never listens to any of the reeing or crying from leftists. But that's an important job. That's a very important job. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. I don't even know if there's many. Is anyone aware of, like, candidates for that position that are, like, in play? Uh, I'm not really sure. All right, thank you, Michelle. Appreciate that. All right, next one. Trump vows to root out leftists after the 2024 election. That's not what he said. He said commies. Yeah, so as I talked about in the segment Flynn. earlier today, Donald Trump, of course, mentioned in an interview with Univision that he was going to be prosecuting his political enemies if he ever makes it back to the White House. But it's not just his political enemies that need to be on the lookout, because later on, over the weekend, Donald Trump, during a rally in New Hampshire, reminded the crowd that he is, in fact, going to root out leftists throughout the country. He's going to root us out. He said specifically, he said he's going to root out radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. We are a fail. It's so interesting how they just, you know, like if, if, if I wasn't doing these things, I'd be like, yeah, he's not talking about me. I'm not doing any of those things, but notice they just put themselves in that category immediately because they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Nation, we are a nation in serious decline. 2024 is our final battle. <sighs> the real threat is not from the radical right. The real threat is from the radical left. And it's growing every day, every single day. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. That threat that he's talking about, the people... He is encouraging his cult-like followers to go out there and target. Uh, lie. He never said anything about that. It's people like me. Oh, boy. It's people like you. Oh, boy. It's not people like me. I'm not a filthy AIDS commie. I'm, I'm chilling. It's people who do not prescribe to the conservative ideology that appears to be failing across the country. It's those of us who... That's so fascinating that he... He knows that Trump's talking about him because he knows what he's doing. He knows he's part of the group doing this fucked up shit. That's so fascinating. If someone said, hey, we're going to take care of all the Florence, Italy, homosexual Italians, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I wouldn't, I'm not one of those, so I, I wouldn't say, uh, he's talking about me. <laughs> he's not talking about me. But Farron Cousins immediately, it's like, hey, he's talking about me. Yeah, he is. Because you're a filthy commie, Farron. You're independent thinkers. It's those of us who don't think we should be persecuting the LGBTQ community. That's not, he didn't even write anything about that. What are you talking it's about? It's people who don't believe that we should be banning books throughout the country. It's people who believe that people should be able to live their lives. Unless, of course, they're Trump supporters. Those are the people that Donald Trump says he wants to, quote, root out, calls us vermin. And then, of course, says that we're a great threat to the country and that we are the ones attacking this country. That is Nazi-like rhetoric. In fact, <laughs> most of the analysis yeah. of this speech that Trump gave has compared him. Oh, totally organically in unison compares him to Hitler. To Nazi leader Adolf Hitler, because this is the same kind of language 
that Hitler used mm. in his rise to prominence. And here is Donald Trump going for a second term in office using the exact same language for the exact same purpose. Now, let me tell y'all something. I get death threats. Oh, of constantly. course you poor victim. Oh, you poor victim. How do you survive the mean words on the internet? Oh man. I get threats of violence constantly. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I get other hate filled messages, mm. but not necessarily hate filled messages threatening to harm me. I know that other people in this industry get far more threats, far worse threats than I do. David Pakman is one of them. Oh, Sam Cedar is one of them. Poor victims. And everybody else who does this gets the same kinds of threats. Mm. Some of them on a daily basis. So when you have somebody running for political office as the head of a major party, pointing these people out, my friends and myself and everybody else who does this pointing at us and saying, we're vermin. What he is doing mm. is he is putting a target on each and every one oh, of us. Oh boy. He's so quick to include himself in the group. Isn't that fascinating? I, I, I can't tell you how terrifying it is sometimes. Oh, now that, now you're talking. I like to hear this. You know, somebody comes up to me in public is like, Hey, I've seen you on YouTube. And before yeah. they're like, and I love you. You're great. Uh, There's that moment of panic. Mm. Is this somebody that's about to pull out a gun mm. and kill me? Mm. Or is this somebody who's just going to say, Hey, your videos are fun. I like them. I don't know. And it is terrifying mm. because I see the messages I get. I see the messages that other people get. I see the threats, but up to this point, we, we've never had one of the, one of the candidates call us vermin and say that we're the ones attacking this country. And by using that language saying we're attacking the country, his supporters take that in their heads as, oh my God, my country is under attack. I have to defend it by getting rid of this person. So I'm not speaking in hyperbole when I say that he is putting a target on each and every one of us, because that is exactly what that kind of rhetoric does. Uh, hey, everybody. Poor, poor victim. Fox host pressures Elena Hoppe into violating gag order. Oh, so I guess you're going to call for him to be, or excuse me, call for her to be imprisoned. Again, for like the fifth time. On Sunday, Elena Hoppe, one of Donald Trump's stellar members of his legal team in the New York fraud trial, appeared on Fox News to talk with host Maria Bartiromo. And... After Alina Haba reminded Bartiromo that she is under a gag order in that New York fraud trial, Bartiromo then proceeded to try to, I guess, goad Alina Haba into violating the gag order. Here's how the conversation took place. Alina Haba told Bartiromo, we have a gag order currently against certain issues that we can't speak to. Few moments later, after Haba's like, Hey, there's things I can't talk about. Bartiromo asks Haba, you've been complaining about the judge's clerk and you say that the judge is compromised and the clerk appears compromised. Tell me why. So Bartiromo was just told like, Hey, 
Um, there's certain things we can't talk about. And Bartiromo being in the media, I have to assume knows specifically that Trump and his lawyers got in trouble for talking about the clerk in the courtroom and they're not allowed to do it. And Bartiromo's like, can you tell me why this person's so messed up? Like what's so bad about him? So she's basically saying like, Hey, I know you just told me you have this gag order, but would you mind violating that gag order right here on Fox news? Now this would usually be the point where I would then tell you how Alina Haba then went on to violate the gag order, but much to my surprise, Haba didn't do it. Maybe she's not the dumbest lawyer in America. Maybe I'm wrong about that because Haba responded, quote, <laughs> I actually can't tell you why, because I'm gagged. I can tell you that, you know, we'll be filing papers, uh, 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 to address all of those issues. Papers. You, you don't file papers with the court. You file motions, Alina. So maybe you're already back to being the dumbest lawyer in the country. Um, of so course. here's what happened. Either Alina Haba had a very brief moment where she remembered like, Oh wait, I have to be professional in this case. I can't just go out and be an idiot talking head. Like I'd like to be. So I will be restrained and I will just inform Maria Bartiromo once again, that I am under a gag order and I cannot talk about this issue. Either that's what happened or far more likely this whole thing was staged. You know, I want to give Alina Haba credit, but I don't know if I can. I really don't because here she gives a shit. Here's the fun thing. Now, granted it's been over a decade since I have seen how any shows on Fox news were produced, but shy of the people who've actually worked at Fox news, I have been involved you know, through my uh, employment with Mike Papantonio, who used to go on Fox news multiple times a week. I can tell you at least from back then, and I'm assuming not much has changed. I don't know for a fact, but I'm assuming if they're still operating the way they did way back in the day, these Fox news shows folks are very tightly scripted and yes, scripted. They have very strict rules. A lot of the shows, would say you have to send us your talking points before you can come on the air, or we'll send you the list of questions we're going to ask you. So I'm sorry, but based on the knowledge I have of how Fox news at least used to operate, you know, 10 years ago and you know, for the 10 years prior to that as well, I don't think this happened out of the blue. I think Maria Bartiromo set it up to where Haba could play the victim. I think it was discussed beforehand. And again, that's based on my knowledge of how Fox news shows have worked in the past. So I'm willing to bet that Maria Bartiromo probably talked to Haba prior to the segment. It said, listen, here's what we want to do. And if it wasn't Bartiromo, maybe it was a producer. I don't think this was just a turn of the switch. How we're going to try to get Haba to talk about this. I don't think that's how that happened. I think they wanted Haba to be able to claim that she is the victim by reminding people of their gag order, by pretending like, oh man, I really want to talk about this issue, but I'm not allowed. And if that is the case, then I, I, I do have to stand by my statement that Alina Haba is an incredibly stupid lawyer and that she didn't have a moment where she was actually a little bit cautious, but we'll probably never know how this actually played out unless there is a brave producer at Fox news willing to speak out. 
I'd love to hear from you. So let me know if you work at Fox Who News. The fuck would they give a goddamn shit what you think? Trump admits he'll prosecute his rivals if he wins re-election. During a recent interview with the outlet Univision, Donald Trump made it clear that if he ever makes it back into the White House, he is basically going to use all of his power, abuse all of his power is probably a better way to put it, to prosecute his rivals. Now they could be rivals probably on the left, but he's also, you know, open to maybe prosecuting some people on the right. Here is what Donald Prosecuting your political opponents is only okay when Joe Biden does it. Trump had to say. What they've done is they've released the genie out of the box. Well, I'm going to have to go ahead and stop right there because um, genies, genie, like you don't rub a box mm, and get a genie to come out. That so it's matters. not the genie out of the box. It's the genie out of the bottle is actually how that expression is supposed to go. But you know, Donald Trump, the most mentally competent person running for president, right? And the, he thinks we just keep genies in boxes. No, that's where you store your classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. He continues. Uh, he was asked, you know, if this is the DOJ been weaponized, a stupid question. Yeah. But he it's says not being weaponized at all. It's not unique, but it's unique for the United States. Yeah. If they do this and they've already done it, but if they want to follow through on this, yeah, it could certainly happen in reverse. If I happen to be president and I see somebody who's doing well and beating me very badly, I say, go down and indict them. Mostly they would be out of business. They'd be out of the election. Now it's not clear what he's talking about. Like if he's president and then, Hey, this person's beating me. Let's go indict them. Um, you, you won't be running for reelection. You are <clears throat> retard. It's called a hypothetical. It's called a hypothetical term limited from the United States constitution, mm -hmm. but he seems to be laboring under the delusion that if he becomes president for a second term, he could somehow run for a third term or it's a hypothetical. So that's a little concerning, right? And that's also, by the way, it's more concerning that you lack the IQ to contemplate hypotheticals. Hey, something I have said that if this man gets back into office, I don't expect him to leave peacefully. You said that the first time and he left on time. Uh, so you're, you're totally making that up again. I don't think he would adhere to the constitution. He literally did the first time. You know, it's not exactly something he's known to do and just leave. when he did when his term is up. No, he, he will surround himself with people who will do everything they can to find a way to let him run for president for a third term. Uh huh. But until we get to that point, we also have to consider his, his big threat here, which is I'm going to prosecute my rivals only because right. They're the ones who let the genie out of his box, but I will do it. Listen, Donald Trump is not being prosecuted because no. he is a threat to President yeah, Biden. Not at no evidence whatsoever. Ignore the New York Times coverage. It, none of it happened. It's totally fine. Donald Trump is not being prosecuted because he is a conservative. If there were, in fact, political persecutions and prosecutions taking place in this country, do you not think that the Biden administration would have prosecuted every single Republican yeah, that's investigating him? Uh, first of all, there is a long list. It's not just Trump that they are indicting. What are you talking about? 
Do you not think he would have gone they after... They sent a guy it, it, to jail for seven months for a fucking meme. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville. Do you not think he, think he would have tried to take down Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy or Matt Gates or Lauren... But Bo- They tried to take down Matt Gates with the bullshit uh, trafficking allegations, and that, that didn't work. Obert or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Jim Jordan or any of the other Republicans that stand in the way of his agenda... Like, that's the thing that the Trump people need to understand. The prosecution of Donald Trump is not because Trump is a threat. It's because, uh, tr- again, total bullshit. Trump is accused of breaking the law. Bullshit. If we saw actual political prosecutions, they would be overt. There would be many of them. It's literally happening right now. Right? But that's okay. Go along with it, because then when it happens to your side, I'm going to laugh my fucking ass off. Every other person running for president on the Republican side would also be being prosecuted, but they don't care about those facts. They don't care that you can easily well, ref- facts. You're full of shit. Fute these talking points from Donald Trump because they believe them and they're okay with them. And they're okay. If Donald Trump gets back into office and tries to turn the tables on the liberals by prosecuting each and every uh, one of it's us, it's what you would deserve. You would deserve every bit of it. And I will laugh my goddamn ass off. They think turnabout is fair play, even though that's clearly not what's going to happen. Donald Trump is using the prosecutions against him as a flimsy excuse to get people on his side to allow him to prosecute anyone he doesn't like. Well, it's working. So uh, maybe, you know, you can come up with a different plan. But so far with the polling, uh, this is not going the way that you wanted it to. So uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer group of people. Here is, uh, now they're claiming he's going to, well, mass deportations uh, are necessary at this point because of the amount of illegals that they've let in the country. It's uh, it's unfortunate, you know, I wish it didn't Well, folks, Donald way. Trump is officially laying out his plan for what he would do if he wins next year's presidential election. And I have to tell you, I've gone through this and literally every single piece of it is absolutely horrific. In addition to mass deportations, the creation of camps, to put more migrants in and possibly political dissidents. Donald Trump also wants to significantly raise taxes on every single thing that you purchase by as much as 10% while also doing away with vital government employees and entire government departments. And of course, forcing religious education, which that man knows nothing about onto our students in public schools. And that is just a handful of the things that Donald Trump wants to accomplish. Let me read you this. Uh, I'm not going to read you the whole list. I mean, we'll be here all day, but uh, this is what the Huffington Post or HuffPost uh, has put together. Trump would try to strip tens of thousands of career employees of their civil service protection. That way they could be fired as he seeks to, quote, totally obliterate the deep state. He would do that by re-implementing his so-called Schedule F that he had put in place right before he left office and Biden, upon taking office, immediately undid. But that would allow them to reclassify certain employees working for the federal government, making it easier to fire them without cause. Uh, He wants to crack down on government officials who leak to reporters, increasing the penalties for those folks. He's pledged to immediately stop the invasion of our southern border and end... How dare he stop the invasion at the southern border? Oh, what a bigot. Illegal immigration... And he would do that by directing U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to undertake the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. 
He would target people who are legally living in the United States, but harbor, quote, jihadist sympathies. Oh, how dare you deport jihadis? You need those people in the country. Who else is going to do the terrorist attacks? And revoke the student visas of those who espouse anti-American or anti-Semitic views. Trump says he will move thousands of troops currently stationed overseas and shift federal agents, including those at the Drug Enforcement Administration and FBI, to immigration enforcement. He also wants to build more of the border wall. He wants to reimpose his travel ban uh, targeting Muslim countries. And he's pledged to put in place, quote, ideological screening for immigrants. He said he wants to end birthright citizenship, which would require an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Uh, He says he's going to institute a system of tariffs roughly at about 10% on pretty much any good coming into the United States from a foreign country. Uh, He's proposed a four-year plan to phase out Chinese imports of essential goods, including electronics, steel, and pharmaceuticals. So good luck having an economy when we don't have goods. Uh, He wants to crack down on gender affirming care. He's going to declare that hospitals and healthcare providers that offer transitional hormones or surgery are no longer uh, meeting federal health and safety standards. And therefore they will lose all of their federal funding, Mm. include from Medicare and Medicaid. He wants to continue the Sarah Palin doctrine of drill, baby drill. Um, He wants to reverse proposed limits. You mean he wants to make gas prices cheaper? What a bigot. On pollution. He wants to increase pollution in the United States, folks. (laughs) He wants a say in school curriculum, vowing to fight for, quote, patriotic education, whatever the hell that means. He wants to terminate the Department of Education. He also wants to implement prayer in school while also bringing back large mental institutions to reinstitutionalize those who are, quote, severely mentally ill or, quote, dangerously uh, deranged which let's be real. That's pretty much his entire voting base. Mm. So if you vote for Trump, he's got a nice little place. He wants to Uh send you. I'm sure there is nothing, not one single thing that I just read you. And by the way, I skipped over quite a few things. Uh, you can read the full list, by the way, it's in the link in the description of this video. Um, but anyway, not a single thing that I read to you is something that we should look forward to. Speak for yourself, fucker. A single thing that I just read, is something that would be good or benefit the United States of America. This is effectively a wish list of a wannabe dictator. (laughs) I mean, if you looked at (laughs) Vladimir Putin's daily schedule, like these would probably be the kinds of things that he has Mm -hmm. written on there to do every day. And that is what Donald Trump is not just pledging, but what he is promising to do to this country if he makes it back into the White House. This is a horrific list of atrocities and constitutional violations. But that is what Trump says he will do if he wins next year. Ring a f- Sounds good. Uh, Trump tells the judge he wants the trial televised. Loading. Late Friday, Donald Trump and his legal team filed a notice to Judge Tanya Chutkin telling her that the former president of the United States is actually perfectly cool with televising his entire trial over his attempts to overturn the 2020 election results. 
Now, this filing was in response to Judge Tanya Chutkin, who just a week prior had effectively put Donald Trump in a box with a motion that she made. In her motion, Judge Tanya Chutkin gave Donald Trump the option, basically telling him, you need to file a motion with this court telling us why or why not your trial should or should not be televised. So if you don't want it televised, you have to tell me specifically explicitly why you don't want it televised. And if you do, you got to tell me why there too. She was, I think, kind of hoping that Donald Trump would chicken out because he said in the past he wanted it televised, but she thought maybe, I, I, I think she thought putting him up against the wall would make him say, no, 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 let's not do it. Now, the reason she even did that, because federal trials, of course, are not televised, but media outlets had banded together and requested that this one be televised. She entertained it, gave the option to Trump. His lawyers filed the motion and said, yep, we're good with it. So that's that, right? The, the whole trial should now be on, t on TV. We get to see it. We get to watch it. We get to see every single thing play out in front of us. Not exactly. Because unfortunately, even though the judge seems to be okay with it, the defendant seems to be okay with it. The press obviously is okay with it. Jack Smith is not. Special prosecutor Jack Smith has told yeah, the court that he why. absolutely under no circumstances wants this trial televised. Part of the reason he says is, you know, hey, there's the rule. Federal trials are not televised, which, okay, that's why she actually did the motion though. And then he says it could intimidate potential witnesses to not testify or to change their testimony. And that's true. I mean, that actually is a very real concern. It's one thing if these individuals are testifying, you know, behind closed doors, granted the media would pick up on it because they'd still be allowed in the trial. They just have to report on it afterwards. So whatever these people tell would still become public knowledge and the MAGA freaks would still want to go after these individuals. So the threat of these people, you know, testifying and drawing the ire of MAGA doesn't actually change. So I will say, I don't buy into his argument. I don't think it's going to intimidate anybody into either changing their testimony or requests to not give testimony because it's all going to come out in the end anyway. So why not put the whole thing on TV? I am a hundred percent in favor of that. I think that is what needs to happen. I think given the scope of this case, the impact, <laughs> the historical significance. So they're going to, uh, Smith is going to argue that it shouldn't be televised. Chuckin's probably going to give him what he wants. So they don't televise that one. And the only one that gets televised is the one with Fanny Willis. Oh my God. That's hilarious. of it. It has to be televised a hundred percent and you know, whatever issues arise from that, we will address when they arise, but let's not go ahead and start creating problems where they do not currently exist. This trial is too important for the public to not have access to see every <laughs> single thing that is happening. That's funny. Ring a fire. That's funny. Um, so they play this game where, Trump, uh, the issue is not whether or not Trump took the documents. It's whether or not Trump was allowed to have the documents. Trump took them as president, declassifying them. That's how it works. 
the idea, and uh, the, this is the first time I ever heard of it. Maybe we'll hear uh, more people make the argument. But I was watching uh, Regime Propagandist Destiny the other day. He pretends that um, after a president declassifies documents, they can like suddenly become classified after like a year or something. As if like the declassification expires. That's totally made up. That's totally made up. So they do this thing where they claim that, oh, Trump admitted that he had the documents. He's always said that he's had the documents. He, the, the dispute is whether he's allowed to have them. He declassified them. He said he's allowed to have them. And then Jack Smith says he's not, which is retarded. In but anyway, whatever. In a recent meltdown that Donald Trump had on Truth Social, he made a rather shocking admission. And that admission, of course, is that with regard to the document case, that is, of course, in front of Judge Eileen Cannon, who he put on the bench, but he admitted that, yeah, I did it. Now, I'm going to read you his full quote in just a minute, but but just let that sink in for just a moment. He He got out there, as he always does, and didn't deny the charges against him and instead tried to argue that, yeah, I did it and I did it because I'm allowed to do it. That's been the argument from the beginning, retard. It's basically, if I can boil this down before I even read you his quote, let me, let me put it this way. It's like a guy goes in and robs a bank, right? And then he gets and a... Again, why do you have to make up a crime? Why can't you address what is actually in play? They did this when he would fire Comey, when he, or at least he was talking about firing Comey, or then he fired Comey, and they acted like he committed a crime. And in order to make that argument, they would say, well, he couldn't have fired him if he had robbed a bank. Well, no fucking shit. Robbing a bank is illegal. Trump didn't rob a bank. Why can't you just deal with the, the facts as they are? Why do you have to make up some fucking bullshit? Arrested for robbing a bank. And now he has to go on trial for bank robbery. But rather than saying, no, I didn't rob the bank. The robber instead tells the courts, yeah, I robbed the bank. Do you know why? Because I, I, I bank here. They have my money and I only stole the amount that I have in savings. So it was, it was just a withdrawal, right? It was a sudden unscheduled withdrawal, which I am allowed to do. Because I had a hundred thousand in savings, I stole a hundred from the bank. I borrowed. I took it out of my account. That was my money. I have it there in the bank. That's how Trump is making this out. That's a terrible analogy. Like, yes, I did the thing, but it's because I was taking my stuff. Here is what Trump said on True Social. Again, admitting to doing the very thing that he's criminally charged with. Fake news, CNN just did a story leaked by deranged prosecutor Jack Smith and, and his massive team of radical left lunatics that various people saw papers and boxes at Mar-a-Lago. Of course they did! They may have been the boxes, etc., that were openly and plainly brought from the White House, as is my right under the Presidential Records Act. I even supplied, upon request, security footage. Actually, you didn't. Let's go ahead and stop you right there. Um, it had to be subpoenaed. And of course, according to your <laughs> accomplices, you did try to delete it. So, you know, don't act like you did. I gave you the... He didn't delete it. If he wanted to delete it, he could have just deleted it. Footage. 
No, you tried to delete it. Y'all just weren't smart enough no, to do that. That's not. How were they not smart enough to delete footage? You can just delete it. What are you talking about? Uh, here's the thing. You just admitted that you did the other thing too. Again, stupid, retarded faggot. That has never been disputed from day one. Okay, he had the documents. There is a dispute over the documents that he had. That's the whole thing. He's never denied having the documents. The question has always been whether he's allowed to have them. You are a fucking retard. Oh my God, these people are so stupid. Like, of course they saw boxes because Holy they were the boxes shit. that I stole from the White House. Because Again, I'm He didn't steal any boxes from the White House. You're making that up. Incredible. I'm allowed to do it under the Presidential Records Act. So they pretend that, like, after he served his term, that he, like, broke into the White House after that. These people are insane. No, you're not. Like, your lawyers, I'm sure by this point, have pulled you aside to be like, hey, man, um, I follow you on True Social. I don't know if you know this. I do. Uh, listen, I see you keep saying that the Presidential Records Act allows you to do this, and therefore you're admitting to these crimes. First of all, it, the Presidential Records Act, that this is literally what it's for. I'm, uh, I gotta tell you, man, the Presidential Records Act doesn't say that. In fact, it okay, says the exact... So you're just making up conversations that have never happened. Act opposite. It says that what you create is not your property, it's actually the government's property. So could you please, for the love of God, stop admitting to crimes on social media? Ben, this is like what Cenk Uger does, making up conversations that never happened. And if his lawyers have not pulled him aside to say that then you're the worst lawyers this country has ever seen oh, in the yeah, history sure. of lawyering. Oh, of course. And, and Amazing I'm commentary. Not being facetious about that either. Not. You really are the mm. worst. He keeps admitting to the crimes. Of course. He keeps pretending yeah. he is allowed to do the crimes. He literally is allowed to have those documents. doesn't matter if it's in this case. It doesn't matter if it's in the January 6th case or the Georgia case. He's always like, what? Yes, I did it, but I'm allowed to. You've got lawyers that you're allegedly paying millions of dollars for. You should be getting million dollar service from these lawyers. And if they haven't pulled you aside to be like, Hey man, um, stop admitting to crimes. Then I'm sorry. But at that point, you all deserve all the horrible things coming for you. With well, these you deserve, I mean, I will agree with you there. You deserve whatever the fuck happens to you. hundred percent judgments. Because that is borderline legal malpractice. And he's nervous. That's the thing. He's that other video. He's like, he's nervous. Practice for your lawyers to let you keep running your mouth like. Because he knows what he's doing now. Um, Jack Smith is not handing over discovery in the uh, Judge Cannon case. So Cannon, uh, the delayed. I think she's gonna recon. Uh, I think she's gonna make a decision in May or something like that. And of course, they act like, oh, she's in Trump's pocket. It's hilarious. On Friday, Judge Eileen Cannon shocked everyone when she announced that she was not going to delay Donald Trump's trial till after the. 2024 presidential election. She said, I am sticking with the month of May and I am not going to deviate from May. And then there was a little asterisk, I guess you would call it by her announcement that I am sticking with May. Of course, with the caveat, she says of, you know, by March, I'm actually going to tell you if I'm actually going to stick with May, but for now, 
I am not going to delay Donald Trump's trial. I, I could, I might, I probably will, but I won't tell you that until two months before this trial is set to begin. You know, I got to tell you, that is not the decision I expected from Judge Cannon. I really did think she was just going to straight up come out and say that I'm going to give Trump everything he wants. But instead she said, I am not going to give Donald Trump everything he wants until March, because this is exactly what Donald Trump wanted. He just doesn't officially get it yet. Right. It's like showing your kids their Christmas presents and then wrapping them and saying, okay, but you're not getting it till December 25th. Right. She's going to do what Trump wants her to do, which is delay the trial. And the big reason for that is because this trial is being laid out under the classified information procedures acts or SIPA and under SIPA in order to move on to any of the next phases of the trial or the discovery process, the current phase has to be completely closed out and finished. So let's say if there's, you know, seven phases that they have to go through, they can't move on to phase two and phase three and start doing a little bit of that work until phase one is completely closed out and moved on from because of that, there will be delays. And each time one phase runs over time, which has already happened, it delays the beginning of the next phases of the trial. So yes, this thing will end up being delayed just by virtue of the way that the simple works. Second thing is, you know what this does? And this is the big one. And this is why I think she did this. This prevents any of the other trials from making any decisions about timelines because she has now taken up the entire timeline. So, okay. So if she would have ruled in Trump's favor, she would have been in his pocket. Now that she didn't rule for Trump, she's still in his pocket. That's what judge Cannon did. She took up the whole timeline. She said, I'll let you know in March, if we're still on for May. And if it's not May, it could be June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January. See, nobody else can set a trial during that time. And if they do set a trial and she's like, oh no, I was totally going to do it then. Oh, well, I guess I have to postpone my trial until, uh, May of 2025. She is corrupt. She is proving <laughs> that she is corrupt and it is no matter what she does. She's a, she's, she's corrupt and they want her imprisoned. Amazing beyond time for Jack Smith to file a motion with the appellate court. To so she gave, she ruled against Trump and he wants her removed from the case. Get her kicked off the case. Unbelievable. She is doing this intentionally. What an angry little testicle. She's not good at what she does, but she does know how to delay this and give Trump everything he wants. And that is exactly what is happening here. Fucking hilarious. Now, of course, now there was an auction and apparently Trump has broken the law again. Oh, he just breaks the law no matter what he does. According to reports that have popped up over the last few days, it appears that Donald Trump likely broke the law yet again, this time with an auction at Mar-a-Lago that took place recently as originally reported by Midas touch, Donald Trump gave a Glock that was auctioned off 
at this uh, benefit for the Forever Family Rescue Foundation, which is an animal welfare charity. And Trump said, here's a gun. It's branded in Trump. It's got 45 on it. You know, it's a president. That was me. That was my number. Um, auction it off. And the bidding started at $10,000. You know, the, the auctioneer had to do a little coaxing of people to get them to actually want to bid on it. But eventually they did, and the item sold at the auction. So where's the problem, right? He had an item. He gave it to the auction. Not sure if he owned it or if it was registered to him. But, you know, he said, here's my thing, according to the reports. And if that is what happened, then that's a felony. <laughs> The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms actually forbids any individual that is currently under indictment in the United States from engaging in any form of transactions involving any form of firearms. So it doesn't matter if Donald Trump donated the gun to be auctioned, doesn't matter if it was registered to him or not. If he is the one who gave that firearm to the auction, then he would be technically guilty of engaging in the transaction. So if he were not involved in any way in the transaction, if it was just a firearm that was owned by somebody who donated it and Trump said, Hey, let me tell people it's from me. If he just wanted to seem like the big guy, but it wasn't actually his thing. Technically there's nothing wrong there. The question is who owned the gun? Where did it come from? Who bought it? Because obviously the person buying it knows, based on what the auctioneer said, it's from Donald Trump. So if you knowingly purchase a firearm from somebody under federal indictment, guess what? You're also breaking the law. Oh, so now the, you want the person that won the auction to be arrested as well. So... See, this is why you deserve whatever you get. Because you're, all you do is call for your political opponents to be put in jail and now the one time trump mildly talks about something that could affect you you're freaking out oh it's amazing how many people broke the law here who did what who knew what who made these horrific so once the animal rescue shut down and arrested thick decisions because the do they have pigs at this rescue do they have pigs like from Hannibal? Remember the movie Hannibal and the pigs? Do they have a pen of pigs like that at this at this rescue? Because maybe, you know, uh, we can uh, have Farron visit the pigs. That would be fascinating. The thing here is this isn't the first time Trump's gotten in gun trouble since he's been indicted. Remember, we had that incident like a month ago where he saw a gun at a gun shop branded in the Trump, you know, 45 had his image on it, I think. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy it. And then his campaign had to be like, he bought it. Then they learned it was not allowed legally. And they're like, Oh no, 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 he didn't actually buy it. You know, he just, he said he wanted to buy it. So y'all would think after the first time you got in trouble for this, maybe you'd be a little more careful with it because if what is being reported is accurate, if Donald Trump had any ownership stake whatsoever in that firearm, then he's probably going to need to get ready to be hit with more felony charges. Yeah. Uh -huh. One of today's video sponsors. 
So more felony charges. Uh, psych. Oh, here we go. Is this Bendy Lee? Oh, boy. I think Bendy Lee got kicked out of Yale or something. Anyway, psychiatrist warned Trump's psychosis is about to get worse. Oh, Trump has psychosis, does he? Gotcha. Okay, well, we'll see. Salon.com's Chauncey DeVega <laughs> recently... Cha the, oh, my God. Chauncey DeVega is the craziest motherfucker as far as, like, writers. He is the craziest one, in my opinion. There's a lot of crazy ones. He is the craziest. He will sign up for, like, the automated emails from Trump's campaign, and he'll go into... Speaking of, like, a psychosis, he'll go into this whole thing where, like, he'll get an email... And he, he, remember the whole story he wrote about, like he got all these messages from Trump's campaign and then it made him go outside for a walk and all this crazy shit. He's fucking crazy. Anyway. Conducted multiple interviews with multiple experts, mental health experts, experts. and psychiatrists who all had warnings about Donald Trump's continuing, well, let's just say deteriorating mental state. One of those people was Dr. Lance Dodez, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, former clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And here is what Dodez, again, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, forgive me if I'm not, but here is what he had to say about Donald Trump's current mental state. Donald Trump's severe narcissistic antisocial character disorder means he cannot tolerate or even acknowledge losses or defeats. He added that Trump has lost his grasp of reality and he's unable to deal with anyone who dares to hold him accountable for his lies. And then after Chauncey asked about, you know, Donald Trump's decomposing mental state, which of course has been quite obvious to everybody that's been paying attention to him in recent months. Here's what Dodez had to say about that. It would be more precise to say that the decompensation consists of exposing an inability to see reality and violent self-interest that has always been who he is. As many have predicted, as pressure on him continues to rise, his claims of greatness, his inability to accept legal constraints or punishments, and his destructive impulses toward all who have limited him will increase. Ultimately, he may decompensate to the point of gross paranoid psychosis with even more obvious incitement to riots and civil war rather than accept the reality that he has been finally held accountable. Now, the thing I love about that, and I love that Dodez even pointed it out, is that we've all been saying that. He's like, listen, it doesn't really even take a mental health professional to see that this man is deteriorating and the more desperate he gets, the yes. more his mind is basically decomposing. So forget the Goldwater rule. Uh, now anyone can diagnose Trump. And he's not the only one. Uh, Chauncey also spoke with Dr. Mark Golston, a psychiatrist and former FBI hostage negotiator trainer. Uh, he had this to say. Trump alternates between being a malignant, malicious narcissist and a sociopath. <laughs> From his narcissistic side, he's all about control and power, and the two things that trigger his rage and reckless abandon are when he is feeling out of control and powerless. When that happens, he is like a mortally wounded animal, which can be the most vicious and dangerous animal of all. From the sociopath side, the more he has to hide, the more he has to fear. 
He has gotten away with so many hidden things for so long that he has been un, uh, that he has been able to manage the fear of them being exposed. But now, where so many hidden things from so many directions are coming at him, the fear and paranoia he's experiencing is more than he can manage. Hiding things effectively was for a much younger, sociopathically agile Trump. I believe he could be pushed over the edge to truly outrageous behavior that even some of his base would see as too extreme. If someone came forth with the threat of exposure of things without specifically naming them that go back to his college years, his teens and before, you know, because this is a lifelong pattern of behavior. Ultimately to kind of boil it all down succinctly here, Trump's going to get worse and that's not good. Like <laughs> that's the, that's the biggest part is like, yes, he's going to get worse and it's really dangerous. It's dangerous because of how closely his cult follows him, how easily they take his of suggestions course. or even his keywords and take them as marching orders. And again, that is where completely made up where we are headed and, and not 12 months from now we're headed there right now. We could see this happening. You know, the, this month, we could see it next month when the trial in New York wraps up. And it's all because Donald Trump as a form of self-preservation created this alternative reality where he is the richest man to ever exist. He's the best businessman to ever exist. And he projected that image outwards to everyone. But this New York fraud trial has exposed that all as well, fraud. It's not real. None of it is. And now that that's being exposed, this, this life that Trump built for decades, it's all being shown to be a complete and total farce. Trump is panicking. He doesn't know how to handle it. And that makes him more dangerous than ever. Ring what a crock of shit. All right, let's see here. Uh, Silky Johnson says, so the bald faggot retard gets death threats, threats of violence and so on. Then he says he's getting threats, but they don't make statements of harming him. Am I crazy that I heard that, or is that, he, or is he that big of a lying retard? He forgot what he just said. I think he's like, um, he, he. I think he's clearly including people who are engaging in legal speech that's like harsh criticism. They always include that whenever they talk about death threats. That's mostly what they're talking about. Um, they just want to be able to censor the other side. Make a Jehovah says to the guy Bazinski or whatever, do not put garlic in olive oil for days on end. It promotes <clears throat> growth of botulism. It basically creates a potent neurotoxin that will kill you. No, it's not gay to cook with it. It's fucking lethal. Please do not ferment garlic. All right. I know nothing about fermenting garlic. I guess I should because I'm an Italian, but I'm a disgraceful Italian. I don't like the Rocky statue. I break the spaghetti. I got a lot of problems. But, uh, yeah, no idea. No idea about any of that. But, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you know try to, like, uh, do uh, follow all the food rules or whatever. I know the basics, like, uh, <clears throat> I don't wash chicken. <laughs> Have you seen the videos? It's a thing where, like, apparently, it, maybe there's white people that do this, but as far as I'm aware, it's mostly black people. They, they uh, wash the chicken with bleach. I don't think you're supposed to do that. I don't, from what I understand, you're not even supposed to take chicken and like run it under the water because it like spreads shit, spreads whatever the fuck. Oh, you just got to cook it, you know? Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm the one with the problem, but I just put the goddamn meat right in the oven. 
Um, but I definitely don't wash it with bleach. That is probably not a good idea. Um, and I also don't watch, I don't wash, uh, ground beef like that crazy lady does. I, I, I don't do that either. I don't think you're supposed to do that. I wash vegetables and like fruit. By the way, that's, that shit, you, you put like a bunch of strawberries in a bowl and you let it sit for, you know, a few minutes and then take them out. That water's filthy. That's some, that's some shit right there. But anyway, you know, do what you want though. It's your food. You can, uh, but, uh, yeah, wow. All right, let me uh, make sure. So yeah, you got the you got the uh, smoke alarm detectors beeping, <laughs> and then you're bringing out the uh, the bleach. Yikes! I uh, I dated a black girl in Philly when I was in the Jehovah's Witnesses in the late '90s, and she cooked a lot. And I never saw her wash chicken. That that was not a thing. There was no washing chicken at, that I saw ever and I, I would be sitting in the kitchen while she was cooking and uh, never saw anything like that so I don't know what you know but but it is on TikTok like they are there are people doing it on TikTok so and and not like now that it's like become a thing not like before it became a thing they were doing it so hey you know to each of them. maybe they're on to something is there something that I'm missing that you should use bleach for, uh, for chicken. I, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> All right. Very good. All right. That's the end of the stream. Next stream is Thursday, 6 30 PM Eastern. Thank you for all the people that sent super chats and stream labs. Sincerely appreciate your generosity. You can, uh, Get an archive on Rumble, rumble.com slash user slash Hard News Network or on Podbean, hardnewsnetwork.podbean.com. You can go to uh, Twitter at, is it Live HNN or HNN Live? I think it's Live HNN for the archive. Uh, my account is at hard underscore bastard. And uh, if you want a w uh, way to help the channel that's free of cost, just share any of the links that you see, any of the stuff you like. Uh, any of that, it, it will be completely fine. Uh, thank you again to the people that sent Super Chats and Streamlabs, to the people that sign up on Subscribestar. Uh, on all the other uh, platforms, sincerely appreciate your support. Wherever you're watching on the stream or on the archive, I appreciate it. I'll see you guys Thursday. I am the Hard Bastard. Thank you for watching.